kick this off in a few minutes. Let's get the gang together. Hey, Mike, how are you? Hey, doing great, Mario. Thanks for uh, the time here. This is quite a quite a hearing. I have a lot to say about it. Yeah, and do you see the the lights uh, suddenly go off? I did, but weirdly, the same thing just happened here in Miami, where I live. Uh, there was a weird power outage in my home just about two minutes after the hearings that that happened in Congress. So, I'm not sure what's happened on the eastern seaboard here. Let's blame let's blame the balloons. It makes it for a good story. <laughs> There you go. I, I think I think when the I think when the lights went out, somebody said, um, "What did they say? Did Twitter do this?" One of the congressmen said that. So. <laughs> so Kim will be joining us as well. He was there since the beginning of the Antara as well. They've both been there since the early days of the um, of the Twitter files. Pulling down some clips on my end, and I got some stuff, so we'll share it when we can. Cool, man. Let me send you a course invite, guys. And thanks for coming up, Mike. Glad you could make it. That'll be really helpful. Oh, sure. Thanks, Jim. I'm happy to happy to be here. For those who are interested in uh, just my sort of long-form reaction, I just posted a 25-tweet thread sort of live react to uh, the, the the twists and and uh, and key events. I think in the in this exchange here. Nice, uh, Nick, Jim. Quickly, can you invite uh, Justin, please? Sure, I got it. Thanks, bro. He's invited. It's going to be fun. Need Ian here. Ian will join us in a bit. Yeah, we're trying to monitor this in real time too, so. Is the hearing back on? Nope, but it, oh, uh, cool. it probably will be here. Oh, uh, it looks like Twitter recess in, uh, Twitter hearing in recess due to power outage resumes live at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Well, perfect. Gives us time to cover everything. So we got how long? 40 minutes. Beautiful. Um, I think we've got all the, a lot of summaries. Jim's organized a lot. Nick, I know you've been going through it. I've tweeted a bunch of them. Nick helped me tweet a lot of those as well what's your what's your first impression uh, uh jim i don't know if you're with us or you're prepping things in the background so maybe i don't know jim you want to go first on this one no no i got it uh, um yeah I, I think my first impression here is that uh i think that, it, that well first of all i think republicans have a very interesting and strong case to make in all these discussions and it'll give us a first chance to see a live response and, and it is already paying off in positive ways or interesting ways. Uh, give a, get a live response from some of the major actors that we've been uh, hearing about on the Twitter files. I'm definitely going to be interested to see more of what James Baker has to say. Uh, we're also uh, seeing interesting response from Democrats 
And will that, uh, you know, gain traction and bring color to uh, what we've already learned from the Twitter files? My guess is no, uh, and I haven't seen that yet. But but that's going to be an interesting dynamic through this. Um, and then, uh, lastly, uh, I, I think we're going to have a brand new and positively helpful understanding of what's been going on. Like this, this is to me a really big day for these revelations to take place in an open hearing because uh, everyone's really been uh, obviously shocked and they want to know more. I want to go, Mike, I don't know if you're prepping things in the background uh, before you kick it off as well, but Mike, can you give us an overview? You did a thread on this. I did a bunch of tweets. I've got a thread that's going to, I need, let me start tweeting the thread. I'll start tweeting it in a bit um, as the as the show goes on. But can you give us an overview just for the audience? Because not everyone here watched it. Most people haven't watched it and just goes on for too long with a lot of time wasted. What are the key snippets beyond what you have on your thread and, and the videos I have on my profile as well? Uh, what, what are the key say? Like, I'll give uh, uh, one of my highlights, Mike, and I want you to give an overview of everything. But one of my key highlights is the um, uh, is something that's kind of contradicts the whole narrative, which is where Twitter, in some cases, is showing that they've made an effort uh, to to try not to moderate, despite the pressure. And I've kind of sensed that in that Carolina questioning. Do you agree there? And would love you to give us an overview. Yes, I, I agree with that. That's also something that was commonly known, though, prior to the hearing as part of Twitter's supra policy, their sort of meta policy, if you will, of protecting the accounts of very important persons. You know, Twitter always made an exception that they whatever policies they would have in their traditional terms of service that applied at a general level, that when they got to super high influencer, super high politically important accounts that there would be flexibility in the enforcement of terms of service in order to pre- uh, preserve critical accounts uh, to protect them against enforcement actions that would either cause political or social turbulence for the company. This was something that was done uh, for cultural and political figures on both the right and the left, that, it, that, that they did the same in the context of a sitting U.S. president is certainly no surprise to me. And it kind of goes against the um, – so you're saying that's relatively common. So the clip I'm referring to, just for anyone that doesn't know what we're talking about, let me play it quickly. I know that the guy's going to prepare a bunch of clips, but let me play this one because it's on my profile so I can easily find it. And let me just play it now for you all um, in, in which uh, – let me tell, tell me if, Mike, if the audio is good. Let me do it now. Hold on. Go back to where you came from was removed from the content moderation guidance as an example. So Twitter changed their own policy after the president violated it um, in order to potentially accommodate his tweet? Yes. Thank you. So this is the part that I'm, I'm referring to, which is really interesting because we've seen bias against Trump and against conservatives, but we've seen uh, other tidbits where Twitter's uh, trying to do the right thing. I'm seeing some people disagree. So, Mike, is that how you see it as well? I'd love to get your thoughts and, and Jim's thoughts on this particular point. Because, again, I want to go back to anyone listening. When we first started with the Twitter files, we were very critical, and, and Ian was, uh, you know, me and Ian have talked a lot, a lot about this. We were very critical of Yoel Roth and others until we saw the amount of pressure they were facing. Um, and then we started seeing pushback by Twitter. And I've sensed the same thing here with, um, with, the, with the hearing and the clips that I've watched. Uh, but would love your thoughts on this particular point, Mike, and other things that they've that they've that have stood out for you. You're muted, by the right, way, Mike. Right, right. What AOC is is doing there, she's got gotcha in the tonality, but there's nothing 
There's nothing gotcha about that. That's commonplace. That's actually happening right now in the context of a Republican senator whose account was recently suspended for posting a hunting photo that featured blood, which violated Twitter's terms about blood in in profile pictures. And now Elon Musk, after seeing the impact that that is having, is adjusting the terms of service uh, in order because they realize with high level enforcement actually creating this sort of takedown that the policy was not particularly well formulated. It didn't account for, for events like this. And with it having significant political effect, they are now taking uh, taking action against the policy itself. Now, you have to remember, in the context of the timing that was happening in this AOC clip, uh, Twitter did not want, at the time, to kick Trump off the platform. They were highly sensitive to the political blowback from the right that that would cause. In fact, that's actually the reason Twitter did not adopt as aggressive AI content moderation policies as Facebook and Google had. There were leaks from internal meetings that suggested that their policies, for example, on hate speech uh, if they were to copy what fa- what Facebook and Google were doing, would have a disproportionate impact on Republican congressmen and basically destroy Twitter's conduit as a as a bipartisan place where people from both sides of the political aisle share and debate their political views. What's what's notable here is that while Twitter did everything they could to try to have Trump on the platform uh, in the in, in the initial years of Trump's presidency and all the way really up to the end, they tried to do as minimum dam- damage as possible uh, with with respect to fact checks and friction as opposed to an outright ban is that they ultimately did cave on that. And then once they caved on that, you know, really uh, it was, you know, all of the all of the chains were, were off. Now, I th- just to go back to one thing that, Mario, you mentioned in terms of my overall assessment with this um the, the fact is, is the First Amendment, th- there are certainly regulatory and legal uh, uh, things to explore with respect to, you know, utility like social media platforms that dictate our discourse that you can do on the on the regulatory and legal side. But constitutionally, the First Amendment applies to government. What I what I, I agree with the way Jim summarized the issue by saying that these hearings are a tremendous opportunity to get insights, to get firsthand testimony from key figures within Twitter uh, on such an important issue. I was um, I think that the GOP committee members mean well, um, but that uh, I I have been disappointed so far in the way this uh, the hearings have gone in the first three hours because of what I consider a repeated failure to come back to the government nexus here. The fact is, is that if they're going to make First Amendment arguments there, there are a tremendous amount of First Amendment violations, I believe, when you actually pour into the government nexus at play. But the fact is, is that was only very lightly touched on and, and frankly, in the weakest versions of the cases. And I can go into what I, what I think you know, can and should have been done and what I hope is done in subsequent hearings. But um, I, I believe that there was a failure to brief the committee members to s- sufficiently know what to pinpoint in this hearing, and it's reflected in what I consider to be a standpoint. I've right. got another question for you, Mike, before you jump in, Nick. And by the way, Jim, please check our group on WhatsApp, just some updates there. And Mike, a question for you. So I, um, I spoke to Ian. I called him like, hey, man, we're about to do a space. And he sounded really upset. I'm like, man, what's, what's wrong? I thought like he's sick or something happened. And he's like, Mario, no one gives a shit. Uh, they're going to keep doing it again. They're going to censor again. Nothing's going to change. He's really upset by it because we, you know, we were hosting all these Twitter files since day one. And Ian is obviously a, a big proponent of, of what Elon's doing. And, and so are we. 
and and most of the audience. So it's really upset by what happened. And like you kind of echoed those sentiments, Mike. Can you tell me more? Like, where is this coming from? What gave you that conclusion from the hearing? Because I sense a similar disappointment from you as well that nothing is is going to change. Well, it's not that it's bad, and in fact, it's very good to. When Congress holds hearings like this, it emboldens the private sector and civil society and common people to talk more, you know, more about it. There's still a utility to this, even if at the end of the day, it's a stalemate. But I consider this hearing so far to be a stalemate in the sense that Republicans and Democrats, you you sort of have Republican. I'll give you a great example. So Marjorie Taylor Greene used her time. You know, at the beginning, she used uh, she teed up her statement to say, uh, uh, you know, you guys censored me. So now I'm censoring you. You're not I'm I'm not going to use my time to ask you guys questions. I'm going to make a declaratory statement about what you guys did to me. You censored my accounts. You know, you were you were real (laughs) sons of guns to have done it. Um, And then uh, and then that was that. And it, it was a fiery, passionate speech. This was a moment, however, to get statements on the record about who coordinated. Like, for example, the Marjorie Taylor's Green Green's account was flagged by the Election Integrity Partnership, who had a formal partnership with the Department of Homeland Security to operate as their formal disinformation flagger before Marjorie Taylor's Green Marjorie Taylor Green's account got flagged. One of the things that she got she got uh, censored for was her violation of Twitter's new terms of service policies passed on September 10th, 2020 under under a term these new terms of services called delegitimization, which uh, which meant anyone who undermines public faith or confidence in mail in ballots, early voting drop boxes or ballot tabulation issues. Well, that policy was put in place just one week after the September 3rd, 2020 partnership agreement between the Department of Homeland Security and EIP, the Election Integrity Partnership, who worked on the back end with Twitter, with Vijaya Gotti and UL Roth. So we know they had meetings to coordinate the, the very change in policy that, that got Marjorie Taylor Greene flagged. And yet she didn't probe the government meetings that Vijaya Gotti and UL Roth had while they were sitting right in front of her. You need to get the witnesses' public statements on the records in order to put the button on your case. It is important to have publicity. But the second part of this is you are you are building an indictment. And what I saw here, you know, if a prosecutor just uses their time to make declaratory statements and they don't cross-examine the witnesses, um, that's not really a trial. And and that's sort of what it's more it's entertainment now. It's becoming more more for entertainment rather than getting results from the. But that can come later. You will have a big bang explosion on this when you when you accumulate the witness statements. For example, that's one of the things that I've done through my foundation with Foundation for Freedom Online is we have compiled, you know, basically hundreds of hours of, of insider statements through their own live stream videos, through their own, uh, you know, internal discussions. And these can be used to make the case on be, that the GOP committee members are trying to make. I identified several of them, for example, in, in the thread that I have on my timeline currently. You have... So, I mean, one of the things that happened in this conference was there was a tremendous amount of discussion about Hunter Biden and Burisma. What is what what almost nobody seems to either know or emphasize, but that I've documented extensively and it's gotten some amplification. I've been able to tell some members of Congress about this, but this but everyone should know this. This is a Hunter Biden Burisma story. And you had a Burisma lobbyist as the intermediary between Twitter and the U.S. government. EIP, 
this group that I mentioned who signed a formal partnership agreement with the Department of Homeland Security just two months before the 2020 U.S. election was comprised of four private sector entities. One of those four entities was, was an entity known as the Atlantic Council. They're sort of NATO's think tank. I'm not trying to get into the foreign policy aspect of this. But the Atlantic Council was financially sponsored by Burisma for fundraising conferences in Monaco on energy deals. And then in January 2017, actually just two weeks before Trump took office, Burisma and the Atlantic Council signed a formal cooperation agreement for the Atlantic Council to funnel energy deal flow to Burisma while Hunter Biden was sitting on the board. Flash forward to the 2020 election and and a rogue faction of the Department of Homeland Security taps this Burisma lobbyist to be the formal disinformation flagger of American opinions about mail and ballots. By the way, they're not even based in the U.S., okay? The Atlantic House Digital Forensics Research Lab is based in London. So they based so they tapped a foreign a foreign country's Hunter Biden company lobbyist to censor opinions about his dad. And it and it, it wasn't just a couple posts one off like the Twitter files. They wasn't it wasn't like the FBI when in the Twitter files where it says here take down these 22 accounts. It was 22 million on Twitter alone. There's, I mean, to me, this is election interference on a scale that nobody has talked about, and it was sitting right there. I've done briefings for Congress, and I'm, I'm just, I'm shocked that it did not matriculate up, you know, up to the actual committee members themselves. And so, I find myself uh, disappointed today. Sure. So, let me give a little bit of a brief overview of the situation at hand today and what's going on. Uh, former executives from Twitter and, be, were and Nick, take it, yeah, take, yeah, take it very basic. Maybe some people have no yeah. idea what's going on. They haven't even seen the tweets. Right. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going, I'm going down to the first level here. Uh, former executives subpoenaed by the House Oversight Committee in Congress. Um, they were essentially they were brought in to be questioned by those members of Congress on the Hunter Biden laptop story and other. Uh, policies that Twitter were implementing and whether or not they were targeting uh, certain political candidates and parties. Um, you had Anika Collier-Navaroli. She was a whistleblower that argued that Twitter didn't do enough when it comes to, uh, you know, acting on things like January 6th and censorship and, and such. Uh, and then you had Yoel Roth. A lot of us know Yoel Roth. who's the former head of trust and safety at Twitter. James Baker, the former deputy uh, counsel at Twitter, and then Vijaya Gotti, the formal chief legal officer at Twitter. Um, and it seems like they are acknowledging so far some mistakes that they had made, which is a little bit of a development here. But I would love for Jim to give a, a bigger rundown on what he's seen so far because he's been watching it closely. Sorry, Jim. <laughs> is I, yeah, no, I was trying to unmute myself and didn't do it immediately. Uh, is that okay, by the way? I switched to my headset. Do I have a good – does it come across okay? Oh, just good. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. So, um, yeah, I mean I, I want to uh, agree with Mike on this. You know, I, I spent a lot of years on Capitol Hill, and one of the biggest frustrations that you have is the fact that there tend to be some very unserious members of Congress. And And what I mean by that – and this is a bipartisan problem. What I mean by that is you have on – both sides of the aisle, people that are either just not putting the time and effort in to understand what's really important when they get into these hearings, or they bloviate and want to make political jabs 
and just do that. Now, you know, some of the political jab stuff can be useful and helpful to people that are trying to process. Jim, Jim, you got a lot of Jim, Jim, you got too much background noise. I don't know if you're making coffee or someone's making coffee next to you. I was pouring water in my coffee thing. Okay, (laughs) yeah, we could you could do that after. It would be great after. But go ahead. Yeah, it's all done. So, um, so anyway, so the, the the political points can be useful or helpful for certain people, whatever. But um, what we're seeing right now is, although Jim Jordan's questioning kind of got to what I think Mike was talking about, well, really digging into the government nexus of this, uh, we're not seeing a good, solid flow of uh, f- figuring that aspect of it out. So what's happened here is we're, we're in the the first back and forth period where uh, both sides are getting their initial questions in, the ones that they prepared for, some people during that process, some members during that process will be able to bring new things in they hadn't thought of while you get to that. But now that we're into a recess period, there's going to be a lot of discussion. The members will typically go back by caucuses to talk through things, at least some group of them, if not all of them, to kind of assess where we are at and to strategize on what to do next so we may get better questions after the recess and after they get the lights figured out and that sort of thing but that that's kind of where we're at now so uh nick before before you before we jump in nick i'll let you jump in nick and and nick i need an overview of the actual hearing please nick and then we'll go to brian and jake and then i want to introduce our special guest who's been there since day one of the twitter files mr mr dot com is with us so i'll introduce kim for anyone that doesn't know kim um, which anyone that's been following the Twitter files obviously knows Kim. I'll be introducing what, him shortly. What, what do you mean? But... Who doesn't know me, bro? I know. <laughs> I know. Look, I'm, I'm trying to be humble here. <laughs> um, before I give the mic to, to uh, uh, Kim, Brian, and, and Jake, uh, Nick, I'll let you just finish off the overview, and then we'll probably go quickly, Brian, Jake, for quick commentary, and then we'll give the mic to, to Kim. Well, a little quickly on this. Obviously, on this committee, you do have – uh, people from both parties, and it does seem that it has devolved a little bit until each side arguing whether or not Republicans were being censored, whether or not Republicans were being kicked off the platform. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene made a, a huge uh, fuss about this as well because her campaign account was suspended up until even after the election, uh, which she argued was election interference and that Twitter was messing with her constituents and such. And then you have arguments from uh, from people like AOC, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a Democrat, saying that Twitter was actually in the Trump camp when it came to changing their policies just to uh, just to help him and, and further his initiatives and make sure that they didn't have to ban him. And I think we're going to go over a lot of that stuff today. Uh, but I do want to throw it to uh, let's see here. Let's go to Jake. I want to bring you up and get you in on this. I'm sure you've watched the hearing. What do you think about it so far? Yeah, I've been watching in and out uh, all day, kind of going between meetings. I think Mike really covered it quite well in terms of the disappointment and, you know, not touching on the election integrity partnership sufficiently um, and kind of the the broader uh, lack of questions that really cut to the core of this issue. Um, and I think, you know, important context for a lot of people, Jim kind of briefly touched on this, but uh, there's a bit of a, a lack of infrastructure in terms of tech staff on the Hill. Right. So these offices rely almost entirely upon their legislative teams to craft these questions, the committee teams. And there's really just not the manpower or understanding in D.C. on kind of the minute details of 
things like the Twitter files or even, you know, big picture like the TikTok issue. Right. And so when we get to these hearings, oftentimes they devolve into kind of political grandstanding moments where they can commentate on essentially campaign talking points. Uh, rather than cutting deep. And, you know, the value of these hearings is to lay traps for subpoenas. Uh, you know, Mike kind of nailed this in terms of this is, a, this is a hearing. This is, you know, laying the foundations for a trial. And if you're not asking these questions that, you know, they can trap themselves in, we're just going to end up repeating this cycle over and over again with the same cast of characters and nothing to show for it. So, so Jake, on that on that topic, I know that there was a question, I believe it was Jim Jordan that asked Yol Roth, whether or not Twitter had shadow banning technologies hard-coded. And I believe the definition of hard-coded was something that maybe there was a little bit of a, a little bit of confusion on there. Maybe there wasn't, you know, as you're saying, wasn't uh, congressional staffers that were well-versed enough in this stuff to be able to know how to ask that question. And it did seem that Yoel Roth was able to skirt that question based on the fact that the term hard-coded may have been used incorrectly. So does that sort of go into to what you're saying here? Yeah, that's exactly correct. And, you know, this is one of the more emerging areas within these policy portfolios. And so we see this often when, you know, tech issues come to the forefront of the news cycle. People jump in and they, they want to have their moment. Uh, but more often than not, this is a communications blunder. This is someone from more of the press side of the office that's crafting the question for a soundbite purpose rather than actually laying the foundation for a subpoena or laying the foundation for a follow up question that could potentially, you know, trap one of these witnesses into revealing something. Um, and so, yeah, I think you perfectly highlighted there with that question. Um, you know, the person who wrote this more often than not doesn't have a computer science background. They've been deputized with this portfolio and that comes with limitations. They're not going to ask the, you know, questions that people in this Twitter space might have asked, uh, people in Silicon Valley would have asked. And so uh, it kind of exposes the bigger flaw in our policy kind of plotting planning uh, in D.C. where th there's just not the experts that we can depend upon, especially on the right. Yeah. So, so Brian, uh, uh, Jake, one, before going to Brian, one quick question, Jake. We'll go to Brian and, and then, of course, Kim. One last question, Jake. Do you share Ian's sentiment that not much will change after this hearing, or do you think this is a catalyst for more change? Uh, so, you know, this hearing could lead to future hearings, and that could prompt change. But I mean, at the end of the day, there's no uh, there's no change that could come as a byproduct of these questions they're asking, right? I mean, these are just kind of. Uh, messaging issues. These aren't really policy priorities. These aren't things that they will change in Silicon Valley at Twitter. Um, you know, we're going to essentially have to still wait for Elon to make these changes. There's not going to be a, a bill necessarily. Uh, we have HR 140 that's, you know, kind of in the ether right now that limits government actors from cooperating in kind of a content moderation uh, space, but that still has a long ways to go. And I don't really see this, uh, this hearing in particular shaping the direction of it either. So, Brian, uh, let's bring you in on this. I, I do want your brief uh, take at first as to what you've seen so far. I don't know how much of the hearing you've watched. Uh, so I, I'll ask you a few follow-up questions, but let's hear your take. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I watched probably about 60% of it. Um, uh, but, but yeah, yeah I, I think that the hearing's good. I'm happy that they're having it because I think that prior to the hearing, we kind of had a, a – I want to say one-sided approach where you just have – Elon selecting these journalists who sit through the data and then publish what they want. Now you get the other side, which is the Twitter executives, whether it's Roth or uh, Gotti. And, and, and I think we're getting kind of the, a fuller picture here. Uh, they're under oath. So 
technically they shouldn't be lying. I think that you can rely on their testimony quite a bit. Uh, we learned that Trump was pressuring Twitter as well uh, with Chrissy Teigen uh, and Twitter basically rewrote some of the rules to suit that. Um, I think mistakes were made by Twitter, uh, but there's no signs that these executives felt pressured. Uh, in fact, Roth and Gotti both said under oath that they were told they weren't told to remove content. They were asked to check this content out and they did not feel pressured. Uh, I, I think that's big because I think a lot of the theories were that the FBI or even Bi the Biden administration were pressuring Twitter and these executives felt like they had to do it. And that doesn't appear to be the case from the testimonies. Um, and, and whether whether this is going to change anything, I, I think that the change is more likely to come uh, from Elon's influence in the social media space. I, I think that by him making things less censored, I think that other companies are going to feel pressure to follow uh, only because that's what users are going to want. So I, I think the hearing probably won't won't change too much, but I think that Elon's influence is. Okay, yeah. So so just to follow up on that a little bit, <clears throat> we hadn't heard a lot about the accusations of the Trump campaign or President Trump, the White House at the time, getting involved in uh, pushing Twitter to do certain things. It seems to be uh, probably one of the more prominent examples that we've heard. Um, so uh, do you, do you think that's a, a fair thing to, to say that the Trump administration was actually trying to get involved in Twitter's policies? Uh, I, I, I think that there's not much of a difference between what he was doing and what you could say the FBI was doing. I, I, I don't think either are illegal in, in any respect. I, I think they are suggestive and Twitter determined, hey, let's do this because it's best for the company. I, I, I don't feel that, I, I feel they're equal in in how how impactful they are to society in general. Yep. All right, so we'll bring in Kim.com. Obviously, Kim, you are deep into the tech space and you have been for many, many years. And you've also faced the wrath of the US government, right? They haven't been able to take you down yet, but they've been trying for a while. Um, so based on what you've heard today, I mean, do you think anything comes out of this and, and, and just, and also give us a, a general overview of what you saw today, if you're assuming you watched it. Yeah. I mean, I'm deep into the deep uh, Twitter files and all the releases. I've read everything. I understand it pretty well. And, uh, with all that information in mind, I'm quite disappointed with this hearing, you know. I don't know who is electing these people that don't even know how to how to ask basic questions and are so incompetent in their line of questioning, um, you know, letting them slip away with half answers and uh, declining to answer by saying I can't recall and things like this. This whole hearing is such a joke and anyone in the U.S. watching this, uh, you know, should be embarrassed that they have people representing them so poorly. Also, if I uh, uh, were in Elon's shoes right now, who I'm sure is watching this unfold, I would be like, you know, all of this, this work in, in providing truth to the public and providing transparency results in a nothing burger hearing like this where people are so unprepared uh, to ask the right questions. Um, it, it's just embarrassing and at the same time must be very frustrating 
uh, for Elon because what he has revealed here uh, was, of course, a big influence from DNC leaders, uh, you know, making Twitter uh, help in uh, election meddling, uh, you know, undermining uh, public knowledge about the, the Hunter Biden laptop and completely censoring the story with the big tech partners. That is really the big thing that happened here, that just prior to an election, the, the, the abuse of power that took place to shift the public opinion about Biden and to you know undermine any kind of reporting about this important story, which implicates Joe Biden himself uh, as a partner in business dealings that uh, Hunter Biden only got because his father was uh, vice president of the United States. So, you know, to me, it's just more of the same. Uh, you can't trust politicians to get anything done in the U.S. And the reason the U.S. is in such bad shape is because you're represented by idiots. So, Kim, if you had the opportunity... Go ahead, yeah, I've got a question, Kim. Do you just think, why is that, Kim? Why are they unprepared? Because they've had enough time. Is it? Do they just not care? Do they feel like censorship will always be there and it's going to be, you know, both sides of the aisle would like to have that level of power? Um, I, don't, I don't know exactly why they don't prepare. Uh, you know, just an example in my Supreme Court case, uh, 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 you know, my Supreme Court hearing of my case, uh, in front of several judges, my lawyers were surprised to find out that they didn't even read our submissions, that they didn't even had any background information. And I think it's maybe just the way things work these days. These people are busy, uh, you know, to hang out at dinners for their donors or, you know, their political friends and don't really do the work anymore. It's like all such a joke. Uh, and, you know, like I said to Americans who watch this, who have been following the Twitter files unfold, including in the spaces that we were hosting, and then are watching this kind of hearing, it's just so frustrating. You know, they, they, they go away from this thinking we will never fix any of our problems. This is literally just uh, a shit fight between two political parties that are struggling for power that are just constantly at each other's throat, not acting in the interest of the American people to fix any of the severe problem uh, problems that the U.S. society has and is facing in the future. You know, you can have absolutely no trust in these people getting anything done. So, so the committee hearing is actually uh, it's about to resume here in between uh, between two o'clock and two thirty p.m. Eastern time. Kim, what would you like to hear in the second half of this hearing? What, what, what kind of questions would you be asking? Well, I mean, first of all, uh, Roth was let off very easily. Uh, there was clear evidence of social engineering uh, by the U.S. deep state of him, uh, you know, courting him at the same time using um, a carrot and a stick approach, you know, when he wasn't really doing what they wanted, they put pressure on him, even though he said he never feel, felt pressured. Uh, maybe his memory is uh, eluding him. 
but then also, you know, all these uh, meetings that he was attending with other big tech executives, uh, you know, priming them to make sure that the censorship is taking place and, uh, you know, how they would like these things uh, to, to happen. And there's just very little... Uh, diving into the deep state, uh, deep state approach to achieving dominance in the big tech space to censor social media. And that this is not just a matter at Twitter, but, you know, you have all these uh, deep state uh, operatives going through a revolving door from government jobs into big tech and vice versa. And that is, of course, something uh, that needs to be investigated. The problem is that all of these politicians are part of that circus. You know, they don't want uh, to close doors for you know potential future donors or uh, for uh, potential future business opportunities by shitting uh, into their own playground. Um, the question I had is, why would you all do this? So Brian mentioned that as well earlier, Kim. Why would he say he wasn't feeling pressured? Like he's, he's, I thought he'd be doing the complete opposite and trying to put the guilt on, on the FBI and on other governmental bodies. Instead, he seems to be saying, hey, I wasn't pressured, and they were just asking questions. It's pride. It, it will make him look as a weakling uh, if, if he would admit that he has been pressured. You know, he's not so, the so kind he's of guy. So lie under oath and risk five years in prison just for Well, who is, going to, who is going to ever prove that he did or did not feel pressured. He can make this claim without any risk to himself. He's totally right. Okay. Well, there's also, nobody that's going to go enforce that. Also, yeah, yeah, I don't but, believe but multiple, his testimony. Twitter, multiple Twitter employees have said the same thing, though. So I, I, yeah, that's a, that's a, one of your theories. But I, I mean, he's saying it under oath. I, I think it's it's more likely that those words yeah. are true. But, well, Brian, Brian here's, remember... the, here's the beautiful thing. We have the Twitter files, and they speak for themselves. It shows clearly that he has been pressured. It, the evidence couldn't be more clear. For him to now say, I, I wasn't pressured, it means nothing in light of the uh, mountain of evidence that was released. What, what's an example? Yeah, he didn't even say no, that. I'll give you, I'll give you, yeah, that. I'll give I'll give you an example. I'll give you the mic in a bit. Mike and I think Jim wanted to jump in as well. But Brian, I'll give you one example because I was just thinking of one. You remember there's in one instance, a Yol is getting asked to do something. He's messaging the team at Twitter. He's like, hey, they're asking us to do this. I need, obviously, I can't remember. I'm just trying to paraphrase here. Asking us to do this. I just think they're going way too far. Uh, and then they're trying to find a solution to try to at least appease them because they, they kept following up multiple times. Um, I don't know... Yeah, are they using the carrot stick approach? Is it considered pressure, not considered pressure? But that one caught me by surprise. If I was Yol, even if I wasn't pressured, I'd kind of want to blame them. Uh, but here we got what we think was pressure. And remember, Brian, like we weren't, we're not, like we're not. In, there's no bias here to support Yol. We were crucifying him in the beginning. You remember at the beginning of the Twitter files, Brian? I don't know if you were there. Yol was getting crucified in those Twitter files. So he was, and, and people loved to crucify him. And then later that shifted, and it took, a, it took a time for people, for, for panelists to start saying, hey, hold on a second, maybe we're just being too harsh on him because these things show a different story. So it's not like they're bi- anyone's biased um, to uh, Mike or Kim, anyone's biased to really protect y'all. Um, that's my two cents, but uh, Mike and Jim. Jim, do you want to jump in or we'll go to Mike? 
Right. So you'll. Uh, be, 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 yeah. Oh, sorry. sorry uh, uh, Nick, yeah. Here? Well, I, I just oh, wanted okay. to let everybody know real quick before we do jump into that. Um, still need to sign up for the newsletter. Pin post at the top. Oh, okay. Replies for the panelists at the bottom right hand corner because we're going to need a lot of questions as this goes on. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, jump in. Shameless. Nick, uh, sorry, Mike and yeah. uh, Jim. So, okay, so two things. So one is Yol's testimony today was not that he that he had no pressure. It was that he did not. That is that there was not a direct order to take the content down. It wasn't actually on the pressure question. And on the pressure question, I've just retweeted this to the top of my timeline. I encourage everyone to check it out. There's actual testimony from the from EIP who was DHS's. Formal disinformation flagger. They had a partnership on DHS.gov. They had access to DHS's back-end EIISAC, the, the cyber mission control, where Emerson Brooking from the Atlanta Council, who was a member of that censorship consortium, who was also backed by Burisma via the Atlanta Council, literally says on video, right after the 2020 election, in their, in their post-mortem account of their content moderation decisions, they say that they, uh, that they got Twitter to to radically expand their censorship policies by quote extreme regulatory pressure and that this only worked because it, of the quote huge regulatory stakes in the US election context and they fretted that that might not be scalable to other issues like climate change because of the unique threats that could be leveraged against the social media companies around the context of a of an ongoing high pressure election they use the, the phrase pressure in there three or four times. In fact, right after uh, the Atlantic Council's representative on EIP made that statement, Alex Damos, Stanford University's representative from EIP, followed that up by saying there's a two-step action that we used in order to get Twitter and other tech platforms to create new censorship categories that they otherwise would not have done. They use that phrase. They would not have censored otherwise but for our extreme regulatory pressure. And they, they set forth a two-step uh, uh, program for applying this generally to all tech platforms. One is you pressure the companies using your friends on the Hill and using threats of, of black PR, of, of crisis-inducing media headlines about them hosting content they shouldn't. And then you get them to adopt these new formally updated terms of services that reflect what you the new the category of things you want them to censor. And then you set in motion a censorship consortium like they had, 120 full-time staffers working 16 to 20 hours a day to mass flag posts and to help program the AI for the algorithms on uh, for, to, to populate this new censorship category you just lobbied them using the threat of government to install. They said that on video while they had a formal partnership with the U.S. government. I mean, that is a signed friggin' confession note. Yeah, yeah, Mike, I, I, I want to say you're right. They, they, they said they didn't – they he didn't say he didn't feel pressured. He said it wasn't an order. He didn't see it as an order, which, which in my mind would – make me believe that he didn't feel like he had to do it. And thanks for clarifying that. That is a very distinct thing, though, uh, because pressure is, is one thing. Uh, your, and mic, what... uh, your mic, Catherine. I'm not sure what's going is, on today. That it... would be a good question, is to ask him if he felt pressured. Yeah, because because if you're talking about, you know, like one is really much more of a legal distinction, right? So I think than the other one is like, oh, anybody can feel pressure, right? Like that's that's subjective, highly subjective. And the other is is, you know, an order. That's something you have to comply with. So I think that's an extremely important distinction to 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 consider. Text from a congressman and ask them to ask that question. 
isn't there an extraordinary amount of implicit and pressure already implied when the FBI is 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 contacting you about these profiles? I think that's just already kind of built in and something that's not being weighed enough. Well, yeah, and, and I, Steve, I, just to... I, I was just going to say, I, I agree with that. And, and But I think the issue is, does that make it a First Amendment violation? And I don't think you can say somebody feeling pressured means that the government is forcing you. So I, I think that's the distinction that needs to be made. There's a difference between an order, the government ordering you or else, and somebody saying, oh, that I felt under pressure because, oh, it's a government. Well, so, right, so right. I want to let me let me pick in here. And, and Mike, I'll go back to you. I want to hear what you have to say. But I, I just want to feed off of uh, Kim's disappointment. Like, I mean, I, I know some of these people that are doing these hearings and spend a lot of time there. One of the one of the big problems that we've got right now in American politics is a real dearth of people that and, and Kim hit it right on the head The a real dearth of people who are elected to Congress who really take the time to figure out what really matters. This government nexus is huge. And just to feed off of what Brian was just saying, which inspired me to jump in there, you know, um, any effort at all on the federal government without a warrant, without specific uh, problems that they know about and authorization to do so, to go to any company and say, hey, you've got a problem here, any media company or media connected company to do that is to influence is also to intimidate, whether that's benign intimidation or malicious intimidation. And what needs to come out of these hearings right now, and Jim Jordan started to do it a little bit, but not nearly as strongly as I thought he would, because he kind of quickly shifted to um, giving his assessment rather than uh, pinning Yol Roth down to admit, which he kind of did, that the FBI was pressuring him and that uh, he, his superiors, which I, I think is only Jack Dorsey above him, maybe only one other level, and or Vijaya Gotti being on the side there giving her advice as well. I mean, I, I want to know when when he said, yeah, I didn't argue too hard against it. I want to know who the person is that told him. And Jim didn't push him. I'm I'm very disappointed by this because that's what we need to find out this was a government operation you can say whatever you want about how that played out or what it did the fact that the fbi was in there giving lists giving access through that system that they put in place that right there is a first amendment violation government's not allowed to do that period so so jim just as an example say say that it was instead of twitter it was ups and the fbi found out that uh Person A is shipping cocaine throughout the United States with UPS as a service. Uh, and they go to UPS and say, hey, people are sending cocaine using your service. Can you please look into this? I mean, is that really any different? Brian, that stuff actually argue, happens. Well, you have to yeah, go to a court it, order. It, it, oh, like, that's a, that's a real crime. Yeah, that's people, right. People well, do this well, all well, the time. Yeah, yeah, the FBI has official relationships with UPS yeah. and with uh, FedEx, but they bring court orders to it when they want to do when they want to get into people's property. So what you're saying is not wrong. Well, but no, no, but I, I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying get a subpoena and search them or get a subpoena or a search warrant and search them or get a subpoena for information. I'm saying... The FBI does warn companies, hey, this is happening. Check it out and let us know if you notice anything. It's not always court orders. Guys, let me give you one example real quick, if I may, how these questions uh, could have been framed. The lowest hanging fruit 
uh, if you remember, was that there was um, uh, a hearing under oath of the former CEO of Twitter together with his global uh, lead counsel about shadow banning. And he said under oath that Twitter does not do any such thing, that there is no shadow banning. Now that we know that that wasn't true and that they were both aware of the fact that that wasn't true, why has none of these politicians raised the question with them about lying under oath in previous hearings and why anyone in this hearing should trust anything they say given their past uh, record of lying? I think Kim is right. I look, I, 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 having worked a little bit in, on Capitol Hill a little bit too, but also knowing these folks and knowing how, uh, the, the sausage is made and being mentioned in the Twitter files about, uh, being suppressed by Twitter multiple times and many of my team members. Uh, in fact, this morning, uh, Nancy Mays, I'm going to play just a couple clips. This is giving us some good context to talk through. I'll pause it here and there and maybe we'd have some discussion, but let me play just a few clips. This is Representative Nancy Mace. She's talking uh, about uh, some of the people on my team who were suppressed here. <clears throat> Thank you, Mr. Chairman. The Twitter fires files were not just about Hunter Biden's laptop. Twitter files make it apparent Twitter worked overtime to suppress accurate COVID information. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya is a professor of medicine at Stanford who once tweeted an article he wrote about natural immunity. Thanks to Elon Musk's release of the Twitter files, we learned some of his tweets were tagged with the label of trends blacklist. Apparently, the views of a Stanford doctor are disinformation to you people. I, along with many Americans, have long-term effects from COVID. Not only was I a long hauler, but I have effects from the vaccine. It wasn't the first shot, but it was the second shot that I now developed asthma that has never gone away since I had the second shot. Um, I have tremors in my left hand, and I have the occasional heart pain that no doctor can explain, and I've had a battery of tests. I find it extremely alarming Twitter's unfettered censorship spread into medical fields and affected millions of Americans by suppressing expert opinions from doctors and censoring those who disagree with the CDC. I have great regrets about getting the shot because of the health issues that I now have that I don't think are ever going to go away. And I So, you know, uh, a recent poll found that a good percentage of people who have gotten the shots either themselves have experienced or know someone who was seriously injured by the vaccine, or at least that's their perception. Uh, and, you know, Dr. J, uh, and she mentions Martin Kuldorf, she mentions a member of my team, Kelly KGA, who just posted CDC data. I mean, this is not, you know, sending cocaine through the mail here. Just, this is this is basic information. These are, and again, you know, you have no First Amendment right to send a FedEx passage package. You absolutely have a First Amendment right to say what you want to say. And, uh, you know, Section 230, while it talks a lot about uh, the legal ramifications of, of different social media companies and platforms. It's also very explicit that it is the goal of the U.S. government to further discussion and provide places where people can meet in forums. And so when, you know, the government comes down, that was the, essentially the lawsuit I have against the government that's still going, which is basically they use Twitter and Facebook as proxies to censor and silence American views that they didn't agree with. And uh, several examples that Representative Nancy, let me just play this last little bit here. I know that I'm... Oh, go ahead. Before, go ahead. Yeah, before you play it, yeah, I was just going to say, it's, uh, Justin, I want to ask a quick question to Kyle. Are you going to be with us? I want you to play more clips. Are you uh, still going to be with I've us? Got, uh, I've got to sign off in about 40 minutes, but I got you for the, I'm here for the next 30 minutes at least. 
Cool, cool. Let me let me ask. Uh, I'm just gonna ask a question to Kyle. Give the mic to Jake, and then get back to you uh, with a couple more clips, and then go to Mike. Uh, Kyle, just a quick question. Back to the point that um, uh, Kim and Brian were discussing earlier. You've been in, in all the spaces we did on the Twitter files. You've read the Twitter files as well. As a, as having worked at the FBI, did you see pressure from the FBI on Twitter? Or do you agree with Yol's testimony that there was no pressure? He didn't feel pressured. Well, I'm seeing two things because, uh, first of all, I, this is not personal. This is me watching what we're seeing released, right? This is just my, my feedback on it. Um, the folks that I talk to on a regular basis were in meetings with uh, Elvis Chan when they brought in members of uh, Big Tech. They brought in you know people from Reddit or LinkedIn or whatever it was. Um, and they would have these forums where they would discuss election security and so on. And there was a strong kind of wink and a nod that Chan was giving uh, while discussing these on, on like a national platform. The FBI probably has the recordings of these things saying, you know, we can't tell you what to do, but, uh, you know, you can enforce your policies and we can certainly tell you where the policy should be enforced. And and so that to me is somewhat damning. That is, as, as mentioned earlier. When the FBI comes knocking on your door, people answer and they talk, even though they know they shouldn't. Um, when the government shows up and comes to bring their their presence is an intimidation. Just it's the nature of what it is. Uh, I've been that person. So I know it. There's people that have no business getting involved with me that have that have chatted with me. And you just have to use that power in a really scrupulous way. Um, it's it's worth noting that there's also some pushback. Uh, Name Redacted did some really interesting threads about showing that uh, Jack Dorsey was asking for that. Uh, regulation, that they would come in and take that off their plate, that they wanted to do it, but they needed basically like someone to kind of help point them in the right direction. So there, there's some conflicting evidence there. Um, I just, I'm really disappointed, just like him, with the the quality of the questioning, with the types of people they have doing it. I think you should have people that have been prosecutors and you should have people that have done interrogation because those are two types of things. One person's building a case and the other person's used to getting answers nailed down. And it doesn't matter if it's somebody who has military interrogation background or law enforcement, but somebody that knows how to follow on when someone holds up a thread or they don't say something specific. You cannot let vague answers like that stand. And, um, you know, my experience with what's going to be happening, I think, in the FBI weaponization, they don't seem serious about that either. And so it's not surprising to me. They're just not people that are nailed down and really committed to doing this thing. They should be reading books and, and doing oppo research and trying to figure out who the hell it is they're talking to and what is it that they have to do. And they should be talking to people in the background that know the right words. Because when you're talking to people like Jim Baker, they I mean, they're going to weasel out of stuff if you don't say the exact explicit term that's going to be able to get them to, uh, you know, make a vague statement that's not a lie. And so you just have to be really disappointed with what they've got. Like they've had a lot of time to prep for this. They only really get one good shot at these things. And I just, I don't see it going that way. Yeah. A perfect example of that is from this clip, uh, this next clip of Nancy Mace. I mean, she did some, some yeoman's work, but then they, they all fell kind of into this very rhetorical trap. That's cute. But I think it got repetitive. Here she is here. Not the only American who has those kinds of concerns. Another example of what Twitter has done to censor Folks, is uh, from Dr. Martin Koldorf, a Harvard-educated epidemiologist, who once tweeted, COVID vaccines are important for high-risk people and their caretakers. Those with prior natural infection do not need it, nor children. The Twitter files reveal this tweet was deemed false information because it ran contrary to the CDC. So my first question this morning of Ms. Gaddy, may I ask of you, where did you go to medical school? I did not go to medical school. I'm sorry? I did not go to medical school. That's what I thought. Why do you think you or anyone else at Twitter had the medical expertise to censor a doctor's expert opinion? 
our policies regarding COVID were designed to protect individuals. We were seeing you guys censored Harvard-educated doctors, Stanford-educated doctors, doctors that are educated in the best places in the world, and you silenced those voices. My next question is, did the U.S. government... Oh, excuse me, I have an... Uh, this, this is the last one. Here's Kelly, Kelly KGA, and then hang on one second. Another chart I want to show you, Ms. Gaddy. Um, I have another tweet by someone with a following of a full 18,000 followers. This person put a chart from the CDC on Twitter. It's the CDC's own data, so it's accurate by your standards. And you all labeled this as misleading. You're not a doctor, right, Ms. Gaddy? No, I'm not. Okay. What makes you think you or anyone else of Twitter have the medical expertise to censor actual, accurate CDC data? Yeah, so that that questioning a lot of other reps picked up on. I thought that first time that she did it, she sort of started off was great. But people just kind of kept it going, and it was kind of repetitive, more rhetorical than any substantive stuff there. But Dr. K, Kelly K, who she, uh, she mentioned, she's been on my team for the last three years. Uh, she does nothing but cite the data. Same with Jay and Martin. I mean, Martin is renowned, renowned out of Harvard for his vaccine intimate details on, you know, how you identify vaccine adverse reactions. World renowned. And they, they basically quelled him too. And so, and there was no edict. There was no government intervention. This was basically their doing. And uh, frankly, from the conversations that we have from our side, lawsuits and from the FOIAs, it's obvious the government was prodding them in that direction. So much so that Facebook felt they needed to put the pressure off. So they offered the CDC $15 million in free advertising just to show that they were part of the good game here. I mean, if I were these social media companies, I would absolutely use this as my defense. We felt that pressure immensely, so much so we felt like we had to pay them off like a mobster. Exactly. So, so, this is Justin. Like this is such an easy defense that even if it's not completely true, it's just such a, an easy way out from all this drama. Just blame the FBI or blame whatever the CDC, and, and we're good to go. But Nick, go ahead. Well, Justin, did at any point that you heard, did they actually bring up the NIH or CDC or anything as to the the guidelines that they were enforcing uh, here in the in the hearing? Yes. No, I mean, that's that's the challenge is there, there's and, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, they should have delved into the CISA, all the stuff around, you know, the, the multiple agencies. Maybe they will get to it. But right now I'm looking on the, the, the day house there and there's there's just a skeleton crew of both uh, Republican and Democrats there to, to do these questions. So I'm a bit disappointed, too. Of course, you know, fair fair point here is that we've all lived and breathed this now for the last three years. And so it's uh we, we, we've probably forgotten more about uh, this sort of censorship than these folks know. I, and uh, that's the only defense I can think of. Do you mind if I ask the panel a question? Because so, I've, I've got a real curiosity about this, uh, the way these things are set up. It's, they all get about five minutes. Is that correct? Is it's the five minutes and then moves on to the, uh, the other part? For this session, yeah, that's the rule. Okay. When they're doing these five minutes, um, who set this up? Like, no serious person asks anybody five minutes worth of question and thinks that you're going to come out of anything. That's what uh, five minutes is like a, a short TV hit. And, and so that's soundbite material. And that's why we're getting these rhetorical questions that are just like, I got you. It plays for 12 seconds on my, my Twitter feed. And then I go and I raise money on it. But none of these things are, are serious, which goes back to Kim's point earlier. These are people that are just out there like they're doing a show. And I think I told your people this earlier, Mario, I don't have a lot of faith in it because this is for show. It's just to get, 
It's to get people to see the the thing they want to see. Look, I defended our friends or look, I attacked these enemies. And then, you know, there's no real outcome of it because serious people don't have five minutes worth of questions. They don't limit prosecutors on that in cross-examination or anything like that. So I, I don't know. It's just, it just feels like theater on so many levels. Yeah, I, I, I think this totally is, agree. Uh, uh, so th- this applies right? to this applies, Kyle uh, and uh, Brian will probably say the same thing I'm saying. It's like this applies to all hearings, congressional hearings. No, I get it. I'm just saying I want to know who little to no value. Exactly. And it's it, it's just it's just they, they say what the they they think voters would like to hear. They want to. They I, I promise you, they're probably thinking, what can I say to go viral? What is a catchphrase? What is something I can put him on the spot to go viral? Not can I ask him the right questions so I get to the to the bottom of things because that won't be entertaining. You know, I, like I if they do that, no one's going to share it. What I want to know. Is, well, uh, yeah, there that have point, been, there have that been point, uh, Mario, Mr. Kazar is speaking at this very moment in the hearing, and what the Democrats do in this hearing is just deflect and uh, talk about you know, other issues. And, and by saying that we should talk about uh, inflation, we should talk about housing prices, why are we even having a hearing about, uh, you know, censorship and integrity of uh, our elections uh, on social media? Like they're trying to, uh, the biggest example of that earlier was AOC, Right. Yeah. Who, who rose up in the ranks as an activist, was fighting for the people, uh, you know, who was against all of these intrusions into, you know, our private lives and what the deep state is doing to us. And now she's there defending exactly what they're doing and deflecting and saying, why are we even having a hearing about this and wasting taxpayer money on big tech censorship. You know, this is the problem, right? You have these young activist politicians rising up, getting into office because the people in their district and their in their electorate feel like, oh, wow, this is an outsider. This is a non-politician. This is someone uh, who really wants to help us. But once these new politicians get a taste of the sugar and how easy it is to make money in politics and how easy it is to open a foundation and have some billionaire donors chuck money in there so you can book the five-star hotels and fly in private jets, this is really what changes Every single politician that comes into the job, the exposure to this corruption, getting a taste of the sugar and then becoming part of this stupid game, which is so selfish uh, for them and not really representing the people. And that is what we're witnessing here. An AOC that just got into politics would have said at this hearing, why the hell do we have people from the FBI and the intelligence community uh, tell our media and tell our social media that they cannot report about a breaking news story that has implications uh, you know, on the, on the potential next U.S. president, like this Hunter Biden laptop story? But now look at her. She's completely sold out, and that is eventually the path of every activist uh, politician that comes into the ranks because, you know, people believed in them, but then they get a taste of the money and the corruption, and they become part of this corrupt machine. Kim, uh, before anyone jumps in, um, and Mike, I, I, I see Mike wanting to jump in, so I'll give you the mic in a bit, uh, Mr. Benz, but Justin, can you play 
uh, AOC's snippet. I sent it to you on WhatsApp just now. And I want you to play that. And, and while you prepare that, Justin, because you got the best mic here, uh, I do want to agree one thing. Kim, we had a space yesterday with Andrew Yang. And he made a really interesting point. He said, even good, I think you said in Joe Rogan podcast as well, even good people that come into the system, the political system, it's not going to be enough. The system itself is skewed. It's just so, but the, the incentives are so misaligned that even good people will just fall trapped. You know, we'll have to play the game. And we saw this again in this hearing. And, and this is why Ian, when I spoke with him, you weren't there, Kim, when I was talking uh, about Ian earlier. So I, j- I called Ian. And he's like, he was just pissed off on the call. I'm like, shit, man, you okay? I know you had a fever a couple of days ago. I'm like, you okay? He's like, yeah, man, but nothing's going to change. No one gives a shit. We're going to go back to censorship. Everything's just a waste. Like, he was just really frustrated by it. Um, Justin, did you have the? Did you get the clip that I sent you? Here we go. Yeah, please. So they've dragged a social media platform here in Congress. They're weaponizing the use of this committee so that they can do it again. A whole hearing about a 24-hour hiccup in a right-wing political operation. That is why we are here right now. And it is, it, it's just a, an abuse of public resources, an abuse of public time. We could be talking about health care. We could be talking about bringing down the cost of prescription drugs. We could be talking about abortion rights, civil rights, voting rights. But instead, we're talking about Hunter Biden's half-fake laptop story. I mean, this is an embarrassment. And how <laughs> disgusting is that? You know, to hear that from someone who was voted in as this activist fighter for the people, now basically uh, repeating the narrative of DNC leadership that is just trying to undermine this entire hearing and basically telling the world that this Hunter Biden story, which she calls half fake and none of it is fake, uh, you know, is, is, is a distraction from matters that really are important to the American people, right? So for her to, to expose herself like this as a charlatan, uh, I think anyone who's watching this can see what she's doing there. Right. And, and unfortunately, from a strategic perspective, Republicans made it somewhat easy for her to make that case because they artificially narrowed the scope of this scandal to just the New York Post hyperlink. When the fact is, Twitter actually altered the algorithms to stop citizens from talking to each other about the Hunter Biden story. So it wasn't just one news outlet impacted. It was tens of millions of Americans. And that's something that I thought was not laid out in the in the framing of it up front that made it somewhat easy for, for her to make that. If I can just say one thing, Mario, because I have to jump right now. So I, if I can just sort of make a, a closing statement on this around what was just uh, said about the nature of these hearings. If you go back and you look uh, historically, sometimes congressional committees really do change the trajectory of things. The the church committees, you can argue they were a whitewash or they only covered, you know, a, a, a quarter of the real story. But the fact is the church committee hearings really did set the stage for Jimmy Carter's presidency and put so much pressure on Jimmy Carter that he did the Saturday Night Massacre that laid off 30 percent of the CIA in a single night because the, the left-wing base was so animated about abuses that were uncovered over the course of that committee. But that committee was done not for retweets on Twitter and not for, uh, you know, not for, you know, amplification of, of you know, particular high-profile senators. If you, if you go back and you, and you watch segments of the church committee hearings, they, they were real questions, they were serious inquiries, and they were asked with the intention of getting answers. And a, the similar, a similar thing was done with the Iran-Contra hearings. If you go back and you watch the congressional committee hearings for Iran Counter, they were phenomenal. Uh, it's not 
Were they all, uh, Mike? Were they all? Uh, were they also five-minute segments each, or diff structured yes. differently? Yes. I mean, now, now the chairman, I believe, was able to. Now, remember, you can have sometimes you, you can have multiple. You know, you can have repeat exchanges, and then people yield time, and you know, it's it, the, the five minutes is structured uh, around party lines, and so you can yield time to your fellow folks on one side of the aisle if they're having a particularly juicy exchange. So there is a little bit of, you know, um, strategy in how, how time is allocated that way. But what I'm saying is, is there are hearings that do change history. It's not impossible, but you're asking a lot of folks and, you know, part of it is on us to continue to talk about these things and to be able to, to make it so compelling that it can't be ignored. Make, we need to create a situation where someone in a, a committee seat wants to be a hero to us and steps up and gets educated to the level they need to be because because it's so it's it's talked about at such an educated level that the that that high education level is the, is their baseline so we so we need to get them there it's not impossible this is the first of many they even call this part one so i also i share Kim's disappointment. Anyone who was here since the beginning of this space, the way I laid this all out was to say that this was a, a tremendously disappointing day. But also, Warren Buffett's you know uh, famous line was, "Success is is you know skipping from one disappointment to another with your chin up." So uh, uh, hopefully, that, say, uh, thanks a lot, Mike. I appreciate you jumping on, and we do we do have more clips because obviously the hearing is ongoing. So Nick, Jim, and I'm sure Justin will come up with a few clips. So hopefully that disappointment uh, that Mike, Kim, Kyle, and others have diminishes let's see what we have maybe nick you want to play with the one that carlos sent you and then we go to jim well no i want to ask brian a question first because uh, we were just talking about the thing with aoc where she came in and, and she said she called the hunter Biden i had the same question <laughs> I, yeah. I had the same question man yeah 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 so, i'll let you finish uh, it she, go ahead she, she came in and called the hunter biden laptop story half fake what about that was half fake because that doesn't seem to be a uh, something that even really the mainstream media is arguing Oh, Brian, I'll, I'll structure the question differently. My, I was going to ask you the, the following. Uh, what do you think of, of the clip that we played of, of AOC? Yeah, so, so I watched it, and, and I, don't, I didn't exactly agree with it. I, I think that calling it half-fake is a little bit misleading. There are some theories that every, every file on the laptop is not actually files from Hunter. Uh, that somebody infiltrated it and put put other documents on it or data on it. Whether that's true or not, we have no idea. So I, I think it was a bit irresponsible for her to say that. Can you point us to this ev evidence that you're referring to? Where can we find uh, so, no, no, so, so, so the cybersecurity experts said that the chain of custody was crazy. Like I think like like eight different people or six different people had access to the computer. Uh, it w it went missing for two do years you have uh, a, Brian do you have a link that you can pin on the top so that we can all see where you have that information yeah from? actually really yeah, yeah that would be great yeah Nick uh, if you could if Brian if you could do that it would be great if you could maybe DM it to Kim so, or pin so, it above so, so, so go, go while Nick plays clips go to Wikipedia and it, and it talks about the cyber security experts and it has all the links to to the stories covering that um, but but what, what I'm saying is I don't I don't know if that's true But that's that's a possibility, and I, I'm thinking that's what she is implying. Uh, and it, it's very possible that well, where I mean, on this Wikipedia laptop do went I missing. look for this, uh, Brian? Where on Wikipedia can I find this, please? Search for cybersecurity experts. Uh, I can, oh, Brian, I can, yeah, I think you guys, I don't know if you have each other blocked. To, 
Wait a minute, you want me to go to cybersecurity? Un- un- unblock me and I'll, I'll text it to you. I have a meeting literally in five minutes, but I will <laughs> happily text it to you. We'll get it. I'll, I'll make sure we get it. Yeah, Kim, I'll, I'll, I'll DM him. I've reviewed everything Could about just, the Hunter Biden laptops. There are no cybersecurity. I'll send it to Mario. Before, before there, Aaron, yeah, Brian. That evidence yeah, yeah, just Aaron, hold on. Into the files. It's just complete nonsense again from Brian. No, no. It, uh, so Nick, Nick, not... Brian, I'll get I'll get the links from you, Brian. I'll get him. I'll send yeah, him to Kim sure. and Aaron. I'll give you the mic in a bit. But Nick, uh, you open Pandora's box. Can you please? Uh, can we play some of the clips? Because I know the hearing's ongoing. I know Jim has a few clips as well for the audience. So do you want to play the one that Carlos sent the first one, and then we'll go through to Jim just to play a few clips, and then we'll go back to the panel. Sure. All right. Here we go. December of 2020, you did a declaration to the Federal Election Commission that the intelligence community expected a leak and a hack operation involving Hunter Biden. Recently, Mark Zuckerberg confirmed that the FBI warned Meta that there was a high effort of Russian propaganda, including language, including language specific enough to fit the Hunter laptop Biden security story. You're talking to these people for weeks and months, years prior to this leaking. They have specifically told you in October that there is going to be a leak potentially involving Hunter Biden's laptop. They legitimately and literally prophesized what happened. And you didn't contact any of them? No, sir, I did not. So that was Joel Roth. Uh, What was the – so the question is you did not contact any of them, any of who, Nick? You're muted. Yeah, um, not sure. I believe it was the, the federal election yeah, commission we'll that the ele- intelligence community expected a leak and a hack operation involving Hunter Biden. Recently, Mark Zuckerberg confirmed that the FBI warned Meta that there was a high effort of Russian propaganda, including language, spe- including language specific enough to fit the Hunter laptop Biden security story. You're talking to these people for weeks and months, years prior to this leaking. They have specifically told you in October that there is going to be a leak potentially involving Hunter Biden's laptop. They legitimately and literally prophesized what happened. And you didn't contact any of them? I don't know what they mean by contact. He's referring to his line of questioning isn't very great. So So I don't. Aaron, Aaron. Yeah, go ahead, Aaron. He's referring to the FBI agents and probably most specifically an agent in San Francisco named Elvis Chan. Uh, Chan is one of the people that we're deposing in, in our lawsuit on this issue. And, you know, essentially what what the Twitter files and documents from our lawsuit are suggesting, and I think this is where this line of questioning is coming from, is that the FBI uh, basically ran an intelligence operation on uh, Facebook and, and well, Meta and Twitter and the other social media companies, uh, th- th- there's a classic playbook for precisely this kind of operation of telling them that something is going to happen, um, knowing knowing that some piece of information may be leaked, uh, and then discrediting it before the leak, and so that when it actually happens, um, th- there is... P- there's a prior assumption of implausibility, which is exactly what happened with the Hunter Biden laptop story. And I, you know, I, I think the bigger issue is the issue of censorship. Like we could go down a million rabbit holes on Hunter Biden's laptop, right? But that's, and hopefully this congressional inquiry doesn't just focus on that. You know, you could debate endlessly, um, 
would it have changed the election if that story wasn't censored? And of course, people on the left and the right could go round and round in circles all day long in that question. But that's not really the central question. The central question isn't that hypothetically what might have happened, you know, this kind of counterfactual that is just a recipe for endless arguments. But uh, the censorship itself, uh, the government, in this case, uh, federal agencies ran a, a very sophisticated intelligence operation on social media companies to get them to censor a story. And actually, the truth and the falsity of that story are important, but for the purpose of the censorship argument, they're kind of beside the point. The point is, um, was this censorship occurring at the behest of the government? That's a constitutional violation. And as the previous speaker mentioned, um, the fact that it wasn't just focused on Hunter Biden laptop, but that there were millions of instances of just ordinary Americans being censored on social media. That's the story. But if, if you just focus on the 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 Hunter Biden laptop story, then it's immediately just a partisan dogfight. And uh, and I, I think that's that's a good way to, to kill this whole censorship issue is just to make it into a partisan dogfight about that particular story. Kyle? I could jump in. Oh, OK, let, yeah, let me, let me be very quick with. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, and, and I've got to I've got to Jake after. Sorry, Jake. I'll let you jump in right after Kyle. Go ahead, Kyle. Beautiful. Um, what Aaron just said about it being, a, you know, an FBI operation, it was obviously much bigger than that, which the Twitter files showed. But we all we've been able to see in, in other source documents as well that um, it's, you know, the intel community was working through the FBI as their point person, which is to say that a much larger thing was going on. It's also worth noting that there are kind of two things that could be going on when you do that. But the odds of them not reporting back like, hey, the thing you said happened and we're taking the action we talked about is basically none. Um, one of those things is when, when you have a source, you're running, and, and in a lot of ways, this is what was going on. We've talked about this a little bit. It looks like a source slash handler relationship. Um, you seed information that you know is going to come out in front of the source, and you've primed the source to prompt you when that thing comes out. And that is a validation that the source is operating under uh, the proper handling techniques, that you are actually handling that source the way that you want. And so what you can do is, is you go, look, this is coming, and then it happens, and then they go, they come and tell you, that's a validation. We actually have formal ways of doing that in the Bureau when you're trying to vet your sources to make sure that they are operating under the conditions that they are supposed to. So it's worth noting that that is one of those things. Like, And then also just like imagine your own personal life. If you, if you told somebody, one of your friends, like, hey, man, you're going to see this thing come down the road tomorrow and it's going to be crazy and you're never going to imagine. And then you see, you know, 65 people hanging off a trapeze on uh, on an interstate. Your friend's going to be like, man, I did see uh, 65 people on a trapeze. They're going to tell you because you prime them for that. There's not, there's not going to be uh, we're not going to go back and tell you what happened or that we saw the thing you did. It's just outside of human experience that that would be the case. So, but the problem is, as we mentioned earlier, there's literally no uh, possibility that any of these people are going to get jammed up for lying. The charge of lying to Congress doesn't happen unless you have, you know, an apparatus that's willing to go after it. And it just, that's just not the apparatus that we're looking at in Washington right now. So the consequences are, I don't remember, or we didn't do that, or not to my knowledge. And those basically have no consequences when you speak like that. Uh, because it's, you know, you're under oath only in name. And it sounds good for the cameras again. And once again, it's theater. Uh, Jake, jump in, man. Yeah. So I think what's important here is, you know, this Twitter space and broadly, you know, the online sphere really expected this to be a hearing on the Twitter files and the contents of the Twitter files 
Uh, but, you know, the, the added context here is important in that, you know, yesterday was the State of the Union and that this is all being framed around the Hunter Biden laptop story. And that's intentional. This is supposed to be kind of our response uh, to the State of the Union. It gives us some level of kind of look at what how bad Biden is, look at the kind of the origins of all this. And so we're losing sight of kind of the First Amendment issue here, the speech issue. And, you know, when you're we're wondering, why are we not asking these hard hitting questions that really cut to the core of the censorship, the tools that they use to deplatform these people? It's because we're trying to just make a political point here. And it keeps, keeps us in this kind of talking point loop that, you know, inevitably ends up with uh, partisan bickering. Uh, but we never hear, you know, AOC jump in and say, you know, was it a product of, you know, the, the Biden laptop story that these tools were created to censor, you know, uh, various users on the platform. We never hear, you know, uh, Congresswoman Green jump in and ask, you know, about the logistics behind the relationship of, uh, you know, the FBI and the Twitter staff. You know, the closest we got was probably Congressman Gosar's question on disappearing messages, right? This kind of informal aspect of the equation where uh, FBI and other uh, kind of agencies would put requests in signal chats, essentially, uh, that's, you know, subpoena proof. We can't go back and trace that. Uh, you know, that's the the aspect here we should be unpacking. And it shouldn't be these kind of uh, flashy moments that'll get you booked on maybe like Hannity, for instance. Um, it should be about, you know, giving people answers. Barbara, jump in and we've got some clips getting ready by Jim and Nick in the meantime. Yeah, great space. I feel like this is just amazing information, great conversation and uh, perfect takeaways. Um, AOC's comment really spoke more about her than anything in that it was such a deflection from what we're really talking about here, which is censorship. But she took it to, you know, Hunter Biden and saying that, you know, even like Brian just said, like, that's, you know, half truth. It's not the, the whole thing is a debacle. And I felt that, you know, she really showed her hands like, why are you deflecting from the fact that this is all about censorship? But here's my question that I want to ask. What is our what's our end game here? What do we hope? What is the best case scenario of our at our end game, our takeaways when this is all said and done. What are we hoping to get out of this? Um, you know, I could take this one. I, I, I don't know if anyone else has any hope. Um, I just don't I'm think. I'm with Ian. I'm with we'll, Ian. I, I don't have any hope, but <laughs> I just don't think it's going to be coming. Um, I just don't know what it will take. I think it'll just take for voters to care. I think just not enough people care about this, not enough people understand how serious this is. Maybe the censorship this time around wasn't as major as, as it could have been. Maybe it didn't have as much impact, you know, COVID is a different discussion, and we haven't seen the Fauci files yet. Uh, that could be the exception. But the, the files that we've seen so far, and, and Jim, I know you're going to be uh, playing the opening statements for us in a bit, but the files that we've seen so far, they haven't been that groundbreaking, the censorship, but they're a hint of what can be significantly worse. And there's so much power within a small number of companies. Uh, but I just don't think enough voters care. And if voters don't care, politicians don't care. They're just going to get a few snippets um, and, and try to get voters, you know, try to get voters excited to watch the clips on social media. And that's about it. So, uh, you know, that's my two cents. And I think Kyle would agree. Um, <laughs> yeah, Nick, I, I mean, personally, <laughs> uh, I'm hoping legislation is passed 
and you know the things are changed within the you know way our information is being disseminated remember we're only talking about twitter we have no access to what goes on at fox news cnn msnbc i mean this is just a small example of what is being suppressed and how we're being manipulated by the the censorship so that's why aoc pisses me off i'm like you don't understand you completely missed the boat and you're deflecting from the real issues at hand there's a good clip here did you receive 10 confidential files from the fbi agent the night before hunter biden's notebook story ran and mr roth goes yeah let me play this clip very quickly let me play it now mr roth did you receive 10 confidential documents from Special Let agent. me do it again. Hold on. Mr. Roth, did you receive 10 confidential documents from special agent for the FBI, Elvis Chan, the night before the Hunter Biden laptop story ran? Yes. And, and Kyle, is that the um, – Kyle, I don't know if you remember, but is that the uh, – when, when the FBI was kind of prepping Twitter for what's about to come and creating a, a scenario that they may have to deal with that ended up happening? Is, are they the files that they're referring to? I don't actually know. Um, I'll have to start digging on that. I didn't know that they were giving out confidential files. I know they did grant a couple of people clearances to kind of bring them into the fold. So we were reading about that. But, um, you know, the fact that they were, first of all, you got to figure out, like, this is a, a assistant special agent in charge. This is a GS-15. So he's got, you know, a dozen squads or a half dozen squads underneath him. All of them have 10 or 15 people that report up. So this guy's the boss of, like, maybe 50 to 100 people. Like, why is he personally going out and handling things? Like, this is what case agents are actually supposed to do. So it's just very interesting that you had a dude that was involved in, uh, that was at that sort of, you know, he's a mid-level manager in the bureau that is basically running source operations directly with these companies. It's just not common. It's just, it's really strange. And that's why people have told me there's the way that people do business and then there's the San Francisco way. And I don't have a lot of specifics of what that means, but they do things differently. It doesn't mean it's necessarily out of policy. It's just a little bit unusual. And so that's they, they play ball differently with big tech because there's a lot of power there. And, and we knew that was the case. Yeah, Kyle, so what would be a reason that there would be people at Twitter? You know, apparently Joel Roth didn't have a security clearance. I, I don't know. I could be wrong on that, but it seemed like he said he did not have a security clearance and he did not know who at Twitter had a security clearance. What would be the reasoning for that? Is it just so they can share, uh, quote unquote, confidential information to uh, to influence moderation policies or is that, is that something that's normal? It's not something that I'm familiar with previously. Now, if people had security clearances and we went into places and we did, you know, briefings or defensive briefings, usually if you wanted to go do something that was, so, so we do stuff like this all the time. Um, when you're working counterintelligence, there's a, a, you know, threat countries out there that you want to mitigate, right? They're taking actions in our country. We want to try to stop them. What you do is you find either unclassified sources to do it, you um, or you you find a way to talk around the situation so you're not specifically divulging the classified part. Because as I think we've talked about in these spaces, sometimes it's not the material that's classified uh, that that's so sensitive. It's actually the way the material was gotten. And so if you can get away with talking about it in a way that wouldn't reveal how it was it was discovered, it may not actually be classified at that point. The actual materials may be sourced somewhere else. But usually you can open source a lot of things. You can, you know, find some things in the news that have been out there or somebody has talked about or a politician has, you know, said a slip of the tongue and you can go like, look at this guy saying this is what we're really concerned about and so on. So, um, you know, but then I didn't know that there was a, a skiff at Perkins Coie either. So there's some really interesting things that we found out in the last couple of years that, uh, you know, people who have worked for the FBI for 25 years did not know was happening. 
And it, it just appears that some of this, you know, this inside baseball that gets done at the, at the upper levels of the, of the Bureau and, and, and the intelligence community at large is not playing by the rules. I found out today that, uh, that there's weird Chinese programs that may be on the, um, you know, the, some of the, the computer systems in the seventh floor skiff. And one of the guys who was doing the, the sensitive uh, sweeps for bugs in there was talking to me and he said, you know, they booted up all this, this Chinese characters on it. And, and they said, can you tell if this is spyware? And he was like, no, I'm a guy who looks for bugs. I'm a signals guy. I have no idea what that stuff is. And so, you know, why would that be on any of the computers? Cause you can't even upload outside technology. So there's just strange things that are coming out and they keep coming out and they're not making me feel any better about, you know, our senior executives in the, in the Intel community following the rules, the way that people on the ground do. Um, and I think it should concern everybody. I've got, I've got a quick clip to play. We, we talked a lot about the bias at Twitter. We'll listen to this clip. I think you're going to enjoy this one. Is your Roth getting questioned about his bias? Mr. Roth, do you personally think that you have a political bias, and did you have one when you worked at Twitter, a pl- personal political bias? No, sir. That's you didn't. You know, that's, that's remarkable because it's pretty obvious you did have strong biases. Compared, when you compared, ironically using Twitter, people that worked in the Trump White House to Nazis, they were good folks that you simply disagreed with politically in our representative republic, and you compared them to the most evil people on the planet that murdered 60 million people, or at least were responsible for those deaths. You think that was a little bit hyperbolic? Yes, I do. So that's uh, Yol initially stating, and I think he, he kind of takes it back, that he was not biased uh, at, uh, <laughs> at Twitter. And obviously that, that's something that we spotted uh, you know, we spotted that bias uh, at the beginning of the Twitter files. Um, so I'll, I'll find more clips that are worth me- uh, talking about uh, sure. that the team is sending me. But I'll give you the mic back, Nick. Okay, yeah. So, so Barbara, do you believe that someone that tweets something out about talking about quote-unquote literal Nazis in the, in the White House actually tweeted that as a public statement? He later became the head of trust and safety at Twitter, Yoel Roth. Is there any sort of way that we could trust that somebody like that would actually be able to moderate uh, in an unbiased manner, totally objectively, especially when it seems that he's getting pressure from uh, uh, the FBI and different federal organizations trying to suppress stories about an election? Barbara? Oh, no. I mean, I, I think it's ridiculous. But I don't really understand how they, uh, this part I'm just not educated on, is how they picked the people to do the, you know, ask the questions. I, that's what I'm missing in this conversation. How did they pick them? Anybody know? <laughs> so, so, Kim, I want to go back to you here. I don't know if you've watched any uh, of the, the subsequent hearings here. Uh, that we've, you know, we've gotten a lot more updated information here over the past, uh, about an hour now. Ah, nothing. Yeah. But yeah, nothing I'm, I'm, I'm watching right now. Yeah, and any, I'm anything, to, Kim? Anything yeah, interesting, I'm Kim? to Mr. Goldman, uh, who just now repeated the letter of the 51, um, you know, deep state chiefs that have all, uh, basically said this could be Russian disinformation. Now, here's the big problem that no one is talking about in this hearing, to my surprise. It is now known that the FBI had this laptop for almost a year before the New York Post story came out. They would have analyzed it. They would have looked at every single file. They would have had a clear understanding that this is a genuine 
a laptop with real data that hasn't been manipulated. So when these intelligence community chiefs put out that statement, they would have had knowledge of this FBI investigation because they all talk to each other. And the FBI would have told them that this is a legitimate laptop. This is real data. And this is going to become a problem for Joe Biden in this uh, upcoming election unless we do something about it. So they colluded to create the story of disinformation. There was nothing uh, at all uh, to suggest that. And the FBI had the data uh, for almost a year prior to the New York Post story. So, Kim, what I think do it's you worth think? noting that, the, Nick, do you mind if I, uh, it, it's worth yeah, noting sure, that these guys, I think a number of them still have their security clearances, uh, which is, you know, kind of gives them some of the credibility that they can go out and, and make talking points. And I'm not saying that, that, um, you know, if you're wrong one time or if you say something, but but having a lot of people come together to make a joint statement and they're essentially leaning on their credentials to say that that's how we know this is true, um, you know, and it's misleading. And, you know, it's not illegal to say things that are wrong and it's not illegal to say things that um, are are blatantly false and, and under any circumstances. But if you're in a position of federal trust and uh, you're allowed to access documents or obtain jobs based on that or if you're using that for credibility, it doesn't seem like something you should be holding on to. And uh, and it's interesting that that has not been like a publicly a publicly uh, revoked status for these guys. So, so Kim, what do you think that the federal government would be able to do? Is there anything they can do to crack down on this uh, and and sort of limit censorship at uh, because we know the same thing is is happening at Facebook. We just don't have as much, you know, obviously there are no Facebook files for the most part that have been released detailing this kind of thing. Is there anything that the U.S. government well, can actually do about this? Here's, here's the problem, Nick. Either party, when they are in power, love censorship. You know, this is not a problem of left or the right. Both parties want censorship, but only when they are in power. So to push hard against censorship for the Republicans is counter, uh, counterproductive because they know and hope one day they will be back in the White House, and they then they want to do the same things that Democrats are doing. That's the big problem, you know. Obviously, once you are in power, you want to maintain that power, and in order to achieve that, uh, you need to make sure that stories that are negative for you or, you know, secrets leaking that are problematic for your government uh, don't make it uh, to the public, you know. So we're really dealing with a political class that secretly wants the censorship and loves the censorship and needs it and and uh, and will fight for it but on the other hand they also have the scandal that they now to deal have to deal with because people are asking questions why is the media lying to us why is big tech censoring us why are people uh, being shadow banned uh, you know why why does truth not matter anymore and it's literally like what, me watching this hearing is so disappointing because it all just looks like no one has any interest in changing this. Right. So, so Kim, I don't know. I mean, you have been following the Twitter files super closely from day one. Is this the first you have heard about, because uh, there, uh, there was that accusation that AOC made about the Trump White House trying to influence, uh, you know, moderation decisions when it came to personal insults that were thrown at Donald Trump. Uh, in this case by Chrissy Teigen. 
is this the first you've heard of that? Is that something new? Were, the, were those involved in the Twitter files at all? Well, here's the thing. That's exactly what I just said, right? The, 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 the political party that is in power at the time will always try and, uh, you know, skew reality in their favor. So censorship is definitely a tool to achieve that. And I have no doubt that Trump and his people would have made approaches about stuff that they didn't like. But the DNC has really taken this political warfare to a new level where they are now involving and uh, utilizing and politicizing the law enforcement and the intelligence community uh, to, you know, change uh, the the course of reality by uh, censoring all of the material that they don't like. And the most appalling use of that has been during the COVID uh, pandemic. The way that voices uh, that were opposing mandates and measures and vaccines without being trialed and tested have been treated is unbelievable and un- unprecedented in the history. You know, and for the for the Democratic Party to have allowed things to escalate to this level and to install their weaponized law enforcement people directly into big tech and the media to make sure that they have, you know, these direct representatives of their narratives sitting in the centers uh, of, of news and social media. That is new and that is something that uh, we need to fight against. And this is what this hearing should be all about. But I'm hearing nothing about that, you know, that the, 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 the bigger issue is really that democracy dies with censorship. And these people sitting there in this hearing asking these questions are not really getting to the bottom of that. Uh, so I'm just going to play another clip here. And I know Jim's got some clips too. But this is – like I actually want to give a play devil's advocate here. One thing I want to give credit to is that this hearing will at least bring attention, more attention to the Twitter files. And maybe now mainstream media will cover them. Let's just see what happens after. Let's just see the reaction, the response. But like, for example, this clip. Listen to this clip, and, and I'll, I'll tell you what, what value I see here. Why does the Iranian leader who has explicitly pledged to eradicate the Jewish state of Israel get to remain on Twitter? Mr. Roth. Like all of Twitter's users, the Ayatollah is subject to the same set of rules. And while I can't speak for Twitter's decisions today... I can say that Twitter took a number of enforcement actions against the Ayatollah's account the same way that we would against... That's still us. You understand how hypocritical this is, right? You banned a sitting U.S. president and a sitting member of Congress, Marjorie Taylor Greene, while a man who's pledged death to America and can openly call for the death of millions of Jewish people and yet not be removed from Twitter. Do you understand how that looks? How hypocritical that is. I'm asking uh, Mr. Baker, Ms. Gaddy, uh, Mr. Roth, Ms. Navarro. That's amazing. But it shows the hypocrisy at Twitter. I'm going to pivot here, Mr. Yeah, Chairman. so essentially, like the value I see here, and I'll go to Jim now, but the value I see here is that, look, at least they're bringing attention to it. Um, you know, if that process continues, Maybe in six months, 12 months from now, voters will care significantly more in time for the election and that becomes a hot topic issue. I don't think that will be the case, 
but it's 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 part of the process. So these are nice snippets for the media to come up with a good story. In my opinion, I could be I could be completely wrong here. Jim, any other good snippets to play for us? Uh, and what are your thoughts so far? I know you're following the hearing very closely. Yeah, I'm 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 pulling some stuff That's up. Enough. You hear me? Okay. Oh, you hear me? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Nick started yeah. talking. I couldn't tell. So anyway, yeah, I do have um, some stuff, and uh, I'm just pulling it up right now, but. James, on the hearing, um, we're starting to get into a little bit more meat relevant to what, uh, you know, some of us have been complaining hasn't been there up to this point. But um, uh, James Baker is asserting attorney-client privilege in his, in this. And I, I just want to play these clips. I'm going to make sure it's loud enough and people can hear. Hold on just a moment here. Hold on. Give me a second. Sure, I'll just bring up Nick in the meantime. Yeah. Oh goodness, I'm I'm having some technical here. Hold on. All right, I'll let yeah, you figure ahead. it out and then come back to us. See, um, but yeah, so so to, Kim, what do you think of the argument I made? Do you think that the attention this could bring to it, maybe mainstream media starts paying attention to the Twitter files a bit more, or you don't think that will happen? Well, they should have paid attention to it when it was. Um all over Twitter, and they didn't. You know, the only thing that they paid attention to is that a billionaire, uh, in their words, hired some journalists to tell his story, you know? And that is just completely misleading. It totally undermines the quality of uh, these releases. So, you know, just like in this hearing, people are not going to get uh, to the bottom of this in uh, the media as well. I don't know. I just think that having hearings on the story um, is, you know, a better story story to report than than Elon Musk, which a lot of the media don't like in the first place. But Mario, yeah, Mario, independent journalists. I had hopes that Jim Jordan is going to put together a really good uh, strategy for this hearing. That they have, you know, uh, you know, really impactful questions. And unfortunately, it's not the case. Like I said, you know, I, I listened to the first uh, half of it and was just completely disappointed about the lack of sophistication in the questioning. And there's so much material to work with. And they've just really lost um, an opportunity here. Now, what this means for Elon is also quite important. You know, he's taken a big risk a personal risk and also risk to his business to become uh, an activist for free speech and to put all of this stuff out there and for him to see how weak the result is of these releases when I'm sure he would have expected people to be up in arms and complaining and protesting and saying there needs to be change, you know, for him to witness how this has turned into a nothing burger in a congressional hearing must be very frustrating, but also educational to him. I think it will deter him from doing this in the future because he has the realization now that nothing will come from it. I just, Jim, you've got the clips ready. Hey, go ahead, Barbara, and, and then Jim I, will get you the know, clips ready in the meantime. Just to tack on to what Kim and you were talking about, I believe the news outlets are not picking these stories up, which is fascinating to me. But I think it the fact that they're not picking up says more than if they were to pick it up. 
because they know that they that it also implies that they also have suppressed information that they should have shared. And I bet you where there's smoke, there's fire. So we have to understand that these are just two or three stories, the Hunter Biden, the the COVID vaccines that we're talking that have been suppressed. Can you imagine how much, much other stuff is going under the radar? I just wanted to throw that out there as far as mainstream media picking this stuff up. They're just not gonna. Yeah, uh, we're going to play a few more clips and then I think we're just going to, I don't think there's much value in, in going on, Kim. Like, it's just crazy that this whole hearing has less value than one drop by one journalist. It's just fascinating to see. And I, I think a lot of people are criticizing. And I don't want to sit there, he just, you know, praising and praising and praising Elon. But it's hard not to when you have the the the, the amount of attention one drop, the amount of value one drop has significantly more than this entire hearing by all these different lawmakers. Um so it's you know uh, it's, you know who are the winners you know who are the winners today in this hearing the FBI no it's the people who are being questioned like Roth he would have come to this hearing extremely nervous worried about what he's facing the grilling that he will get and now he's sitting there and he gets these milky questions that really don't even put him on the spot and he will be leaving this hearing today going, holy shit, what did I prepare myself for so hard? This was the easiest fucking shit show ever. And I got out of it unscathed. And that is really the big problem here. Because what he has done in cooperation with the deep state, with the FBI, with the CIA, with these intelligence people, is he's completely changed the landscape of truth in the United States. He, uh, he is an offender to the Constitution and to democracy, and that did not come out in this hearing so far. I mean, it's still going on, but my hopes are not high that uh, he's actually going to get any heat. He will walk away from this tonight and have a dinner and be like, holy shit, thank God that I got out of this so easy. Um, so, so here there's uh, – this one is relevant to what you said, Kim. So I just got that clip, um, and that's in, 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 talking about the FBI warnings of Russian disinformation, and this is questioning Yol. And uh, Twitter executives did not seek to find out if the Hunter Biden laptop um, – if the Hunter Biden laptop – I don't know what Michael's talking here, but let me play out the clip. Uh, that's from Michael Schellenberger's thread. I'll do it now. It's a long clip, but I think it's worth listening to. I'm going to do it now. And you had multiple former FBI agents on the payroll. I mean, Mr. Baker, you have 10 years experience with FBI DOJ? I was, well, with DOJ, it's uh, two decades roughly. But I was just, for the record, I was never an FBI agent. Okay. Yeah. And Twitter has such a close relationship with at least one FBI agent that that agent could start emails with, hey, Twitter folks, and could actually advise your company about violations of your own terms of service. Mr. Roth, I think it's safe to say that you had a consistent dialogue with the FBI for the weeks and months prior to the New York Post. Is that fair? I had ongoing conversations with the FBI for years, I would say, about election security. And in response to Mr. Fry earlier, you said you would not categorize the FBI communications as pressure. No, I would not. 
However, Twitter's director of policy wrote to you in 2020 that Twitter has seen a sustained effort by the intelligence community to push Twitter and that Twitter should keep a solid front against these efforts. He specifically cited Elvis Chain, an FBI agent in San Francisco. Now, on August 11, 2020, Agent Chan sent you three documents in prep for a meeting and said the documents pertain to APT-28, a hacking unit connected with Russian military intelligence. Agent Chan arranged for having security clearance for Mr. Baker and facilitated encrypted networks for the FBI to share information with Twitter employees. And on October 14th of 2020, you stated that this feels a lot like somewhat of a subtle leak operation. Earlier today, you testified that you were following national experts experts on Twitter, national security experts on Twitter, as a reason to take down the New York Post story on Hunter Biden's laptop. Yes, sir, I did. So... After 2016, you set up all these teams to deal with Russian interference, foreign interference. You're having regular meetings with the FBI. You have connections with all of these different government agencies, and you didn't reach out to them once? Is that question in reference to the day of the New York Post article? That's right. We generally did not reach out to the FBI to consult on content moderation decisions, especially where they related to domestic activity. It's not that we wouldn't have liked that information. What a lie. It's that I don't believe it would have been appropriate for us to consult with the FBI. In December of 2020, you did a declaration to the Federal Election Commission that the intelligence community expected a leak and a hack operation involving Hunter Biden. Recently, Mark Zuckerberg confirmed that the FBI warned Meta that there was a high effort of Russian propaganda, including language specific enough to fit the Hunter laptop Biden security story. You're talking to these people for weeks and months, years prior to this leaking. They have specifically told you in October that there's going to be a leak potentially involving Hunter Biden's laptop. They legitimately and literally prophesized what happened. And you didn't contact any of them? No, sir, I did not. Did they reach out to you? Yeah, it just goes on for another few seconds like this. It's just... By the way, the feedback sound and the rubbing on the mic is not from my end. It's from the hearing itself. Um, but, yeah, it's just, you know, we know the story. Just the questions, uh, 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 it just doesn't – it just doesn't – they're just missing the entire point um, of the story and asking, hey, you know, they've Mario, you about I, I, I have been cross-examined uh, over the last 11 years probably, you know, a couple dozen times. If I would have had a single – cross-examination that was this milky, uh, you know, I, 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 I would have had a happy day afterwards, right? Um, so what's happening there, uh, the, the questioning that Roth is receiving uh, is letting him off the hook too easy, you know? Like, he gets away uh, with non-answers, with, uh, you know, saying stuff like, we can't recall, like, uh, the lead uh, counsel of, of Twitter, the former lead counsel. Uh, they're just well-trained, well-coached by their lawyers how to answer these questions. And the questions themselves are so soft that there is really nothing uh, to worry about for him. And like I said, after this hearing, he's going to go to dinner and celebrate well, and, and, you know, by the way, there's one other thing, and I have three clips, and they're about a minute each, but uh, there's something else that uh, the members of this committee, Republicans, could have done. They could have, you know, made a call to Elon Musk to say, uh, can you release 
attorney-client privilege? Because James Baker is asserting that. I want to play these. I'll do them one by one, and we can comment on each of them. But th- this is another thing, Kim, that's very frustrating to me, especially having worked in Congress and stuff. Let me just play this real quick. Mr. Baker, although you're testified today by... Uh, it's pausing on me. What's it doing? Congress does not recognize the common law attorney-client privilege. Now, with that, I'm going to allow Mr. Jordan to, to ask the question again. Well, there's there's been two questions I've asked that he's refused to answer. So let me, if, if I could, Mr. Chairman, I'll, I'll ask both again. I'll go back to the one asked a couple minutes ago. Top of page two of your testimony, you said, quote, I did not destroy or improperly suppress any documents at Twitter regarding information important to the public dialogue. I would like to know what what you're referring to that you, in your mind, properly suppressed and when that took place, specifically if it took place during the time that the Twitter files were first being released just a few months ago. Again, sir, um, as I think we've notified the committee and we've had these conversations with Twitter as well to try to resolve this issue prior to coming up here today, I don't have anything in writing that clears me in my ethical responsibilities to my former client with respect to answering questions that I think fall squarely within the attorney-client privilege. So, unfortunately, I don't think I can go beyond what I've said there already, sir. So, so what what I'm taking from this, and I don't know how well you heard, well you heard that, but like this would have been a very simple thing to get taken care of with. Uh, with Elon and the folks at Twitter right now is to say, Oh no, he's welcome to talk. Let him, let him answer for that. I mean, and this is, this is the kind of preparation thing that, that makes this very frustrating because now he can assert attorney client privilege and not worry about the, the consequences, but no one's forcing him to have to say anything. And, and that, that's a preparation aspect of this. That's very frustrating. The only other thing I'd add to that quickly is this is James Comer's, hearing not uh jim jordan's who he's on this committee but he's he heads the judiciary so we'll you know if they get a shot like this again and you needed a good one out the gate but assuming they get a good shot again maybe it'll be a little bit more preparation but jim could have prepared for that right here and it just didn't happen so so jim just let me ask you real quick are you saying that uh, mr baker had invoked attorney client privilege when it comes to uh, these statements here? Yeah, the question was related specifically this way. You know, you 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 uh, were censoring or shutting down certain things on there, uh, and he was asking him aspects about uh, why that happened, uh, when it happened, for what reasons, and Jim Baker, James Baker is saying, yeah, you know, I can't tell you because it's under attorney-client privilege and I have nothing written from uh, from uh, Twitter that allows me to uh, violate that. Well, you know, the easy thing to do. Well, more, more, more importantly, Jim, yeah. he has, Baker has admitted that he uh, manipulated the data. Uh, he said, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't remember the exact word he used, but he said, you know, uh, uh, something that may not be in the public interest. Uh, so, with the wording he used, he has admitted that he manipulated uh, data before it was released to the journalists writing about Twitter files. And then he refused to answer any quest- questions about this. 
asserting, um, you know, uh, legal counsel uh, privilege. And that in itself says a lot. You know, the fact that he is not uh, willing to answer these questions, what materials he has actually manipulated and censored and made sure were not given to the journalists and maybe erased permanently from the Twitter record. Well, and even worse, Kim, I'll tell you what really frustrates me is you make the call to Elon, he'd take it, he knows these hearings are coming up, and say, Elon, we're anticipating, because you, you should anticipate this, we're anticipating James, James Baker may assert attorney-client privilege. Can you give us a document that says, no, I, I release him, and then just hold the thing up right there in the hearing, and then let him go and try to say, well, you know, yeah, I, Elon says I can now, but, you know, i got to get permission from Jack Dorsey or whoever from the previous administration, and then you make him look like a fool and that he's prevaricating even more. That didn't even happen. These are the things that make these hearings really impactful when you, when you have this uh, visual demonstration of people that are trying to hide information. Yeah, it's a council. They need a they need someone with prosecutorial experience who actually wants to get to the bottom of this and also knows everything that is in the Twitter files. I have a feeling from some of the questions there that uh, not much attention has been paid to, you know, what was actually released. I mean, they're re- literally just focusing on some tidbits that are all pretty much on the surface. Where are the hard-pressing questions about the involvement of, uh, you know, the FBI and the revolving door with Twitter and, uh, you know, the hard-pressing questions about how Twitter has been manipulated by Baker? Because uh, Elon Musk fired him for a reason. Number one, uh, you know, he didn't disclose his... uh, uh, his involvement with the re- uh, with the removing of some of that content, and uh, you know when when he was asked what the hell is going on, uh, it turns out that uh, you know he didn't even provide any answers because he knew he is now in a in, in a trap. He's a, he's trapped himself in a situation where you know legal action could be taken against him for destroying data that uh, he did that didn't belong well and he even tried to characterize in another and i'll pull it up and maybe bring it in a minute if we're still going but uh tried to say yeah you know now i didn't quite work with the fbi it was which is bullcrap and uh but he does admit working for doj for 20 years but you know this is what's really crazy about this these people are lying in the face of congress and you've got congressmen here that are not uh, showing the lie for what it is. We have seen in the past, particularly with Jim Jordan, who I, I mean, I consider a friend, and, and this is very frustrating. But but Jim Jordan has been pretty good about that in the past. And I'm I'm flabbergasted by the fact that, particularly with James Baker, like Joel Ross, bad enough, but James Baker is a key player here. He is perfectly doing the intelligence officer, aw shucks thing, sitting there at that table, and he should be made to answer questions that are that are demanded of him. And they're not doing this. And again, just have the paper. Well, I just, I don't know what you're talking about because I got a paper right here from Elon Musk that says James Baker may say anything and should, an- and I'm directing him as our former attorney to answer things. I mean, that, that's the kind of stuff that you need that they've just totally missed here and it's frustrating. 
Yeah, yeah I, I agree with both well, you and Kim in that, that I, I think that Congress, I think on both sides, they're doing a poor job asking questions to kind of get to the bottom of things. And, and while you guys think that it's more nefarious uh, towards the FBI, I think that they should be asking questions to make it so that we know the truth that might might make it so it doesn't look as bad for the FBI. So I, I think both sides are doing kind of a poor job here with questioning. Yeah, so, so to Kim's point, before we go to name redacted real quick, uh, I, I, I do want to hit on his point a little bit that he uh, that uh, the House Judi- or I'm sorry, House Oversight Committee did have the option actually to bring in a prosecutor to ask these sort of questions. That may have been a good idea. Maybe this would have gone a little bit better. You remember uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee back when Brett Kavanaugh was being. Nick, uh, can I ask you know, a question? Yeah, do you mind yeah, if yeah, I ask fine. you a question? Um, yeah, so my my question is, I'm just um, curious, like, are they able to include the people in the hearing who are the people making the requests, like the FBI um, and, and you know, the White House, wh- whoever was making these requests, or are they only able to, you know, have the Twitter people, uh, yeah, representatives? Yeah, well, uh, ostensibly, see, uh, the, the Congress has uh, constitutionally, and this has been well established through... Uh, legal precedent for some decades now that Congress has oversight authority over the administrative branch. So ostensibly what they should be doing is, is issuing subpoenas to administrative officials to do the very thing you're talking about, Catherine. So yes, they do have authority to do that. Now, what, what you get is a tension with the administration if they're not willing to do it to say, well, no, this is executive privilege, blah, blah, blah. And they'll, they'll put that up and then you get this back and forth. But again, that's. So do we know if they've done that? If they've to, attempted to do that and, and have been blocked, they, you know, we, just don't, yeah. know. we don't know we, that we, we don't, yeah. we, we don't, we don't know they would have done that, but it is worth mentioning that, you know, that's, that there is sort of a precedent for that. They do do that a lot. Uh, but I think it would have been very telling if they were to have come in and uh, and exercise executive privilege yeah. on this particular so, topic. But, but that's the thing. We don't know that that's happened yet. So to answer your question directly, Catherine, no, we have no evidence that they've done that. There might be discussions happening behind the scenes that we haven't seen yet, but we but typically that would be in the public. So, no, I don't even think they've done that yet, And which goes to the point of all that Kim is talking about. And I think Kim and I are in, in – agreement on this the frustrating thing is that even though there were a couple mild okay hits that that clarified things today that there really is not evidence of a well-constructed approach and and what i've been talking about is you know they needed to do these hearings in multiple steps and, and they needed to know where they were going this is why you want a prosecutor to help you with this i have no idea who that would be with them but you do one thing in this hearing and you lay it out there and you ask the tough questions and you don't go far, uh, go all the way down the road. Then the next hearing, you start bringing up more things that this kind of process is what you do in a prosecutorial thing. And they're not doing that. It's very frustrating. Yeah. So, so let's bring in name redacted here. I know you've been paying very close attention to this hearing. Uh, I just want your general overview of what you've heard so far, if it's been effective, if we've learned anything. Uh, thank you. So, uh, first off, uh, Jim Jordan, just I dropped it up top. They just sent a letter to the uh, DOJ, looks like, uh, to produce all the documents that are uh, that have been released to the state in the uh, Missouri v. Biden case. And that's very important 
That's all the communications between the government and big tech that they have. So that just came out like five minutes ago. Uh, secondly, uh, on the hearings today, I don't, I, I didn't expect much because they're talking to, it's the oversight committee. It's not Jim Jordan's weaponization committee. And they're just talking to former employees um, at Twitter. So they're not really going to get much. They're going to get a lot of, uh, I don't recall and things like that. And especially with Jim Baker up there, you know, he's going to do his executive privilege or, you know, client privilege and just sort of dodge all these questions, which he's been doing most of the day. Um, so I don't, you know, the one revealing thing that I got so far from the uh, hearing, which lines up with things I've done, uh, is that Yoel Roth two times again has confirmed uh, a congressman asked him a question of, did you feel pressured by the FBI, this and that? And two times, both times, Yoel Roth said that he wouldn't use the word pressure and that they did not feel pressured. And that exactly lines up and confirms with the things I've found that Twitter, Facebook, and Google were working in partnership with the government and the law enforcement agencies. There was no pressure put on them. They were willing participants in this scandal. And it is a bigger scandal, and it's not just the FBI. And I wrote a long thread about it a couple days ago, and it goes all the way to the top of the ODNI uh, and a subgroup within the ODNI that was collecting bulk intelligence, passing it along to CISA, and then CISA having these meetings with social media and the rest of the intel agencies and using that and outside groups, the election integrity partnership to censor what they deemed as misinformation and disinformation. Hey, so name redacted, let me ask you this question real quick. Can you, you were talking about your experience and for the audience members that don't know, uh, what is this experience that you're referring to? What is your experience? What's your what background? do you mean experience? What's, what's uh, I don't want to discuss my personal life. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> hey, so <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty good at investigating and researching stuff. So I put my thread I just did. It's got all the receipts, uh, videos from uh, a guy named Bill Evanina. He was nominated by Trump and confirmed by the Senate. He's a director of an agency within the ODNI called National Cyber Intelligence Security Agency, uh, NCSC. Um, and he's literally on video bragging about how they would collect intelligence, pass it to CISA, and then they would go to social media to, quote, take stuff down. It's, it's an in-depth thread. It's about 20 tweets, but it's got all of this guy on video, you know, admitting to all this stuff. Um, I sent it to you, Kim. I know you would find that interesting. Jim, you've read it and Mario and Nick, I think, but you know, it's a, it's a so, much bigger scandal than Twitter files. We're getting good information through Twitter files as far as the actual emails between the FBI and Twitter for the actual accounts and what they wanted censored. But if you take a step back and look at who was in charge of this, it's the very top of the intelligence community that was bulk collecting Intel funneling it to CISA and the DHS, and then it would get farmed to social media again. You know, and okay, Jim, you were trying to jump in. Yeah. Um, and and uh, the, the one thing that always to keep in mind, and uh, I have read uh, Name Redacted's uh, thread, everyone does need to look at it. The one thing that Kyle Benz brings up, which I think is an appropriate point, is that you always have to look at 
the government nexus. What is government actually doing? Now, I do believe that um, uh, Name Redacted's uh, uh, thread there, again, which everyone should read, does a decent job of showing that nexus, although there's more. Uh, Jim, I think your mic is going out. I don't know if it's me or if it's you. Uh, I don't I know. Can I can hear him. A... Okay. So, yeah. Okay. So anyway, so, um, so we always want to, we always want to be able to work towards that. What I want, I want to play one more clip though, because I think that this was the opportunity that Jim Jordan would have had to hold up the paper, like I described earlier. And I want you to see specifically what he was asking Jim Baker for. Here's this uh, clip just real quick, just about a minute long. Thank you very much. Hold on just a moment. Here we go. I'm sorry, sir. Could you repeat the question? Again, going on what you, your written testimony. So you did suppress documents at Twitter regarding information that was important to the public dialogue. That's a yes or no. Hold on. I'm going to answer the question with the following sentence, which is right after that. At all times, I sought to help my client understand and comply with his legal, legal obligations. Gentlemen's time's expired. Yeah, so so here's the deal, guys. I mean, uh, he's he, he's he's being evasive. He's working hard to not answer for the reason that he was fired by Elon Musk, which is that he was trying to suppress documents that would reveal more damning information. But I, I think, and I think Kim, I'm curious Kim's thoughts on that too. But I, I think we already know. And we've seen in the Twitter files, and no one's going back to the Twitter files, even though this is the Twitter files hearing. Uh, we, we, we know from the Twitter files that there was government interaction. And we're allowing these guys in this hearing to get by with not having to answer that question, which I think we all know right now is very clear with everything that's been dumped out there. Jim, I think they're going to get more through discovery of the actual communications and documents because Jim Baker's not going to go up there and say a word, you know. I, one would hope. Yeah, so, so, so what, what would you expect to see through discovery? I mean, I guess we're talking about going through emails. We're going through, I mean, obviously a lot of journalists are doing that right now. But uh, what else would we expect to see? Because isn't that, isn't that the whole purpose of the access that Elon Musk is giving these journalists? Guys, let me, let me just reveal <clears throat> something to you that uh, very few people know. How did Baker even get to Twitter? Baker was a recommendation by Alex Spiro, who is Elon Musk's uh, lawyer from Quinn Emanuel. And Alex Spiro was sitting on the board of Hunter Biden's company. So he has a relationship with Hunter Biden. There's a clear conflict of interest. And he recommended Baker to this position of uh, legal counsel at Twitter. Um, you know, to see the connection there, that there is a clear bias, uh, you know, for the Biden family when you appoint someone like this through a recommendation from someone who has literally been uh, a friend of Biden, a business partner of Biden, and even his lawyer, I believe, uh, in the past, you know, it tells you a lot about the biases and the mindset of the people that were working there. And of course, Baker has done everything he can to undermine Twitter files and uh, to make sure 
that some of the important documents that we may never know what they were do not make it into the public domain. And he's done that, sacrificing his job at Twitter, fully knowing that when this comes out, he's done there because he knows he can always go back to any organization uh, that, you know, Biden rules over with his current administration for having done the sacrifice, he will be greatly rewarded. So just watch where Baker will be in a year from now. Just want to respond to Kim. Um, So Kim, um, you say that Baker has, has done everything he can in his power to sort of undermine and uh, the Twitter files and so on, uh, because he knows that he'll be rewarded. I mean, it's true that he may be safe, but, but what is the specific things that you say that, and, and what is the evidence for it that he has done to undermine it beyond, well, you know, the potential conflict of interest? Yeah, he's just admitted it in the hearing. So the question was put to him, what information he manipulated or erased that he thought was not in the public interest. And he replied by saying he he did what he had to do to protect his client without providing any kind of background and then pushed on these questions. He says he is asserting uh, his legal privilege with his client. So, you know, by by answering the questions in that way, he's clearly admitted that uh, deletions did take place, but he doesn't want to reveal what they were and why. Well, well, so, so my understanding is that he's the attorney, he was, was the attorney for Twitter. So he has to make sure that information doesn't get out that could come back and have somebody sue Twitter over. So there could be private information that, that somebody could sue them over. So I, I mean, just removing information that's available for the Twitter files wouldn't necessarily be some nefarious reason where where he's trying to cover something up. Yeah, if you were right, Elon Musk wouldn't have fired him for what he did. Well, no, so, but, um, it, it, I, guess, it, I guess it's pretty clear. So, so I mean, every move Elon does it. isn't because he's right. I mean, I mean, that's just your opinion. Also, Elon might not trust him, right? Which is fair, right? Um, and he might remove him just for that very reason, which is fine. But but it doesn't mean that he specifically found wrongdoings. But I do agree that the way that he answered the question is is a, does make it a little bit suspicious. But it doesn't provide conclusive evidence, though. You know how how would we get it? I I do not know that we can at this point. Hey Mario and Nick, so, sorry to jump in, but I have to hop. Sure. Do you guys have any more questions okay. for me? Before I go, uh, no, I'm, uh, I'll, I'll ask the audience if any more. We'll get more questions from the audience, man, and we'll let you know if we do have any. Yeah. I, I'm sure. Well, so what, what we're going to try to do, I just want to let everybody know, we're probably going to have at some point a follow up space to this because we're going to try to have on uh, actual uh, congressional uh, members of this committee, of the House Oversight Committee, that have been asking questions today. So hopefully we'll be able to have them on today or, or I'm sorry, tomorrow or Friday. And uh, and then we, I think that'll be a, a really great discussion. But Grant, oh, we could do it. Back. Oh, we could do it when 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 the next there's the next Twitter files drop. Um, we'll be good to get them then because there's just not much sure. to discuss. To be honest, there's just this is as I said, I was going through the clips now while you were moderating the room, and I just can't find anything else interesting. So uh, you know, sorry, Kim. You know, <laughs> this is more disappointing crap. <laughs> Hey, go ahead, Nick. I'll, I'll go back through the we'll clips. Figure it out. To be honest, I'm even more sorry for Elon 
you know, because he's put a lot on the line. He's now a target of the Biden administration. You can be sure that this guy will face consequences for having exposed the truth about the censorship at Twitter. And, of course, uh, in ex- by extension, in other big tech companies that have all done the same thing. Um, you know, I'm sorry for him because this hearing today could have been his uh, his cover, his protection, you know, someone having his back for the risk that he's taken. And unfortunately, he will walk away after watching this and saying, holy shit, what a clusterfuck. This has achieved absolutely nothing. And I've put my ass on the line for what? Is there a liability for Elon, even though obviously he wasn't involved in any of this, but as the new owner, does he take on any of the liability? I wonder if we have any insight into this. That's a great question. Um, I don't know. The, 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 that, was, that was discussed in previous, um, previous spaces. Um, Twitter's Twitter. Uh, you mean Elon on a personal level, or you mean Elon? No, Elon's Elon is the owner of Twitter. Yeah, is the new owner. Yeah, not him. On, yeah, not him on a personal level. But yeah, Twitter itself could face legal action, which obviously is not what Elon wants. But I'm sure he's had yeah. attorneys look at that before an important observation <clears throat> about what's happening here and how these releases may still end up helping Elon uh, in a substantial way by showing this kind of uh, collusion with a political party and with, uh, you know, uh, politicized law enforcement to censor Twitter users. He can actually make a case that the previous uh, management of Twitter, including the board, uh, have not really done their duty to do what's best for the company and have undermined the value of Twitter with these uh, censorship acts like shadow banning, which they lied about under oath uh, in, in, in uh, you know, a Senate hearing. So, still happening. So Elon may still turn this into a victory for him because he's paid billions for this company and he can make a legal argument uh, that what was sold to him was actually a poisoned asset because of all of this unlawful conduct and unconstitutional conduct if i were elon i would go to you know wherever that money went that he paid for the for the company and i would say you you need a serious haircut and pay me back at least half or more of my money because you did not disclose uh, this behavior to me and it was deeply damaging uh, for twitter yeah so so it is worth mentioning real quick that there are still lawsuits that are ongoing and have not been stopped by the courts over this very issue uh, Laura Loomer, who we had on the other day, that uh, she ran for uh, U.S. Congress last year, and she's accusing Twitter of censoring her. Uh, so she filed a federal lawsuit on that. Uh, and Elon is still very much wrapped up in this. And he has actually uh, released a, a very short statement on this issue. Uh, but it does seem like there might be some liability there and that he's going to have to fight. Grant, I want to bring you in and ask you, do you agree with Kim? Is this a clusterfuck? Have you learned anything today? I, I, I mean, I, I was going to ask him how, how he sees this as as a cluster F for, for Elon. Uh, Kim, is that just because there's not enough clarification about 
what Baker's I, I saying. I think Kim like, was referring to the congressional hearing as a clusterfuck. It's, it's uh, just a completely ineffective hearing. Um, you know, you can already see this is uh, going nowhere. The the work that was done by this committee is appalling. They've not even uh, done proper research. The reading that I have done uh, of Twitter files would have led me to much more piercing uh, questions. For example, uh, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey in a previous hearing under oath said that he uh, knows nothing about shadow banging, banning and that shadow banging is not something that occurs at Twitter. And right behind him was sitting his uh, his chief legal counsel, who's also a witness in this hearing today. And they both had full knowledge, which is what we know from Twitter files, that shadow banning was occurring and they lied under oath. Why is no one... My opening question in this hearing would have been, you lied under oath before making these false statements, why should we believe anything you say here? And I would have put them on the spot for having lied in the past about shadow banning. So because none of this is happening, it's such a wasted opportunity. And if I was Elon, I would be extremely frustrated at the end of this hearing today because it has achieved absolutely nothing. So I think a lot of us here are very much, we pay a lot of attention to these things. We pay a lot of attention to tech, to social media. Um, these individuals, I don't think do. And so for them, they're sort of in this, on this learning curve. And I think maybe part of the problem is how they structure, uh, these committees in the first place. And, uh, perhaps what that's what sh- they should be really rethinking that and having people on these committees who specifically specialize in tech and in social media and big tech, whatever you want to call it, who who have been following these stories, tracking these stories, so they really understand. Instead, I think that they have briefs, you know, they have maybe interns helping them uh, prepare these, assist them, and so then they go through them. So they don't have the thorough understanding of somebody who's been even following the story very closely from the beginning. And so, you know, so that's the kinds of questions that they ask from these, like, little briefs. And in general, I think that is uh, a problem that plagues um, the government in, in general, because these politicians are dedicating a lot of time to a lot of different issues. And their time is split, their attention is split, and they don't have the expertise and the knowledge. And tech is a huge, huge thing, right? Beyond social media, we have AI, we have all sorts of machine learning, we have all sorts of developments that are happening. They're completely transforming how the world operates. And the government lacks real genuine expertise. And I imagine not a lot of people who work in the field even want to go into politics and consult them on this stuff. So the people who do end up even consulting them aren't usually, you know, the brightest or have some sort of an agenda, you know, and that's why they get into it or that know someone. So I think there's a whole structural problem. And I think that's what's probably what's reflected in Kim, some of the frustrations that you're seeing in, in the committee and how that's being handled. Yeah, yeah I think so can that if I may. Um, So one thing that becomes apparent from this hearing today is that the people who are asking the question there uh, are demonstrating their ineptitude. But they have the tools uh, and the power to bring people in that have the expertise. And the fact that they are not doing this, that they are sitting there having no clue about what they're talking about, 
and not bringing in people that have the expertise, including a prosecutor. You know, they could have hired a prosecutor to come in and work with them to formulate these questions, and they haven't done that. Now, is that hubris because they think they can handle it, they think they're smart enough, or is it because they don't really want to dig deeper into the matter? Because at the end of the day, like I said before, both political parties enjoy uh, censorship when when it helps them. I agree with what you just said, Kim. And I think something that Andrew Yang said in the space yesterday, he's, he quoted a, a senator that, that he had a conversation with and he said that, you know, uh, she said that uh, essentially they don't want to solve the problem because the problem allows them to raise money and uh, get political influence, kind of rile people up. And so I think that's part of what we're witnessing. I think it's much more convenient to sort of have something that you kind of rile people up and look, we're we're tackling big tech and get somebody mentioned earlier in the space that there's this attempt to more maybe more get uh, sound bites, you know, that really hold people's feet to fire, get accountable and actually get answers to questions that might serve them in, in legal proceedings, which I think is far more valuable because really, if you want to change the fundamentals of how things are working in this, if you want to change the structure, that's what you want to focus on. You don't, it's not really about, you know, making a show of it. And to me, a lot of these hearings are, or almost all of these hearings, as far as I've witnessed in, in general, have been about making a show and not about making changes. Right. So, so that is actually, that's a question that I wanted to hit on Catherine. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you answered that. Uh, Jim, uh, if you're there, I know you're pulling clips and stuff in the background, but I would like to ask you based on your experience on Capitol Hill, does this seem like uh, something that, that, that makes a lot more sense when it comes to them asking rhetorical questions rather than uh, intelligent questions where they're actually looking for answers? Is it just merely political? Well, there's a political aspect to these hearings. I mean, it always works out that way. You have to be right on the politics. You have to get the politics right. You need to get the politics out there. But you also need to be substantive about what you're getting. In other words, your political points don't work unless you've got solid information to back up the point that you're trying to make. And this is where it can be very frustrating quite often when you're looking at a hearing like this. I've I've got a clip that I was just finishing while you brought me up that I'll play here in a minute. But, well, I mean, I probably can play right now. But Lauren Boebert, I mean, you know, there's a little bit of political grandstand in what she just said here. And by the way, I texted her and she's, she's in the hearing as I figured out, you know, and can't get on. I don't know if I'll still be able to draw her in. But at least this, this particular quote, this may be the, one of the, better things that I've heard. It's a good combination of some specifics and then some of the political. And if you don't mind, I want to play it. Jim, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jim, Jim, I, I was literally about to play it and I just heard you speak. I was, I was listening to the clips the team sent me. Before you do that, Jim, uh, Brian, are you there? Because I want Brian to hear this and I want his thoughts on it. Brian, are you there? Yep, I'm here. Oh, perfect. All right, listen to this part. I, I hope you have the same clip as me, Jim. Uh, play yours and if it's different, I'll play mine as well and I'd like to get... I've got two two clips from Lauren. Um, so I'll um, I'll play. I've got one. You play yours. Yeah, I'll play mine. Yeah, then... play yours. How, how, how long is yours? How long it's is yours? Like a, a minute and a half. Okay, so no, no, I've got it split into two. Do you mind? I'm gonna play it from my end because uh, I've got it split into two. The team split it into two. 
Um, and I want to get, get, get uh, Brian's thoughts on the first clip. Listen to this, Brian, and then I'll go to Jim. If, if Jim, let me know if you have the same one. Now, Mr. Roth, did the FBI ever ask you to share information like users' communication data without going through proper legal channels? No, they did not, and I would have refused if they had. Um, that's correct. I see that you denied Agent Chan's request for access to Twitter's data feed. What's sick isn't that you would deny it. Uh, it's that the FBI would even ask you for the private data of American citizens without going through legal channels of the law. So that's the uh, first. How's the audio, Brian? Was it good? Yeah, yeah, I could hear it. I, I actually, yeah. I actually agree with her. I, I, I think that, I think, I think there's a line that that can be crossed, and 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 asking for private data without a subpoena, I, I think that that's definitely something they shouldn't be doing. Yeah, I mean, it goes right back to what I talk about quite a bit related to this, which is they have no business at all getting involved in that unless they have a subpoena. They can only do it with subpoena power when there's an actual criminal or even sometimes civil, but usually criminal investigation where a a, a judge is given authority to look for that information. Otherwise, they're entirely beyond their scope of power. I mean, this is one of the big problems that we have in this whole discussion is that people are poo-pooing. They're kind of pushing off to the side this interactive stuff with the FBI and, and the social media companies. They are allowed no interaction of any sort unless it has been authorized by a court. That's why we have a legal system is to protect well, the well, rights well, of individuals. Well, but, 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 but that, that's not real. I mean, the law doesn't say that the FBI can't. Yes, it does. Have you ever read the Fourth, no, Fifth, no, and Sixth Amendment? Absolutely. No, there, there, is no, there is nothing, there is no law saying the FBI can't contact a private citizen. That's private not entity. true, Brian. So, the, so fourth the, amend, the Fourth Amendment, the, the Fourth Amendment is very clear that your personal information, however yeah, gathered yeah, no, no, or, no, no, or collated or anything, agree, is not subject to any government official unless by warrant i i agree with that I, what i'm saying is that the fbi there is no law preventing the fbi from talking to a private entity suggesting things to private no entities. that's not true brian when it, when it, it comes true. to this it, matter it, that yeah, we were yeah, just yeah. listening there is no law there there is it's called let me let me read out, let me let me uh let me let me read out, let me are you a lawyer do you have a legal No, but, but I, I've been through okay. a lot, and I had the FBI contact me on several occasions to get information or request information without a subpoena. And sometimes <laughs> I turned information over. Sometimes I didn't. My lawyers were involved every step of the way. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true if you were, were the subject or one of the potential – informants of an investigation but the thing so that, is the thing that, that that wasn't the case that that wasn't the case so the example is that an entity was advertising on one of my websites and this entity was was basically scamming people and they requested they they asked me the timing of when this person was posting and they asked me if if i knew who this person was and i didn't have to turn that information over it was up to me now if i said no then they could go and get a subpoena and request it if a if a judge would sign off on it but but there's well, there's Brian, nothing illegal you about part, it you were part of an investigation by being the I, I, host th this of was the not side. part of the investigation this was not a well, part of the investigation well you just said that me. someone posted a scam on your site and therefore, when the FBI, it, it would be like if somebody tweeted a tweeted a link to a a scam in some way, and Twitter went 
or the FBI went to Twitter and said, said, hey, hey, can you check to see if there's other accounts posting different information? Twitter doesn't have to turn that information over. They could go back and get a subpoena and force them to, but Twitter doesn't have to do it without a subpoena. Now they can though if they if they choose, and there's not there's nothing illegal with the FBI asking questions. I mean, the FBI asks private citizens questions all the time, whether it's an investigation into them or somebody that not, they're associated with. All the with. time, if you are subject or a potential witness no, no, in an yeah, investigation, witness, yes, witness, they witness, can yes. they can ask you questions, right? Exactly, but I agree. They can't do it right. all the time with any. Uh, citizen, that's just completely wrong. What you're and, and and more importantly, no, no, I, it, more, what was wrong with what I said? More important, Kim, Kim. What was wrong with what so, I said? So just quickly, Jim. Yeah, on, I'm just, just gonna play the uh, yeah. Let me play the second clip quickly, and then I'll let you guys continue uh, the back and forth. So let me play. It's also Lauren. I'll go ahead now. Mr. Roth, while at Twitter, how many meetings did you have with the FBI? I couldn't say for sure, but I more would than ten. That's a reasonable more than 20? estimate. I couldn't say for sure. More than 50? That seems a bit high. Many meetings with the FBI. Well, we know uh, uh, how many FBI agents worked at Twitter while you were there? I don't believe any active FBI Former agents. Former FBI agents. How many worked there while you were there? I'm aware of perhaps two. Well, we know of at least nine um, because they started the BU group chat, BU for Bureau. <laughs> She's putting him on the spot. Lawrence trying to put him yeah, on the spot. I got another one when, when we get to it, Mark. Yeah, yeah, play yours, play yours. Now, play yours does, now, Jim. She, oh, go ahead, Grant. Does, does she ever pin them down to why nine FBI agents are working at Twitter? Nine, name redacted was on stage, and that's not. He has a thread. I'll send it. I'll try to find it and send it through to you. I think it's pinned on his profile. It's not surprising at all. Google has more. Facebook has more, and it seems to be relatively common among the social but, media but, platforms. But did she follow up with why? 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 I mean, this is, I think, what Kim is saying. Like, these are obvious questions to say. Why do you have nine FBI people working at Twitter? Because I don't think path, the public right? is aware. She of that. takes a slightly different path, Grant. Maybe let me let me play this, Mario, because this will be helpful, and then we. Yeah, go ahead, man. Go, go ahead. ahead. We're seeing censorship all over, Mr. Roth, Miss Gaddy. Did either of you approve the shadow banning of my account at Lauren Bobert? Yes just, or no? No, I did not. Not to the best of my recollection. Well, let me refresh your memory because on March 12, 2021, and Mr. Roth, I know you looked at it because fascist Twitter 1.0 had a public interest exceptions policy, which means for members of Congress to be shadow banned, it had to go before you, Mr. Roth. So I'll ask again, did you shadow ban my account? Yes or no? Again, not to the best of my recollection. So the answer is, Mr. Roth, yes, you did. I found out last night from Twitter staff that you suppressed my account for this tweet. It's a freaking joke about Hillary Clinton being angry that she couldn't rig her election. It's a joke. But in response, being the sinister overlords that you all are, you placed a 90-day account filter so I could not be found. And now we see here that Twitter staff said the visibility filter on my account excluded me from top searches, prevented notifications for non-followers, and election interference? Yeah, I would say that that was taking place because of you four sitting here. The Hunter Biden laptop story was suppressed. A sitting member of Congress was suppressed. A, a sitting president was banned from Twitter. You know, I bet... Okay, so there, there's more to it. 
infiltrating big tech and the media never leave the FBI. They never leave the intelligence community. Well, some maybe don't. I no, mean, they, to, they, to just they, say they, that they, like they every FBI this, agent, they're in the, the deep state is... game for life, Brian. So when you put these people in positions of power where they can censor and do unconstitutional stuff, they will do it because their allegiance is with the deep state and not with the public. Yeah, but but I don't think that's a a fair assumptions. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that's a fair statement because the the whole idea that their allegiance is with the deep state, not with the public. I mean, there's a lot of FBI agents and CIA agents who have joined specifically because their allegiance is actually to the people. Now, you may think that the organization is poorly ran and has corruption, and that's all fair and valid to to state or think, or you know, maybe there's truth to that. But uh, it doesn't mean that the individual don't want to do the right thing or might not maybe even working in these organizations they've changed their minds about it so the idea that they're always going to be connected and always have that allegiance i don't think that's a fair assumption well, and i think we should still yeah, well, let me, let me address, i think that there's a just a second i want to respond to this i think there's a very simple fact that supports my argument and that is the twitter files themselves just look at what these people did once they got into the organization, how they uh, tweaked it and how they, uh, you know, made sure that uh, the political narrative that is uh, important to them uh, gets supported and the one that they don't like gets censored. But, but... And you just need just a second. You just need to look at the current mainstream uh, media landscape and look at all the deep state commentators that are getting primetime spots uh, in mainstream shows talking about, uh, you know, the Pentagon narrative, repeating the talking points uh, that are pro-war, pro-vaccines. You know, these people are not doing a service uh, to the American people. They're doing a service to the deep state and its its goals and the goals of the uh, stakeholders that, that are backing these types of wars and, uh, you know, vaccines and everything that's happening. So when you look at uh, big tech employing all of these uh, deep state people and you look at how many of these people they have employed 10 years ago when Google still had the slogan, don't be evil, they would never have hired dozens of FBI, CIA uh, operatives. This is a new thing. And the reason why this is happening is because uh, the intelligence community realizes in order to, uh, you know, uh, solidify their power, they need to sit in the driver's seat at big tech. They need to need to sit in the driver's seat at big media. And also they need to make sure that they bring their own people yeah. Into politics that are running for for Congress, that are running for the Senate, and now for president. I mean, what a joke that Mike Pompeo is running for president, or what's this Warhawk guy with the funny beard who's now running for president? The 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 idiot who's caused uh, multiple wars, uh, you know, for the United John States Bolton. with this uh, John, John Bolton. Bolton. I mean, people like but, this are now but, running for president. That's fucking yeah, insane. Yeah, and by the way, I've got but I've Kim, got proof. Just, hold on, Catherine. I've got Jim, proof. Jim, hold on, Nick. Jim. Nick, hold on a second. I've got proof of the point that we're making about these people being embeds. It's on name redacted's 
uh, thread that is at the top of his Twitter profile, and it's number 17. And this Eviana guy spoke. No, I was going to – I've got it, Jim, Jim. I've got it as I got well. It, I got uh, it. I got and, it. And can yeah, I – yeah, but give context. So I was going I'm, back I'm and forth it. with Name Redacted about this. Yeah, yeah I, but no, okay, I'll let you do that. And then before you play it, I want to just add one more point. So go ahead. I've got it. I was going to jump in as well. Go ahead. Just go ahead, Mario. I'll – so I was just talking to Name Redacted about exactly what Jim was referring to, just back and forth. So you've got the clip, Jim, because I want to play the clip once I'm done. So maybe I'll, I'll, I'll go through it briefly, and then you'll play the clip. Um, but essentially what the clip says is it's um, – I'll read out this description. is uh, Evanina spoke alongside FBI agent Charles – so Charles McGonagall. 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 Um, so he says one quote there. Once we get them in, so he's talking about, I think he's from the CIA or FBI. He's talking about the CIA, NSA, and FBI in this case. And he's saying when, once they get people in, we own them for life. Now, the reason I jumped in, Jim, is I was going back with name redacted. And there's two ways to interpret this. Either they own them for life. That means even once they leave the agency, they've still got allegiance to the agency itself. In this case, the, let's talk about the FBI. And Kyle Serafin was here earlier. I don't know if he's in the audience, but I'll try to bring him up. I'll, I'll get the team to try to bring him back because I'd want him to give us more, uh, you know, try to give us a bit more context regarding this. But then I told Name Redacted, what if they mean, you know, people come in and just don't leave the organization? They just don't leave the FBI because they love working there. So that's why, you, you know, you guys got to interpret it as you wish. But, um, Jim, I'll let so, you yeah, play the clip. Here's the context okay. that I was going to okay. give on that because it's really important to understand. So there are three ways of actually interpreting this. So there is uh, they are still uh, employed by the agency and they've just embedded themselves into the company. That's one way. There are those who are actually working for the company. but Which are, is probably illegal, by the way. Yeah. And then there could be those who are still you know, are doing are, are willing to report back, even though they are actually employed by the organization. And then there are those who don't have any necessary desire or impetus to report back to the agency, but would because they're part of it. Now, I think he's mostly talking about the latter group. And also, by the way, he re- I'm going to play the clip, but he references the way he references it could fairly mean that someone who's really altruistically concerned about foreign influence, you know, that they own those people, too. So there's there are some ways to interpret it. But I think it's very relevant to the whole discussion we have. And here's the clip. So that being said, in the community, it's very similar, whether you're CIA, NSA, NGA, you know, it doesn't make a difference. What we have in the community, in the FBI, probably more than anybody, once we get them in, we own them for life because the mission is so strong, no one ever leaves. The hard part, though, is getting them in. So now that last statement is very critical here, and I know Kim will key in on that as well, too. So it sounds altruistic right there. And again, it may be for some people, but don't forget that last statement points to intent. There is an intent in these intelligence agencies to get people bought in so that wherever else they go, hopefully they can send them to key places, but they'll always be able to draw them back to themselves if need be. This is making it sound so incredibly sinister where I I think, first of all, this is one person commenting on it, not the entire organization. So that's number one. You just have to look at the history of spy agents. Can I? What they do, they implement spies 
in organizations that, number one, they want to gather intelligence on it, number two, that they want to manipulate for their own goals. This is not some new concept, Catherine. This is a very old... What uh, do you mean by manipulate for their own goals? I mean, I know a lot of people who work in these intelligence agencies. They're they're just... Most of them, it's a very bureaucratic system. Can you tell us a little bit about that? How do you know these people? Could I give a... Yeah. Could I give a? Okay, I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. You want to go? It's Catherine? okay, Brian. You well, can go. So, yeah. so, so I, I have a personal. I, I mean, example. Brian, I want to give Catherine the, okay. the ability to finish if, if she wants to, or else you can yield to. to yeah, Brian please go ahead and and tell us about your your context to intelligence uh, to the intelligence community. I find that interesting. Okay, I mean, just just for transparency's sake, um, if, I'll answer your question, Kim. I mean, in my case, I was always interested in in that world. I I. I did have some interest in that. Um, but I also, the people that I know, I know because I used to write a lot about espionage, but more from a cultural perspective, uh, because, you know, I like shows that are in culture. So I got to know a lot of, uh, people worked at the CAA, mostly CAA, former CAA agents and some FBI, uh, because I covered that, but more from like a film TV perspective. So I get commentary. So I became friends with some of them. So that's, that's my connection really. Uh, if, you, if you are a subject matter expert on spies, I'm How not saying I'm a huge of, subject matter expert, but yeah, so. But I mean, you, you, you yeah. know people, you work on stories about them, you, you are involved uh, in their world. That any of what I'm saying is a surprise to you is a surprise to me when you say you have this, uh, this knowledge. Because anyone with uh, knowledge about the intelligence community knows that everything I've just said is ac- accurate. Well, I think, I think that it's being painted in a very broad uh, kind of brush because the idea like a lot of these people came in because they really wanted to serve their country they don't have this kind of sense of like like being embedded in the deep state they they care about security that was a big motivation some of them did it because you know and and this is the same i, I know marines and, and other people that i worked with and you know they a lot of it, sometimes it was just fun, you know, it was a challenge and that's why they got into it. Some of it is patriotism. So it wasn't, so, so when that recording that Jim played, you know, they're talking about um, getting them in and the buy-in. I think the buy-in that they're talking about is really like to defend the country. I mean, my interest in it was, I was really interested in counterterrorism. you know, um, I, I was interested in, in protecting people. So I don't think that's like outright a horrible thing. Thing. Now, they all have different ideologies and points of view. So some of the people, you know, some of my friendships have slightly drifted because of ideological reasons, because they're extremely, you know, have have much more, much, much, much more liberal views than me. Um, others are a little more open-minded, right? So there is a, a variety of points of view. So when they go work at these companies, you know, I, you know, they might still subscribe to the ideology of like, you know, wanting to protect a country, but they have different perspectives on how they might want to do that Ke- and what Catherine, is appropriate. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know any other question, question uh, Sorry, Grant, I didn't hear do, your question. Do you know? Do you know any of these people working at the companies? Uh, at Twitter and and those oh, kinds of companies. Any, any of the above? Yeah. No, I do not know those people. So uh, I, I think okay. that all just, the just following really quick, I, I would like to ask you a question, Catherine. Uh, for the sake of argument, let's assume 
that I'm right and the CIA, NSA, FBI uh, goes through their pool of agents and suggests to them to get a job at big tech, at the media, and to be part of those organizations so that we get more intelligence and at the same time we can target individuals uh, and maybe even become a, a decision maker in these companies to uh, change their direction the way we want. Let's just assume for a moment that that's what spy agencies do. And there's a great history of that uh, documenting that. Doesn't that mean, if that is the case, that any big tech company should think twice about hiring anyone from the intelligence community because you cannot really know is this person here because they just want to be legal counsel they want to have a change of color in their life and they want to have a different career or are they actually here to infiltrate us to bring more of their own people in to implement uh, uh, trojanized software into our code to give backdoor access to their agencies isn't that uh, uh, a big problem for big tech that these things are occurring? How can you trust anyone from the intelligence community applying for a job? So that's that's a valid question. This is how I w would answer that question. So one, you're, you're correct that there has been a history, right? I think people would bring up something like Project Mockingbird. So for me to deny that that could never happen, I think would be incorrect. So I'm not going to deny that that would never happen. I would hope that that's not happening often. I would think that that's legal uh, and that most people would like if I was working in intelligence right now, I would I would say no to that because I think that's a huge breach. And I would hope more people would do that. But some might say, yes, well, that's fine. We'll go along with it. So, yes, there is a risk. But also, again, I kind of go back to looking at people as individuals. It's like if you have somebody who has a prison record, does that person, do we never hire that person again because they have a prison record? Because maybe they did commit a crime. I have a friend who's committed crimes in prison time. Like, does that mean I will never, ever trust that person again? So, yes, there's a risk. And maybe you watch that person more carefully. And maybe, you know, you look at the track record of the individual, their integrity, what, what their beliefs are when you hire them. So you hire very carefully if you care about that sort of things. And I think also to some of the things you said earlier, I think when we're seeing those talking heads, I think what's happening is that the values of the people they're bringing on aligns. And we have a system that's much more liberal, right? The media outlets are more liberal. These tech companies tend to lean more liberal. So you're getting people in these agencies um, that gravitate toward these companies and get hired by them who share similar values. So I don't even think that that's so much of an intentional thing as much as it is um, it just kind of happens that way. Because you also see, like, if you bring a, somebody up on a conservative show and somebody was in the military, their values are also going to generally align. So that's, I think, much more likely. But not to completely dismiss what you say, Kim, about the potential risk, because that has happened historically. So that means, can it happen again? Yes, it can. I, You know, is it happening now? I don't know because I try to speak from evidence. Well, I, I can tell you I do know because I do read Twitter files. I do read WikiLeaks files. I do read Snowden files. I do understand how the deep state works. And they use these companies to further their agenda. And that has been the history of the intelligence community. And it has intensified in the last uh, decade. And there's a real 
struggle here uh, for, you know, power. And the only way that the deep state can justify its growth, its increasing power and its increasing budgets is by causing crisis. And in order to cause crisis, you have to prevent the truth about what's happening in the war in Ukraine. You have to prevent the truth about, uh, you know, where the pandemic originated or, you know, how risky these vaccines are. And that is what the deep state does proactively in the media and big tech, because this is what they need to do for their own survival. So, so I, 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 I think I that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I want to say is, I, I think that all of the following is true. Are there FBI agents who abuse their past experiences or their past at the FBI with a corporation and abuse abuse what they know and and act in ways that they shouldn't? Absolutely. Are there FBI agents who leave the FBI, go to work for a corporation, and cut ties with the FBI and don't operate at those companies in any way that is going to harm people or, or in ways that they shouldn't be operating at those companies? That's true as well. Also what's true, like, like Catherine said, there are so many FBI agents who leave the FBI because they don't like what's happening at the FBI and go the opposite direction. They leave to to help the people that could be victims of of abuse. And like, like I, I know people like that. I, I had attorneys who left the FBI. They were counterintelligence experts at the FBI. And now they're attorneys that are representing people who might find themselves on the other end of an FBI investigation. So I I, th- I think that every all those statements are true. I, I think painting it with a broad brush and saying that I know all FBI agents who leave the FBI and go to Twitter or Facebook or any other company is, are doing so in a way that is is negative towards the populace or towards the people using those companies' services. I think that's irresponsible. I do connect. I don't know. I uh, can't hear anybody. Uh, yeah. Can I? Yeah, 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 go ahead, Joe. Yeah, I was just saying, before you jump in, Joe, I was just speaking to myself. I was muted. I was just saying, Jim confirmed to me that the hearing has just adjourned. Um, so we're, we're done for the day. Yeah, Jim? Sorry, I'm listening to a clip here that I was going to try to give again. No, not for, the, not for the space, but the hearing is done, I think. Yeah, it is. They have adjourned. Yeah, the it is done. Yeah, cool, cool. Um, that's what I thought. Beautiful. All right, so the hearing's done. We're going to continue reviewing it. We're going to get some clips as well for you. We've got another 45 minutes before we end this space and we start the Andrew Tate space after the BBC documentary, which we've been preparing for for a couple of weeks. Um, but, Joe, before I give you the mic, I just want to also update the audience. Name Redacted is back on stage. We're discussing his thread or his threads. Um, and we're getting some ex-FBI um, uh, agents back on stage trying to get Kyle back on. Uh, and a few others are just DM'd. So hopefully we'll get them on. They can answer Kim's question from experience. Uh, Kim and Grant's question. Joe, I jump in and we'll go to Name Redacted. Yeah, this is more question for Kim or anyone that's on the panel. So what do we do about um, misinformation? Like a nation, a foreign nation's attempt to misinform a public. And Kim, I know you're a big fan of documentaries. Maybe you saw uh, Century of the Self um which it, it chronicles Edward Bernays 
who I'm a super huge student of, um, and how he manipulated governments and, and things of that of that nature, and then later went into marketing. Um, but this happens. Like I know the collusion wasn't proven, but the fact that Russia interfered that was proven. So how do you stop something like that if you say no FBI agents? Because I lean more towards Brian's side, where regardless if it's public public um, workers or private people abuse power regardless of what who they work for right you can't stop that so what do you do to stop foreign foreign nations and interfering with misinformation well i mean it's the oldest game in the world right i mean spies have been around since the times of kings and uh, their rules were always to you know, further the ambitions of their uh, of their rulers, right? And it's no different today. I mean, spies are out there, um, you know, working in the in the dark in the background to assist the people in power that they serve, uh, you know, with their goals. So that's just a reality that we live in. The only problem is that in this new, sophisticated digital age, any kind of privacy is now completely undermined. Spy agencies commit mass surveillance against the global population. There is a data center in Utah that receives the equivalent amount of, uh, of data of several petabytes of recordings of, uh, you know, emails, of personal files of people that are using the internet. This is a deep state operation to spy on everyone and they have been doing this for over a decade and the problem that you have with these uh, spy tools now is that they uh, once you become a person of interest they have everything about you every location data that uh, that you know wherever you've been all financial transactions you've made your medical history your bank accounts Anything that that has an, a digital fingerprint about you is under their control, and they now have the tools, including with you know AI, uh, to make sense of that data very quickly. So, um, uh, Palantir, for example, is a software company that uh, creates software for spy agencies to make sense of this vast ocean of data, and with a finger click, uh, with a mouse click. Uh, an analyst as a spy agency basically knows everything about you instantly. And this can then be used against you. So let's say you are in a position where, uh, you know, you, you apply for a job at a certain organization um, and they want to turn you into somebody who can spy for them. They now have all this data, including everything that is compromising against you you know anyone has always done has done something in their past that they are not happy with or that they're not proud of or that could come to haunt them and this information is now available to the deep state so they can use this to manipulate people to you know work with them to spy for them to become part of their organization uh, or they are using this uh, you know this power to literally just uh, manipulate people like judges in the in the judiciary uh, to make decisions that are in favor of the government so once so, so Kim, have... are you are you saying that they are attempting to circumvent the 4th amendment of the United States or, or the United States well, Constitution it... 
Well, it has been happening for a long time. And Edward Snowden made that very clear with his releases and WikiLeaks with the Vault 7 releases. So this is not uh, news. This has been out there, uh, you know, for over a decade. And people who are studying this understand that no person in the digital age has any privacy anymore. Everything so that speaking, you do... Kim, sorry. What, what I'm speaking about more is right now with AI... I can make a video that looks like Trump is doing a, a re, uranium deal in the middle of Iraq, meeting with the leader and getting on his plane and taking off. You'll hear his voice. You'll see his face. You'll see everything. And I can decimate that using my farm of hackers to go and, and put that information all throughout Twitter. And the entire extreme left will start sharing it all over the place and screaming that this is true. And you don't want fbis to get involved and stop misinformation that's that's more my point it's what do you do if you don't have fbis at these social media companies that their job is to stop misinformation and affecting elections well if they would actually do that then the hunter biden laptop story would have been released and people could have made up their mind about the contents and uh, you know investigative journalists would have had a chance to look at those files and uh, you know there would have been a complete picture about what actually happened but because they prevented this through their censorship but in they these also big organizations but they prevented Ivanka's uh, Hillary didn't get elected supposedly because of her emails on her private server but the entire Trump family did exactly the same thing, and you barely heard about it. So are you here to uh, be tribal and talk against the right and pro-left? No, no. Or... If you heard me, I just said the, the extreme left would attack and say that this is true. So I'm not taking left or right. I'm just showing you that it happens on both sides when it works for you and when it works against you, regardless of where you are, if you're left or right. <clears throat> Yeah, and that's exactly Honestly, what neither. I said earlier. Both political parties favor censorship when they are in power. Okay, so I don't expect much from Republicans or Demo uh, Democrats when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, investigating what has been exposed in Twitter files. I have no uh, illusion that these people are, uh, you know, they are actually in favor of this uh, deep state operation because once they are back in power, it's, it will suit them. The big problem is that uh, these tools are now so powerful that they completely undermine uh, democracy. And uh, you've seen it with the Ukraine war, uh, how that has been pro pro propaganda propagandized and how that has been turned into, uh, you know, a complete farce because uh, no one was talking about the coup uh, that the U.S. government did in Ukraine to replace a democratically elected government. No one is talking about the snipers that the CIA brought in together with their right-wing militias in Ukraine to kill a hundred people in order to inflame these protests that all 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 of which are things that have led to the civil war which then turned into the current u.s proxy war in ukraine you know when people don't have access to this information to educate themselves uh you know everyone is just going to cheer for this war and to want to destroy russia because they are all brainwashed bots that can't be the world 
that we all want. So the best option that we have is that, you know, let these uh, bots battle it out, but don't censor uh, anything, allow people to make up their own minds with the information that is available to them from all parties. Yeah. So, so Tom, I, I, I'm going yeah, 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 Joe, you got 30 seconds here if you want to jump in real quick. And then I want yeah, to yeah. No, I'm with you about Ukraine and everything else. Me and you are aligned. That is to put it in the bricks. I don't trust a lot of the public to make up their own mind because most people don't care enough. Tribalism happens, and they just follow the loudest voice in the room. That's my problem. So I'm unsure whether FBI should be there or not because there is good that could happen from it. I don't think just releasing false information is a good thing. Look, Tom, I don't have a problem give us your take on law enforcement, it. right? I don't, I don't have a problem with law enforcement. If people do criminal stuff, uh, you know, they need to be pursued and something needs to be done about that. But what I do have a problem with is if uh, the intelligence community is using the Internet uh, to, you know, censor the information that we get and cater information to the masses that uh, uh, reflects the interests of the current government, like going to war uh, to feed money into the military industrial complex or being pro vaccines and censoring anything that is against vaccines in order to prop up the profits of uh, the pharma industry. You know, everything that's happening here is not really in the benefit of the people. It's in the benefit of the, the, the corporate money machine that needs wars to make profit, that needs uh, pandemics in the future. That Hunter Biden has invested in a company that sells pandemic insurance. And he has launched that business before the COVID-19 pandemic broke out. And their sales pitches, if there ever is a pandemic and there are lockdowns and uh, your business may be shut down, your restaurant may be shut down, how good would it be if you had a pandemic insurance? And boom, out of nowhere comes COVID-19. We have global lockdowns. We have a massive destruction of small business and those businesses who survive next time they are asked do you want a pandemic insurance they will be like yeah sure sure as hell this if that's going to save me from going under and see who knows about this who is who's talking about this in the mainstream media that these people that are in the family of the president are benefiting from a pandemic by selling pandemic insurance globally so, so, Tom, I, I want to bring you in here. I want your uh, general feedback on what you heard today in the hearing. And then um, I don't know how long you've been listening to the space here, but also your take on what you've heard in the space. Well, I've been try I was trying to pay attention at it, was doing other business while the hearing was going on. Uh, you know, the first thing that Elon Musk Twitter has to do is to waive their attorney client privilege so that James Baker, the former FBI general counsel, who was one of the censors in chief at Twitter, uh, can't, um, you know, just uh, can't assert that privilege in order not to testify. And he may have to come back. You know, you know, the lesson I think from today is, you know, you get the back and forth, obviously, but the detail is still there. Twitter wrongly took down the New York Post story, election interference. They have been conditioned by the FBI to be ready to take it down. Uh, the FBI and other agencies were overwhelming Twitter with requests for censorship, which were often honored. Uh, 
they took down Trump even though he didn't violate the rules, another abuse of authority. And you had all this other evidence of targeting of conservatives, and there was nothing to counter counteract that in any significant way. But the other concerning part of the hearing, in my view, was the Democrats and the left uh, suggesting they want more censorship. There wasn't enough censorship. And they are officially on the side of jailing their political opponents, denying them freedom of speech and attacking of the core tenets of freedom of the press, especially for a paper like the New York Post. So the crisis isn't that there are two parties involved in this. The crisis is there's one party that has embraced an anti-First Amendment, anti-free speech agenda. There are portions of the Republican Party who aren't all that problem, don't have too much of a problem like that, because they're targeting the people in the on the conservative side that these establishment Republicans don't like, the Trumps, the Trumps of the world, their supporters, the unwashed masses who don't understand the Chamber of Commerce approach to governance that they're prepared to pursue as opposed to uh, the more populist agenda. Uh, but uh, this is a remarkable development in modern American political history where you have an administration and a party and all of academia, uh, the transnational left uh, and uh, the NGOs and the left media all aligned against free speech. I don't think we've had that before in 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 the modern era. And uh, and Twitter's on the front lines. And as I tweeted the other day, that that Musk uh, highlighted, you know, if Twitter fails, um, it will be a significant, uh, if not irredeemable, uh, loss for those of us who want free speech online. If if Twitter fails, all could be lost in that regard. Yes. So, so Tom, I'm going to bring you right back in here shortly because I I think you can give some insight on this. But Jim, you were talking about earlier how when the FBI was pressuring Twitter, when they were, uh, you know, trying to get them to censor information, potentially, uh, you mentioned that uh, this could be a violation of the Fourth, Fifth and Sixth Amendment. Could you run through those real quick and sort of uh, sort of elaborate? Because I do want Tira is a, a, a retired attorney here, and I do kind of want her feedback on that as well, if you can. Maybe, maybe not. Jim? Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, well, quickly, it's not. a violation of the Ku Klux Klan Act, potentially. I mean, you can't have a conspiracy against someone's civil rights. And the degree government agencies and, and anyone else was involved in such a conspiracy, you know, there's significant liabilities there. So as far as I know at this point, and I am not saying that there is not much more to come out, the Twitter people who spoke said they did not do things based upon the government telling them to do things. Is that correct? Uh, that that does seem uh, like the issues right. that we're getting So if that's the case, very difficult to prove a constitutional violation on the part of the government, Right. If the company had its own policy and followed its own policy, as I said, I am not saying you can't trace things and say, oh, well, they were really working for the government and blah, blah, blah. Right. But I'm saying right now, very difficult to show how the constitutional violation would come into play. Jim, I'm, I'd love to hear yeah, like, what, your take I mean, on that. What, 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 Y'all said he didn't know one way or the other whether he was doing it. Uh, he was communicating with the FBI uh, to censor people. Well, he, so, I mean, they, they weren't even willing to rule it out based on some of the testimony I've seen. But, but, but keep in mind, yeah, I mean, it's not like just the there. It's we're not... have here is the fact that they had 10, that they had, uh, he said, 
over 10 meetings with uh, with the FBI and the federal government uh, at Twitter during his role. So go ahead, Jim. Sorry, I had to juggle to get it uh, unmuted again. So, you know, sorry for background noise. I'm letting my dog out. But anyway, so, uh, yeah, it, it's one thing for them to say that they weren't influenced by it. But, I mean, I think we have pretty clear evidence. And, and, and you know, it still has to be adjudicated. But I think we have pretty clear evidence from the Twitter files themselves that they acted upon such requests, not just that whether they felt like they were being influenced by the FBI. We have transactional information in the Twitter files that a request was made for removal of this or that thing or action to be taken of this or that sort. And then they did take that action. So that is violative of the Fourth Amendment in particular. But what you do... But what you don't have necessarily is all the internal discussions. And they could argue, and once again, I, I recognize what you're saying, they could argue, yes, we got this request, but we did this on our own after we got this request. Got it? Well, I, I well, the transaction's you know, important there, I think. Well, when you have the head of Twitter saying it happened as we allege it happened, that's pretty powerful evidence. You know, I read the Washington Post today and said there's no evidence of collusion between the government and Twitter. I mean, just incredible, uh, just an incredible falsehood at odds with reality. The head of the corporation admitted there was this collusive uh, election interference that, you know, every, you know, essentially incorporating the analysis that, you know, folks like me have been putting out there. And so that's powerful evidence. And it's enough to initiate criminal investigations and other civil rights investigations uh, to figure out what went on here. And, um, uh, you know, it's it's not enough for a witness to say, I, I can't remember one way or another whether I colluded in a way that would violate the law. Uh, the corporations admitted it's taken place. And, uh, you know, what's remarkable about what Musk is doing is that, uh, you know, the liabilities for Twitter, in my view, have increased substantially because, you know, the corporation itself was engaged in arguably illegal behavior as as these Twitter files have been highlighted. Well, and when Scott Perry was uh, questioning Yoel Roth, and I've got that uh, audio, I'm, I'm away from my computer right now, but, you know, he he described when Scott Perry was talking to him their participation, that Twitter employees were involved in these meetings. I mean, he said it publicly right now. So, so you know, it's, it's, it, it, Tom's right. I mean, it, it, people will, in, in these disputes that have legal implications, will constantly say, well, yeah, no, I didn't really mean that. That, that, is, that, that is a weak argument when you've got documentation of the opposite of what they thought they meant and felt. That is not, I mean, it's, it's, it is admissible and it's part of the process of what someone may try to do to defend themselves or to, uh, to shield what their real intent was. But intent ha- can also be proven with factual evidence. And I, you know, the Twitter files are factual evidence. There's just no denying the fact that the transaction was requested and then acted upon. However, whatever the discussions were afterwards, the transaction began with the government request. That's where the violation takes place. And whatever uh, criminal or civil liability people from Twitter have in regards to having acted upon that request, what we do know is that there's potential criminal and, and good evidence of potential criminal behavior 
by federal officials who asserted their desire for that those actions to be taken. Why is that criminal? Like, what did they violate? Have you heard of a thing called? Yeah, exactly. Let me let me just, uh, Joe. I want to answer this because I've, I've got to tell you, I've, I've already said this a few times, and I think I'm right on it. The Fourth Amendment, <laughs> like, like th- there doesn't have to be a specific law written for a criminal whatever with the Fourth Amendment. If you are violating the Fourth Amendment. You're criminally but liable. But the question is what... But, but you're not violating... Violated. You're not stopping them from saying what they want to say. You're stopping them from using your platform or Twitter's deciding not to let them use their platform to spread that message. Just like Fox or CNN might not allow me to sp- spread my message. Well, See, the distinction is- here, Jim, the distinction I think is that's really important because we need to look at it in more in legal terms, right? In very specifics, like principally, morally agree 100%. But when we're looking at, at legal terms, what, what's happening here, if, if the FBI said to Twitter, you have to do this or we will, I don't know, take your license away, we'll take you off the internet. They are forced to comply. But here you have them testifying under oath and saying, we didn't even feel, you know, obliged. So they sort of, it's more like the FBA coming to them, you know, would be great if you do this. And Twitter saying, yeah, you know, you're right. And so they're complying out of their own way, uh, will, and they don't feel yeah, like they have to. But I'm, not, assert- I'm well, not asserting criminal behavior necessarily. On Twitter, I'm asserting well, you just that said on what the they FBI, who came without a warrant to make the request, but their, also their desire, their ability to coerce that activity in whatever form or fashion, however mild or harsh. But they're asking; Wait, they're not coercing. You're, you're talking about unreasonable search or seizure, Jim. Say again. Fourth well, Amendment. It, it, you guys, you guys seem to be of the impression that the police can simply ask you for anything with the implication that something bad might happen and that's legal. What is wrong with you? No, no, no. Wait. I want to ask Jim. You're talking about the Fourth Amendment, unreasonable search. Well, no, seizure. not just the Fourth Amendment. About? The Fourth Amendment is applied. Because fourth, that the Fourth Amendment doesn't really make any sense. The Fourth, Fifth, here and because, Sixth you know, Amendments. I mean, all of this. Listen, you've got the you got Fifth Amendment implications. You do have six, even Seventh. Amendment, uh, imp- I mean, Eighth Amendment implications. Like this is this is an, an entire scope of the federal government. Uh, and now, now, by the way, what we can question about whether there's specific criminal charges that need to be brought. We can have that discussion, but the reality is this: the federal government may not, even the FBI by its own rules, may not coerce speech in any form or fashion under any scenario, under any circumstances. And they have done that. This is one of the big problems that we've got right now. And I'm sure Kim would back this up too. We, this is one of the big problems we have with the FBI. Their personal, so, hold, so let listen, me finish my point, Tara. And then yeah, you I'm say. sorry, sure. The, this is one of the big problems we have with the FBI. Their methods and procedures that they are actually doing right now are coercing behaviors that lead to criminal violations or lead to specific outcomes that they're trying to get to because they have a shadow agenda behind it where, you know, they, they go beyond their mere investigative, we're trying to figure out what's wrong thing. And we've gotten into a place where they are attempting to get a certain kind of, of speech you know, umbrella around things that they don't want to happen. And that is violative of the Constitution is the point. That- Wait, so, 
Jim, so Jim, it would be fourth, great for wait, t- Catherine, yeah. can I just say fourth yeah, go ahead. six. So you're talking about speedy trial. You're talking about search and seizure. You're talking about the wrong amendments, I think. I don't see any of those really as being implicated here. You're and I, by the way, the person who would be raising this would be potentially the person whose account was not Twitter and they would be the it would be like James Wood, you know, the the actor, right? Woods who said that he was going to sue things like that right he would have to show damage I mean there would be things that would have to happen here I no, think but, it's going to be very but difficult first amendment point, violations too Tara I mean that that this is right I understand but you're talking when you say fourth fifth and sixth I don't see the relevance really at all speedy trial double jeopardy no not not happening um you know maybe first I get that but like yeah, I but, said but, but, but the is the first has the- pretty significant Tara like this is what I'm trying to get at ultimately is that we that it is the it is the federal government trying to coerce or influence or move speech in a certain way by intimidating and or asking or otherwise an, a corporation to withhold the ability of someone to speak on the basis of their request. That is violative Jim, I think of FBI rules, and I think it's violative well, of the I Constitution. Think, Jim, Jim, I think practically you're correct, but, what, but, but I think what we're trying to establish is the legal aspect of it. And that's why I'd love to hear Tira kind of elaborate a little bit on the legal side of it, because whether there is a basis, because it may be possible that what, what the government is doing is wrong, but, but needs more rules because those don't exist. You know, there are loopholes or they're operating in a, in a gray area. So that's why I think it's there's no gray area here, Catherine. I mean, come on. The First Amendment, you would be talking about the government violating free exercise hold, of speech, hold, right? Hold on a second. Federal law makes it a criminal pro criminally prohibit prohibits under other you know, it's a criminal violation of law to subject any person or deprive any person of rights protected by the Constitution. Okay, so there's a federal general civil rights statute that protects us from government abuse of our civil rights. And those who engage in it are subject to criminal sanction. And, of course, there's other laws like the Privacy Act that have criminal violations attached to it as well. They can't be compiling files or records on you uh, for improper purposes or outside the rules. Uh, So, I mean, there's no question about the criminal and civil liability that is raised as a result of this collusive effort. And the question is, is there going to be, is the Justice Department going to investigate the the Clinton White House for orchestrating the grandest conspiracy against the civil rights of Americans in, in frankly, American history in terms of the breadth and scope? And I I think we can guess the answer to that. No one's stopping the person who wrote the article, said the article, from going into town square and screaming it at the top of their lungs so their rights aren't violated. Now, oh, that's certain, silly. That's silly. That, media, that doesn't make any sense. Well, media because outlets, your speech is because you have other ways of speaking doesn't necessarily does not mean that the government can suppress your right to speech in a particular and, context. And by the way, it, that's absurd. Just to add to but that, the government Joa, didn't suppress it. They also may not cause you to go down to a smaller area of speech to try to keep you off a larger one. That is exactly the same violation. And what you just described is I can walk outside my house and yell, but I'm not allowed to be on one of the largest social media platforms like that. That's what they were literally trying to do. So no, even your example is, 
is wrong. I believe there was even a lawsuit relating to this where they tried to put people into those free speech zones, and that was found to be a, a violation of the First Amendment because they're forcing people into you know smaller and smaller areas. That was actually the University of Kentucky. That was a, a recent lawsuit. So, yeah, you're right. So what would happen here is, for example, the actor, because he's the one person I know who said he would sue, James Woods, right? That's his name, who said that his his tweet uh, was censored. He would have to show that the government had told Twitter to do this and that Twitter had acted at the behest of the government, right? Difficult lawsuit, but that's what he would have to show. And he would have to show some damages as well, probably. And everyone would have to show standing as well, right? So... I don't think this is, these are going to be as simple lawsuits as one might think because I'm not sure people would even assume there are damages. Damages for not showing a cartoon of Hunter Biden's penis. You know what I'm trying to say? This is an interesting area, but I, I think it has to get a little more granular than you're suggesting for the lawsuits. Thanks. Well, we filed a lawsuit against the California Secretary of State who was running an operation like the FBI did, uh, working with uh, the Biden campaign and, and others to take down material in Judicial Watch's YouTube video, the one I was, um, I, I actually was featured in, was removed by YouTube at the California Secretary of State's request. So we sued under the Federal Civil Rights Statute, Civil Rights Statute, um, the Ku Klux Klan Act, as I described, and that case is continuing. Uh, there was another victim of that uh, who had a tweet removed. Uh, they sued, I think it was probably a broader lawsuit. They may have sued Twitter as well. We didn't sue YouTube yet. Uh, but, you know, these issues are going to be percolating, you know, but this is kind of an abrasion abuse of the FBI. And if I were, if I were Congress, if I were House Republicans, I would be saying, you know what, we're, we're decimating the FBI's budget. We're curtailing it. Uh, to a degree, anyone thinks that they can communicate with social media platforms. Uh, in order to get content removed, we're going to re-clarify the law and or increase penalties for such violations of civil rights uh, and clarify and, and clean up and protect us now. Uh, you know, we can have hearings like this till the cows come home, uh, but it's not going to stop the Biden administration. Well, you do understand that some of these some of these lawsuits would be against the Trump administration. Because the people in charge at that time, you'd, you'd be suing, you'd be suing individuals potentially. Um, I'm not quite sure if agencies are subject to this type of lawsuit that I'm talking about. Uh, my my thinking is that it might be um, you might be also be targeting individuals. But the Trump administration, these agencies were doing it. That is true. Uh, but the agencies obviously continue to do it. And you know, as far as the government's concerned, you can be suing. You know, the FBI, it doesn't matter when the activity took place. It's you're suing the FBI, even if it took place during a prior administration. So, uh, Ian, you're just now up here uh, and I know you watched this and I know you have tough feelings about it. So let's get your take. Okay. Oh, well, first of all, um, you know, it was good to see Republicans up there. I, I, I was pretty touched by Nancy Mesa's story, you know, about how she is suffering from COVID injury and how Twitter brought it upon themselves, especially Vijay Gatti, you know, who got the brunt of that uh, particular, uh, uh, you know, back and forth, uh, thinking that, you know, she's a doctor, right? She's a banning Dr. Dave, uh, Jay uh, Bhattacharya's uh, uh, work, claiming that, uh, you know, it's misinformation and so on and so forth, right? I mean, t- Twitter is being rightly held to account for all of this. Uh, their censorship was just awful. 
However, you know, it's it's still it feels like uh, it feels like it's all for show. You know, I mean, whatever the um, uh, Republicans decide, you know, uh, Joe Biden, you could just veto it. You know, it just it makes me kind of angry. You know, I see a lot of this energy uh, going out to, against Twitter and uh, trying to hold them accountable. But, you know, it doesn't seem like anything is going to be. Uh, you know, to come from it. And and meanwhile, I see the Democrats just downplaying the whole thing, you know, and, and, and turning it into yet another inquest of, uh, or inquisition of conservatives. I mean, what did they do? They they brought this activist up. She works at Twitch now, right? She was, a, she was just a small moderator at Twitter, but she was the one responsible for, uh, it seems, banning uh, Donald Trump and, and, you know, who knows, thousands, thousands of uh, conservative accounts in the name of uh, in the name of free speech right banning accounts in the name of free speech to to suppose protect uh, democracy from harm and and all this crap and uh you know they they brought this person up there so they could use her as a foil because you know none of the republicans have any questions for her because why would they she was a nobody when she worked at twitter and now she works at twitch where she just bans people nonstop again and she's smug about it i forget her name she had uh, you know she was the one on the far right it was the uh, yeah, something like that. Yes, uh, so it it didn't, and and all they did was, you know, I mean, all the Democrats did was use her as a foil to to say, hey, yeah, isn't it true that we need more censorship? And she's like, yes, we do need more censorship. And it was just so much of that. Like I feel like you know half the panel when it wasn't being you know filled up with uh, great voices like Jim Jordan or Nancy Mace or uh, you know a, f- a few others. I mean, I, I think that all the uh, Republicans did pretty well. Even even Comer did pretty well, right? I mean, he's uh, he's leading the thing. The Democrats were there, obviously, supposed you know to to offer like some balance, but I, I, they were not really interested at all in the fact that you know m- millions of Americans, millions of people, you know, were suppressed and censored and and banned for their uh for their you know personal opinions and 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 it's like for them it's like you know they're just downplaying it right you have you have uh um uh jamie raskin wearing a fucking do-rag a fucking do-rag what's that supposed to be like is that black history because he has cancer thank you oh yeah it's a do-rag but it's it's, oh it's black history month you know he's he's a hot he's a he's a hip-hop dude you know like i don't care he's got cancer you can you can you can dress more appropriately you don't have to dress like that you know, this whole thing is a joke. They're treating it like a joke, and they're using that as a as an excuse to call and to demand more censorship, more censorship. It's like, oh, we we need more censorship because if we don't have enough censorship, you know, January sixth would happen all over again, and p- people have blood on their hands, blood on their hands. Don't you care about all those people with blood on their hands? Uh, you know, people are dying, literally dying. Trans kids are dying. Uh, they put a, a a bomb in in a hospital. And it's like, isn't it true that that was actually disproven later on? That 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 had nothing at all to do with lips of TikTok. You know, I looked into it, and it's like that had nothing to do with lips of TikTok. But hey, let's just trot out that lie, and and then you know, ask uh, Yul Roth. Uh, do you think it's appropriate that that this person's still on the platform? He's like, unfortunately, you know, they're still on there. It's like the whole thing was was it felt so one sided. Like the, uh, you know, the Republicans they had many great questions there was a whole assortment of them but the democrats they were there in a sort of cohesive fashion and it was all to demand more censorship it wasn't even you know they came prepared and it's uh you know i i'm worried that you know these guys might might come up with like uh you know some some actual quote-unquote solutions and how to deal with the uh with the problem of too much free speech on social media yeah, so so Ian, let, let me ask you real quick: Was there anything of value that you heard today? Anything new? Because uh, I you, uh, you were a 
Uh, you're very well versed in the Twitter files, obviously. You've been doing this since day one. Um, and if there wasn't anything of value, what questions were you, would you have asked? Well, I didn't feel like there was anything new here today. You know, uh, I, I didn't even see any pushback to uh, Jewel Ross constant lying about, you know, the uh, tw- maybe not lying, not willingly lying, you know, maybe not knowingly lying about the, um, uh, you know, the Russia collusion hoax in 2016. He kept citing it and no one corrected him. Right. Nobody sought to bring up the fact that that was, you know, the result of the Hamilton 68 uh, initiative. Right. Like no no one brought this thing up. You know, no, nobody uh, mentioned how, uh, you know, whenever these uh, Twitter people would start speaking. And, you know, Jim Jordan did, I think, a relatively good job in, in, in pushing back at people like Jim Baker and Yul Roth. But uh, I, I, I think the staffers at, uh, in, in, you know, at, at Capitol Hill, they need to do a better job. They need to start prepping their uh, their their, their um, representatives a bit more, you know, like yeah, letting well. them know, like, hey, when this person brings up X, Y, Z, you need to fire back with, with ABC, you know, because, like, they, they can't be allowed to keep bringing up this whole bullshit over and over again. I mean, this is, you know, it's funny, the Democrats love to refer to the big lie, right? They 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 said the Nazis used to use this thing called a big lie by repeating something over and over, it becomes true. Well, they did that here today, right? They repeated the big lie over and over and over again, and no one seemed to correct them. It's like, what's up, man? What is up? Nick, yeah, well, yeah. you know, the challenge is that, you know, I'm not seeing the staffing um, appropriate for the size and urgency of the scandals to investigate. Uh, this is nothing new for a Republican approach to committees. Doesn't mean that individual members aren't interested, but institutionally, uh, they just can't get their act together to uh, achieve the results that, uh, those who put them in office expect them to achieve. I mean, you know, we have a FOIA lawsuit already for the FBI collusion on Hunter Biden's laptop. I suspect we'll get documents out on this issue from the FBI, who is illegally, by the way, withholding information from us before Congress does. So, you know, this scandal isn't over. And you have to remember, it's not just the censorship covering up stuff that you don't want people to see and violating FOIA law. That's another violation of law. And, uh, Congress is asleep at the switch here. For instance, Twitter was suppressing criticism of the election system. If you criticize the way they were setting up the system uh, by uh, throwing out mail ballots to tens of millions of people, not knowing where people were living or dying or whether they were eligible or not, the kind of the, the whole situation that led to people questioning the outcome of the 2020 election, if you were blowing the whistle on that ahead of time, Twitter was suppressing you in a way to help the Democrats and Joe Biden hurt President Trump. So it wasn't just Hunter Biden's laptop. It was every topic that was hurtful to the Republican Democratic cause in their effort to dethrone Trump. Well, possibly, and, and so they Donald, need to focus possibly, on that adequately. Tom, are, are you kidding me? You, you, you wrote an email about election fraud three days prior to the election. Like it's, it's, it was planned to call it election fraud before there was even any fraud. I don't understand what your point is. I was highlighting in that email the fact that uh, Democrats and the media were talking about how Trump was going to win on Election Day. And I was highlighting federal law. And as I've done publicly, that requires that electors for the president be chosen on Election Day. And the idea that the results of the Election Day would change as a result of counting for days and weeks afterwards 
was not only an anathema to any concept of a free and fair election, but was contrary to federal law. So I was gaming out what the Democrats saying was going to happen and was highlighting that would be inappropriate. That's a great email. I'm glad you highlighted it. So name redacted. I want to get you in here real quick. I do need you to DM me as well before I do that because yeah, my uh, DMs are broken. To... Jim's having problems. Okay. Today, yeah, so. DMs are horrible. <laughs> okay, I want to make gotcha. I want to make two quick points. The first one on civil liberty violations. Uh, has anyone in here read the 400-page deposition by Brian Scully in the Missouri v. Biden case? I am on page 60 of it. I will be finished tomorrow. It's very long. Okay, so I've read the entire 400-page deposition. I've written lengthily about it in my threads that are posted at the top. And this is not a question of was the intel agencies pressuring social media. Social media and the intel agencies and government were in partnership. They were working together. So they were having regular meetings and the uh, CISA was sending the misinformation or disinformation posts or accounts they wanted to social media and then social media was taking taking action, number one, okay? So that happened and then everyone can discuss whether that's a civil liberty violation or what. Number two, back to the hiring situation. I've done extensive research on this and I am very careful in my threads. I just post the facts. I don't make any um, claims or um, accuse anyone of wrongdoing, but here are the facts. And my threads are at the top on Facebook and Google. Prior to 2018, there were less than about 10 former Intel agency people working at both of these companies. After 2018, it is a fact, both Google and Facebook hired over 300 people and Twitter as well. Twitter only about 15. And it is a fact at Facebook currently and at Google, there are, at Google, there are three former CIA agents managing misinformation at Google YouTube. And it is a fact that at Facebook, the global head of misinformation currently is a former CIA agent named Aaron Berman. He was 17 years at the CIA, high-level high senior analyst writing presidential daily briefs and so on. And he went from that career straight to global manager at mis- misinformation at Facebook. Those are the facts. I'm not blame, uh, accusing anyone of wrongdoing, but that back to the hiring practices, this also all happened starting in 2018. So people but, can make any, it, you know, do we know what their roles were at Twitter? Because I know we were talking about the fact that there were nine yes, FBI agents all, that. I mean, a lot of is that named in Missouri? And then there's Jim Baker and then there's Don Burton. There's a lot, but this is bigger than Twitter. Facebook and Google are, are much is... larger. But name redacted. Didn't that start because of the whole thing with Taliban and how they were trying to recruit people into not Taliban? I sorry, ISIS. I don't know why. I don't know why it started. I simply did my research, posted it out there, highlighted the facts of it. And the facts are that former CIA analysts or agents are currently managing the misinformation departments at both Facebook and Google. And then I didn't make any accusations because I don't know. So to be fair to both sides, like, I don't know. Is it an yes. Operation Mockingbird type thing? I don't know. But yeah, that I'm... is a fact that they are working there. Yeah, I like the way you're reporting. You're sticking to the facts. You're not making leaps in rationale like like what happens with the 
with the bunter with the hunter laptop all the time. Yeah, or the exactly. Five like I don't want to. The purpose isn't to defame anyone, but the yeah. purpose is to show this is what happened, and I'm seeing the same exact pattern at Twitter, Facebook, and Google. I'm mm-hmm. doing it at the same time in the same sort of numbers. Yes. So a rational observer would look at that and go, okay, well, why is this happening at all three major social media platforms? And by the way, from, from, what, from what I was following, from what I was following, the remember when social media was crucified and the American people were all for it, that they need to stop the recruitment for people to into ISIS. And what part of their action that they started to do is to bring in ex-FBI agents or even the FBI to work together with them to stop this on social yeah. media. What, what, what year was that? Because that, that, this all started in 2018. So I, this, that's a different conversation, I think. This all happened ahead of the 2020 election. Yeah, I understand that. I'm just I showing the progress to get there. I, I think, I think it was that, Joe, you were making that point? Yes. Yeah, I think that's point. correct. You know, I first, you know, what had happened was and 2018 and, you know, frankly, um, that time of year, maybe it was, I think it was earlier than that, though. Uh, Twitter uh, was uh, kind of reaching out in D.C. because they needed to take steps to uh, take off uh, Islamic terrorist recruiters from their platform. And uh, they were expecting pushback from that. And so, um, sure enough, that within a year or two turned into uh, taking down Trump supporters. Right. Uh, but it all started out uh, trying to suppress the, uh, the internet jihad that had uh, uh, been started by someone the FBI had been paying for Anwar Alawaki in um, who, who kind of started the uh, concept of the uh, recruiting online uh, uh, terrorists. And that was the uh, only American um knowingly assassinated by the president uh, Obama at the time. Uh, quite, quite, quite the tale. Uh, but uh, it started off supposedly targeting Islamic terrorists. And, you know, for the left, of course, that's uh, an easy step uh, to target all their political opponents that we saw happened not only at Twitter, but all the other, all the other well, platforms. And, and, and this is why these restrictions that are in FBI rules and that, as uh, Tom mentioned, are in uh, civil law, uh, are in place because what happens is you start going through these gray areas and then suddenly someone potentially who has motive decides to twist that into something bad. And this is why we have these restrictions. And you know, this is, listen, the, the, these problems really have their origin. I mean, back to Pinkerton maybe in some degree, but, but really had their origin uh, with the uh, the uh, creation of the OSS and their, you know, you, you had a, a head of that organization during World War II that started to compete with uh, military intelligence and other things because of a desire for a power grab and doing things. Now, listen, this is why we put restraints on government. This is what constitutional restraints are all about. There is this temptation always to misuse government power and and the fact is that the definition of government is legal force we form governments which have force behind what they do and we give them certain uh uh cer- certain 
powers and authorities so that they will use that force toward what we would deem our good ends. That's in, in effect, I've just uh, summarized what the preamble to the Constitution says. That that that's what it was all about, and and what with that can uh, the reason we put restrictions there, the reason we wrote a constitution. By the way, knowing that British Parliament at the time did not have a constitution, that that they were relying on the goodness of those members to do what they were elected to do, knowing that that could be abused and that it had been abused, we wrote a constitution, and and we have to be diligent to reassert that. And that's why what's going on here, no matter where you fall in the political spectrum, that's why this is serious business and why it's disappointing that some people on the liberal side of things, not all, but some people on the liberal side of things don't seem to be too shocked by this. I want to say one Jim, more thing about the hearing today. Um, Yoel Roth confirmed in the hearing today, he was asked by a congressman, did you have regular meetings with the Office of Director of National Intelligence and the DHS? That's the ODNI and the DHS. And he said, yes. And that that confirms, again, the things I wrote in the thread posted above. So Yoel Roth confirmed it today that Twitter did have regular meetings with the ODNI. And then that that moved towards the topic of the Hunter Biden laptop about warnings of a hack and leak operation and those were the what the was discussed in those meetings with the ODNI and DHS CISA Kim isn't that just part of governing though like yeah they reacted because of ISIS they overshot people abused their power and now we have this problem Trump what do you mean effort- what, what do you mean part of governing you to have federal agencies including agencies that are supposed to be outward looking uh, for intelligence purposes to meet with domestic corporations in order to suppress content by American citizens that have nothing to do with intelligence matters or, frankly, any criminal activity. That's not just governance. That's criminalization of our federal law enforcement and intelligence agencies. I mean, you have the State Department. I can, Twitter I'll repeat what Biden I mean, the meetings. The meetings are evidence of crime. It's not governance. The, like I, I'll repeat what Name said. It's you can decide whether you think that's criminal or not. I personally don't. If they if they forced them to take it down, yes, it's criminal. If they suggested them to take it down, I don't believe that. I don't believe that's criminal. But that's not what I want to argue with you. What I'm what I'm what I'm trying to bring up is, for example, Trump was trying to help the coal industry, and more coal plants closed down during his. Uh, during his term than under Obama because he overshot. They couldn't afford what he was trying to do and they had to shut down. This thing with ISIS, they put agents in the office, they abused their power, tried to extend their power and are are censoring material they shouldn't censor. And about the New York, New York Post article, it was down for 24 hours. You know what I mean? But this happens no, when you're tw- governing. Uh, New York no, it was suspended for weeks on Twitter. It was suspended for two weeks. The paper was suspended so, for two yeah, weeks. Yeah, Joe, anyway, Joe, you got to remember there that the, what was going on with that. Yeah, it was down for 48 hours or whatever. But, but what you got to understand is they right, got, hold on, exactly. they got it taken down so that they'd have enough time to get a bunch of former intelligence officials to write a letter to say, yeah, this is probably Russian disinformation. So what, that when it comes That's back right. up. 
it's useless information because, you know, the, the American people need time to process this kind of thing. That's why this was such a horrible and illegal, in my opinion, scheme is because they needed the time to make it useless information so that when it came up, people would say, oh, well, you know, all these former intelligence officials say it's bad. Yeah, it must be. And we know that there's been Russian disinformation because we just learned that over two years, three years, four years. And and that's that's the scheme there. So the, the, the whole 48-hour argument is just false on its face. Yeah, and what Tom said about these intel agencies having an outward-looking view that is correct why is the there's no basis for the hunter biden laptop them saying it's russian disinformation but then you have the office of director of national intelligence briefing twitter on a potential hack and leak which was the hunter biden laptop that should not have been happening did they direct twitter to take it down i don't know but they were talking to twitter the odni was and the odni was in charge of this whole operation through CISA, feeding intel to CISA, then going to the rest of social media. Those are the facts. So, so I, I do want to go to Patrick here in just a second because he's been there. I, I do want his take on this. But name redacted, can you in 30 seconds summarize for our audience where that line may be when, you know, when we start violating the Constitution of the United States and violating, I believe Tom mentioned the Ku Klux Klan Act, which was interesting, and I want to know more about that as well. But where is that line between the FBI acting in a legal manner versus an illegal manner? I'll give my brief answer, but I think Tom's more qualified for this. In my opinion, again, as I've shown, these are just facts. Twitter was not pressured. Social media was not pressured. There was, and it through Missouri v. Biden, which Tira, if I pronounce your name right, you'll, you'll see that social media was in partnership with the intelligence community in my thread, Bill Evanina says that. It is a fact. There was no pressure. They were not pressuring them to take down posts. So should our social media companies be partnering with our intelligence agencies? That's the question. I think that comes from the Mark Zuckerberg interview on Joe Rogan. Is that right? He was one of the first ones to come out and talk about the FBI pressuring Facebook to take yeah, down certain information. I don't know if he said the word pressure, but he did say the FBI did come to them and warn them so yeah but they were they were partners together in this effort read read the thread i mean evanina who's a director of an intelligence agency is it's his own words even jack dorsey said it in front of congress acknowledging they have a partnership with law enforcement so tom can i think they still are i think they're still they're still are right yeah 100 percent. it's still happening that's probably why i'm locked out of my account right now I tweeted about the FBI. Last time I said something about the FBI on a space, I was kicked out of my own space call. So it's pretty interesting. That happens all the time to us. Hopefully that's not the case. But uh, Tom? No, nobody nobody can, can tweet anything right now. It's uh, There's some issues at the back end. It's not just you. Oh, are well, you I having that issue fine. too? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah, like I'm over and over again to reload the, the like. It, it just, it's busting, yeah. Oh, okay. Twitter, Twitter, yeah. Just, uh, just give you guys a tip. Uh, just give you guys. I'm not listening, but I just thought I'd jump in. The way, if you want to tweet, what you could do is you could just go in, schedule a tweet one minute in advance. So just put one minute from now, schedule a tweet, and it will tweet. So it's a little hack to to be able to tweet. This is crazy, Mario. I'm wondering if you should update the title of the space because I'm wondering if a lot of people are 
are looking to figure out what's going on with Twitter, why Twitter is broken. Oh, that's a good point. There you go. Uh, I'll do that now. Mario, I didn't know you had a hacker inside of you, man. <laughs> yeah, man. No, I was impressed. I actually impressed myself. Um, Wait, how do you schedule a tweet, Mario? Um, there's like a little... I'll send you a screenshot on Telegram now. I'll, I'll do it now. There's a little calendar, at least online. If you do it on your um, computer, there's a little calendar uh, at the uh, button at the bottom of your tweet. Yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you no, on, on Telegram. I'll send I it to you on Telegram. Someone and it denied me. Yeah, yeah, that's how I knew. Yeah. That, yeah, that's how it happened. Um, but, anyway, so I'll I'll uh, I'll give you the mic, Nick. Uh, just thought but, that you, you know. know uh, Tira, when you're reading this uh, deposition, I'd like to connect with you in the future. I'm curious your thoughts. On yeah, well, I got to be honest. Find. The first 60 pages, the guy is basically saying we're doing it for foreign reasons, and there's nothing going on, and he didn't remember anything, right? So that so far, yeah. so far, it's been a big nothing. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, we have, I think, at least, you know, we sue a lot, so I, I'm sure there's more than I'm even remembering. At least three federal FOIA lawsuits on um, SISA, uh, the the HHS operation, uh, and uh, the FBI operation. And, uh, you know, the question I have, though, you know, uh, Elon Musk said he was going to look into it. I'm not aware of any public statement subsequent to that as to whether this portal's the secret portal that they were using is still being used or open for government agencies to secretly or uh, have this backdoor way or special access to Twitter principles to get um, content taken down. You know, one aspect of the, if I were the Republicans, I would be concerned that, you know, Twitter's, Twitter's largely stopped a lot of this. I mean, there's, I think a lot of legacy, censorship that's still going on in Twitter. And I, my understanding is based on his public statements, that's eventually going to go by the wayside, but this is still, uh, it's all speed ahead in, um, Facebook and Google Facebook, which, uh, you know, Meta owns Facebook and Instagram. And of course, Google owns YouTube. Uh, they haven't stopped at all. And in fact, it's just as bad as it's ever been in terms of censorship and suppression. And so, you know, the concern is that uh, the Biden administration is continuing this censorship push on a host of issues. Uh, it's slowed on Twitter, but in terms of the sheer volume, if imp in terms of the numbers of people impacted, uh, the big numbers are on Facebook and YouTube. And I know if I were to go on YouTube and said that photo fraud had a material impact on the 2020 election, uh, they'd take the video down. Uh, which is a completely political, pro-Biden, uh, left-wing talking point uh, censorship push. And uh, despite the fact, for instance, that we have now evidence through the Twitter files that the election was rigged uh, by companies working with government uh, to keep away information about a candidate uh, that was negative, meaning the candidate Biden, and in addition, you had other censorship going on of his opposition candidate, Trump, for no good reason, other than uh, they didn't like what he was tweeting, even though it was accurate within the realm of public debate. And even if it's inaccurate, that's especially when you have to let it go up, especially if you're trying to pretend to be a platform that Twitter 
and these other platforms are pretending. Yeah, about. I mean, ostensibly, the First Amendment is there to protect to protect uh, horrible speech you don't like and misinformation and disinformation. Not because we want those things to propagate, but because we're human beings, and sometimes <clears throat> there are people who will be bad actors. Sometimes they're negligent or just don't understand in some benign fashion. Sometimes they move in and out of those things. So we're going to shut you down now when you're being negligent or a bad actor or you're just ignorant. Uh, but then when you get smart again, we're going to bring you back in. Like the, the First Amendment is designed to allow that. And, and we have to keep pressing this point because this is where we're at as a country. And you literally are hearing government officials, you're hearing uh, leaders in social media companies saying, yeah, you know, we need to take care of of people saying things wrong or doing things wrong, or even people that want to cause harm by putting out bad information. No, that is not what the First Amendment is about. There's no, you, there's, you have to twist your mind so hard to come up with anything in the First Amendment that allows that. That's important, not just for legal reasons, which are very serious, particularly as it relates to government action. But it's also serious as a culture. And yes, there are certain things that we can't stop people doing when they make their own decisions. But we actually have a need as a culture to honor and respect even when people are bad. I mean, we've got group, we got people on this thing right here that disagree with one another, sometimes in very serious ways, and yet we're just interacting. That's got to be propagated. That ability needs to be propagated. What we are doing right now, we have to remember, is not allowed on YouTube. It's not allowed in certain areas. It's not allowed on Facebook. I mean, I've got 5,000 Facebook followers, and I'm hardly spending time on there. But the only people that ever could get my stuff were people who specifically follow me there and friends that uh, that interact with my content already regularly. If they stop interacting, they stop seeing it. I mean, they've got that thing totally shut down. Whereas we're all here talking right now. We need to propagate that throughout this culture once again. And if we don't, we're going to lose it, not just for legal means, but but we're going to shut ourselves down. That's That's my fear. Is there any chance that anyone has stepped in at Twitter, like government-wise or, uh, you know, deeper state than that even, to try to shut down Twitter or the servers or you know, file, I don't know, would we even know? Would we be aware if there was some sort of internal investigation going on? I'm not at liberty to say. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, because we've seen the UN, we've seen them literally, we've seen them threaten to uh, sanction Elon Musk and Twitter. So it's just interesting, um, you know, that this is happening right now. I mean, I, I doubt they're doing anything like that, but there is significant pressure on Elon Musk in retaliation uh, for his pushing for free speech. And, uh, you know, there isn't a negative word that's written about him, even about his other companies or any controversy that isn't t- tied, to, in my view, to the left wing narrative that uh, he's got to be stopped. Uh, Twitter's need to, needs to be stopped in terms of allowing uh, more free speech on its platform, and because it's, uh, it, it's, it's infected his right? coverage of Tesla. It's infected. It's infected even his the stock price of Tesla. It's been, in my view, 
uh, purposely talked down by the usual suspects to punish him for what he's doing on Twitter. And, and the company's success is kind of helping mitigate that. But uh, we, one has to wonder where Tesla would be, but for the purposeful negative coverage of him to punish him for his uh, pro-free speech um, stances. And uh, the Biden administration's threatened him. I mean, yet the president of the United States say he should be subject to a national security investigation. I don't know how much more retaliatory can you get uh, for for daring to exercise uh, free speech because he's got supposedly these secret foreigners that are really running Twitter behind the scenes. I mean, it's always the same argument, isn't it, with this crowd? There's always a secret foreign agent working with their political enemies. Uh, well, the, they usually the point the finger at other people for exactly right. what they're doing. While Biden's family is specifically on the take uh, from the Chinese, the Russians, and the Ukraines all at once. Well, the but thing didn't, the didn't Trump is, pay more taxes to China than the U.S.? Yeah, like, the thing, I don't understand why the constant back and forth of Biden this or Clinton that when the other side is just as guilty. Trump paid more taxes to China. Right. He tried to blackmail Ukraine. He put someone that's in office probably, that was trying to put another, another person space. in power. Yeah, well, because because it's not the same. That's why it's not a back and forth. It's a question, is there a principled argument about what Biden did that's based on facts as opposed to political talking points that you're putting out there about Trump's conduct? The thing with the Tesla stock, too, is to remember Elon Musk has posted a large percentage of his pers- you know, his Tesla stake in stock to these banks to back up the you know, the billions in loans he has out. So what you're, I think, seeing in the stock price is you have these hedge funds that are doing a sort of a bear rate and shorting the stock to try to like trigger a margin call or a collateral call of some sort. And they're just kind of jumping upon that opportunity. And that's why I think, you know, aside from economic issues and Federal Reserve raising rates, why you've seen Tesla stock go down. But anyway, I have to get going. Thank you, uh, Nick and Jim and Mario for having me up. Uh, my DMs are open. If anyone ever has any questions about my threads, I'm happy to get into discussion. But I'll well, don't even attempt to DM right now because yeah, they're not going to work, and we're going to cover that here very shortly. But um, but right. I want to give Nick. I want to I wanna, uh, thanks Amber Dacted. Uh Patrick and Eric. I'm going to give you guys a little bit of time to say what you want to say, and then we uh, we have to jump for a little bit to this uh, Twitter issue that we're having right now. Hey, uh, I just want to say thank you very much uh, for hosting this discussion. Everything that's been said is excellent. The analysis on this is pretty, for, from everybody, is very, very much spot on. I, I found myself, unfortunately, included in the Twitter files. I was contacted by Matt Taibbi a couple of weeks ago. He says, hey, Patrick, by the way, dear, do you know you're in the files? And so as it turns out, uh, my account, uh, which was registered in 2008, and had 92,000 followers at the time, uh, was, was marked on the Hamilton 68 dashboard as a Russian bot account. And I even have my blue badge, you know, since 2018. Uh, that didn't stop me from getting included on that blacklist. But, uh, what's interesting is the person running Hamilton 68 is a former FBI agent by the name of Clint Watts. I've also criticized him in the past as far back as 2016. And, uh, this, this whole thing started really even before the 2016 election, during the election cycle, this is when you started seeing after Hillary Clinton sort of raised the dog whistle about uh, Russian disinformation, 
uh, Russian interference. Then the blacklist started appearing. There was a number of academics that started doing this. And then Proper Not, which was actually launched or promoted by the Washington Post by, by the author, uh, Craig Timberg is with the Knight Center for Journalism at Stanford University. It's a completely ridiculous concept, but that blacklist was the template for Hamilton 68. And all these things were afforded all sorts of credibility from various academics like Melissa Zimdars from Merrimack College and other academic working groups were formed. And this is when all this started gestating. It started with Russian disinformation helping Trump get elected. Then soon that whole system that was in flux and being created was then moved over to COVID-19, vaccine disinformation. And so this is a very complex system that it's not just government. It's not just big tech. You've got academic working groups or what, you know, people, people call civil society, third sector organizations like NewsGuard. There's an academic working group out of the University of Washington that doxes people online and calls it mapping disinformation. They're using heat maps, crowd tangle, uh, there's other uh, glyphy, all these re- sort of really impressive looking uh, data uh, crunching programs that create graphic representations of traffic online. They say they're mapping disinformation. What they're really mapping is dissent, dissenting opinion. Then they go to government with that information. Government takes that has the academic backing, the credibility. Then they go to big tech and say, look, we have these lists of these accounts. They're spreading misinformation, be it on COVID, vaccines, on Syria, on Ukraine. Just take your pick on whatever the issue du jour is. Whatever goes against whatever the government narrative that they're promoting at that time, this is what these groups will use. So they're getting their funding from government. So that academic thinking think tank engine is very important because that provides the so-called expert uh, official sort of veneer to this whole sordid practice. And not only that, they also the press like the Huffington Post and these are these types of press outlets will then put pressure on the big tech firm saying, hey, we've just found out from such and such that you've got all these. Uh, January 6th insurrectionists, or you've got all these anti-vaxxers. Uh, CNN does this, has done this before, pressured Facebook to get rid of all the anti-vaxxer mom accounts. Okay, this is all well-known stuff. I'm not making any of this up. This is factual uh, recorded yeah. things. So, so, so whole- I, 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 yeah. I, 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 I got to get Eric in here real quick because we do have to stop. Oh, he's gone. Never mind. Um, yeah, so, you know, I'll give you, <laughs> I'll give you like 15 more seconds to finish your point. Sorry about sure, that. Sure. So, so when it comes to the First Amendment issue, there's a good uh, case right now, which is, uh, Mark Changizi, uh, also Sanger and Codis versus the HSS. This is, this is a lawsuit filed by the New Civil Liberties Alliance. And it's a, that's absolutely, as Tom Fitton said, it's an open and shut case. That private company excuse that Facebook supporters would constantly defer to that oh it's a private company they can censor who they like that's completely null and void once there's collusion between the state and the private entity to deny first amendment uh, protected rights to any u.s citizen um so that that case was knocked back it's now an appeal but because of the twitter files that changes the whole uh what's available in terms of discovery or uh answer evidence now so from that point of view the twitter files has been amazing um, and it will help many, many other cases in terms of the legal challenges. But so this is ongoing. This is the beginning 
of what could be uh, an absolute trickle, uh, endless trickle of potential lawsuits and class action lawsuits. So they're, they're, they're really, from a legal point of view, there's no escape um, for all the actors that are involved in this, be they government agencies, big tech, or anybody else that's directly involved in this. And there's some very interesting names that are popping up, former Facebook employees cycled into academia with these work groups, people from government agencies then cycled into big tech. And there's all these four things, the press, big tech, the civil society element, uh, and the government, those four things are working together. Mike Benz from the Foundation for Freedom Alliance is doing amazing work on this. He's probably done better research on this probably than anybody. So I encourage people to go look at what he's got on this. But it's it, this is just the beginning. The Twitter files is the tip of the iceberg. It's much bigger than this. And I've been personally affected by this since 2016. And we, we've fortunately had Mike Benz on earlier, Patrick, and that's really important. And it's why, as we close this out, I want to, be repetitive. No, we're not. We're not closing. No, out here. I know. No, clear. close out this section. Uh, I want to be very clear to repeat that uh, the First Amendment protects misinformation and disinformation. It specifically protects it, and the only re- way that they, these academic institutions you talked about, Patrick, or government agencies, can act is by fooling people into thinking that people that put out bad info, whether in a benign fashion or a malicious fashion. They're the ones that are protected by uh, the First Amendment, not the people that say good information, <laughs> although they are too. But that's that's why we have this thing. And the arguments in the Changizi versus HSS case um, are, are absolutely um, se- seminal in this. And Mark, Dr. Mark Changizi, who is a um, amazing behavioral psychologist, published a number of amazing books. He, he, the arguments that he's making in this is goes down to the essence of what is truthful information. How do we as a society come together to gain a consensus or to have some sort of common understanding or agreement on certain things? And what you said is absolutely correct. That's the whole point of the First Amendment. It's for uncomfortable speech. It's for wrong speech. It's for things that don't seem correct, maybe are incorrect. But as a society, we can only come to the truth through a widely distributed very uh, dispersed process that sends signals back to where the uh, conversation is being moderated to find out what is true in the end. And you need false disinformation. You need everything out there in the space. And then credibility of all the actors involved in this process in society is determined through that process. It can't be sanitized. If you, if you have it sanitized, you have no democracy. You can't pretend to have a democracy. Okay, so so I do. I, I want to transition over to what seems to be going on with Twitter right now. We're trying to learn more and more about it. It seems that I know that we're having issues here with bringing up speakers and being able to DM speakers and even people DMing us. And you also can't tweet or retweet. So there's obviously some major issues here. Uh, yeah. So I wanted to face Facebook is also having problems reportedly. No follows either. You can't follow anyone. Really? Can't like anything, can't open DMs, can't send DMs. I'm hoping there, I'm wondering if there's a chance Elon Musk might jump in here and if there's a chance Elon Musk might jump in here and share with us what's going on if he has information on what might be happening on the back end. Yeah. So, so Justin, Justin Watson, I thought you would bring a, a, you'd be a good one to bring up on this because you are a programmer and uh, there have been some uh, some people here that have been talking about the fact that maybe this, uh, actually some people in our space may not have heard about this yet. 
Uh, it was just released, I believe, today that people can now tweet up to 4,000 characters in the United States. Is this creating an issue for Twitter? Is it too big of a load on the server? Uh, is it like, what are we looking at here, Justin? What's your synopsis? Uh, good evening. Good morning, everyone. Um, so the error code that's coming back from Twitter whenever you're trying to post a tweet is that it's a, a code 185, which basically just means that the user is over their daily status update limit. Um, so it, it appears as though Twitter has put some kind of throttling mechanic in place to prevent you from sending X number of tweets. I know that, you know, users have been seeing this over the past few weeks when you try to refresh the timeline and uh, look at comments on tweets. Um, just to be aware as well, um, I am tracking that both uh, Twitter and Facebook have about 10,000 outage reports each so they're, they're both you know receiving massive reports of outages um so twitter's official status page has not been updated it's saying all systems are operational so they're, they're not keeping the status page fully up to date um one other thing to take into account is that um twitter announced uh, a few days ago that they were no longer going to have a free API tier. And starting tomorrow is when it goes into effect that you'll have to pay in order to integrate with Twitter. Um, so things like bots and websites that integrate with like Twitter authentication or that automate posts, um, you'll have to pay for that service. And you'll also have to um, go through a verification process. So it, it could be many things. Um, I, I think speculating on it right now is just, you know, going to be for fun until we actually get a response from Twitter on this. We won't know for sure. The error code that we got back, though, saying that the, the users over their daily status update limit kind of makes me think that maybe when they were rolling out this long form tweet uh, technology, that maybe there was something else in there that they forgot to not include in this update that ended up biting them in the butt and going into effect that is now preventing users from being able to post tweets. I'm, I'm still researching this. So as this call or as this space progresses, I'll try to share more information as my research continues. Okay, so so just to be clear here, there were people that were saying that Facebook is having similar issues. Uh, do you know anything about that, and how would that even be connected to to Twitter? Um, so the, these platforms they they operate their own servers in their own data centers, but then they also leverage cloud companies like Google Cloud, AWS, and others for some underlying tech. Um, and so if if one of those cloud providers is having issues, then it, it can affect you know multiple platforms at once. You often see this with things like when Cloudflare has an outage, it affects hundreds of the Fortune 500's websites whenever Cloudflare has issues. And so kind of similar to that. Um, but I, I do find it interesting that on Down Detector, both Twitter and Facebook have around 10,000 reports here in the last 15 minutes. So uh, I'm, I'm still researching it right now, and I'll have more to share here shortly. Michael, jump in. I know Nick is fixing his mic, so jump in, Michael. Michael, are you there or you're muted, man? Um, yeah, yeah, I'm here. Sorry. Um, All right, cool. You had your hand up or that was from before? Uh, well, I mean, it's sort of on a tangential subject related to Twitter. I mean, I can't really add anything to the speculation on what's going on technically. I did try to tweet something and then it disappeared and I thought so, like, no, the way I did tweet, something I don't wrong, know if you guys so, – yeah. but Michael, the way to tweet – I don't know if someone mentioned it after I mentioned it earlier. The way to tweet for anyone that wants to tweet is just to schedule a tweet. So you, you I should probably tweet a way to schedule it. So tell everyone. So the way you just click on that calendar at the bottom right corner, you schedule a tweet a minute from now, 
and then the tweet will go out a minute from now. But Justin, uh, you know, because Nick is, fi- is fixing his mic, he asked me to jump back in because we do have another space shortly, and I was preparing for that. But it, you said I, I heard the last bit. You said uh, Facebook and Twitter are both down. Is that server? Is that a server issue then? Um, I, I'm not saying that Facebook is down. I'm just saying that people are reporting it. There's a website called Down Detector that received user. Yeah, Down Detector, which is yeah, yeah, that's one I use as well. But that that down. So anyone that doesn't know, DownDetector.com is that it? Down Detector. Yeah. Yeah, DownDetector.com. Um, but yeah, so if, if both Facebook and Twitter are reporting issues, it's relatively uncommon. Usually, when there's two websites, correct me if I'm wrong, man. I'm uh, not an expert, but usually with two websites, it's it's, it's, it's because it's a server issue with the servers. But they don't, they don't show they use the it, same It's not necessarily servers. It could be a billion different things. Um, like, for instance, Cloudflare protects a lot of websites and a lot of the work that they Yes, of so course. It could be yeah, DNS. Yeah. I don't think it's DNS-related. I don't necessarily think it's cloud-related. But um, seeing seeing reports, like on Down Detector, I look on their homepage to see the top reported issues. It's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and for some reason the McDonald's app as well, um, which is kind of interesting to see. Um, but so – uh, unfortunately, their iPhone machine is still broken. <laughs> Nick, I'll give you the mic back. Can I ask, I've got one question, and I'll give you the mic back, and I'll jump off. But Justin, <laughs> it's a stupid question, but fuck it. I have a space that we've prepared heavily for uh, in 20 minutes, 23 minutes. From what you're seeing, considering now that you tell me there's so many websites that are down, I'm, I'm less optimistic. But uh, should I say bye-bye to this space? Because we have a lot of special guests and the BBC and stuff joining. No. Is that... RIP. No, I, I would say that that's probably still going to function fine. Like I said, you should still probably have that space. Um, I, I think that this is just going to be a throttling issue. They'll probably roll back and fix this probably pretty quickly. I, I don't foresee this lasting very long, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah, so, so yeah, I was going to say, I don't need a uh, back-end way to tweet right now. I'm not that desperate to tweet. I mean, I can probably bide my time for a half hour. <laughs> I was wondering if it seems to just be a mobile issue versus because you're able to schedule tweets and that's using, you know, like the desktop no, you browser. Can, no, that, you sh- yeah, no. So you can't tweet normally with browser either. Unfortunately, I, I, I've tried on a non-blue account. I've tried with a blue account. Both of them, I get errors on posting because so on, with blue. Uh, Michael, uh, it's just, just quickly, Fox is also down. Someone just told me. Joe, I told me. Is he on stage? No, he's not on stage anymore. Uh, but he just DM me now. Fox is Fox. down as well. Fox is down. Fox, no, Fox, Fox, Fox News? Fox News is going down on... Hold on. Fox, I'm watching Fox oh, no. News right now. Fox News is going down on multiple networks in the US, also on Down really? Detector. Really? Just got a message from Joa. You guys know Joa. I have a theory. Does anyone have a notion of this? I mean, I have no idea, but does anyone have like at least a preliminary suspicion or hunch that this could be some sort of... Chinese balloon. Yeah, state... Is that you, Michael? Michael, Michael, you got to make everything entertaining, Michael. I like it. <laughs> no, that was me. I, I have another Chinese theory. I, I think it's interesting. I didn't mention the Chinese balloon. I'm just wondering if anybody's had a premonition. Well, I, I think it's interesting. The timing of this is coinciding with the topic of our space, which is following the congressional hearings on censorship. Um, so I'm going to go way, way, way out in the li- on a limb. You guys <laughs> wait, can wait, all especially laugh after the lights went you out. You can all laugh at me there. next week. But here's my <laughs> way, way, way out on a limb. So if you look at the government's censorship regime, the of the 17 plus, maybe more federal agencies that are currently implicated in this, the one that seems to be at the center of all the spokes is 
I don't know how you say it, CISA or CISA, C-I-S-A, Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, which is a little-known agency that was stood up around 2016, 2017. The purpose of this agency was to protect us from cyber attacks and protect, protect our critical uh, digital infrastructure. A couple years into uh, their existence, the director of uh, CISA, which is, who is now someone deeply involved in censorship and in the private realm, uh, one, one of the partners of this agency. He's a media pundit now, too, Chris Kripp. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, so what if, um, and, and by the way, so they pivoted at a certain point and started talking about the real threat to our infrastructure. It's not computer viruses or cyber attacks, but we need to protect what they called our cognitive infrastructure. Now, what is our cognitive infrastructure and how is it threatened? Well, it's threatened by your ideas or my ideas or the ideas of people that, you know, the government doesn't like. And so to protect our cognitive infrastructure, uh, we need censorship. So very quickly, this agency got into the business of censorship and they're deeply, deeply involved in uh, the whole censorship apparatus and, and partnering with University of Washington, Stanford, and two other private entities on their role in the censorship regime. What if they don't like being hauled before Congress? And what if what if they're flexing a little bit that, you know, look at what, what we're protecting all of you from, right? If you call into question our methods or, um, or you know, the importance of this agency to national security, look at what happened. I mean, all the shit hit the fan in one day simply because people couldn't get on Twitter or Facebook or, you know, couldn't download articles from Fox News. Um, so that's my way, way, way out on the limb. But um, after what we've been through in the last three years, uh, <laughs> what what sounds like a conspiracy theory today might seem more plausible nine months from now. Nah, yeah. I think it's because McDonald's put out a big a McTweet, and so it's screwing <laughs> everything up. I, I have some more news for you guys right now. It looks like Twitter DMs are now broken as well. So if you yeah, go to are. your DMs. We knew, that. we knew that. It's not news. So that was the problem. I was about to ask people that that have experience in this field to DM me so we can bring them up. But um, I'm gonna be, yeah, I'm request. I'll go through manually. At this, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I don't think that this is related to the other service outages. I would pin this more to the API changes that they're going to be rolling out tomorrow. Um, I think that they may have accidentally like shot themselves in the foot and caused the throttling on the front end for their, their main client, which is essentially the way that Twitter connects to its own platform is, you know, communicating over their network. And I think that what they may have done is put those limits in place that are restricting themselves. Um, I, I think that just the fact that other, other networks and stuff are having issues. I think that that's kind of unrelated um, because we're not seeing that like, I, I, this is I, not a DDoS attack because we're not getting service. Like we're not getting no response from the server. We're getting a response saying that our requests are being throttled. Whereas like a response that if, if the servers weren't res responding to us at all, that's where I would think, oh, this is a DDoS attack or something like that. That doesn't appear to be the case yeah. in this situation. It, it does just, seem, I'm, I'm just basing this on, and I'll let you go right into this, Joa. It does seem based on down detector data. Uh, and down detector is actually managed by Ookla, which is a, you know, quite a large tech firm here. So there's a little bit of reliability there anyway. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, and McDonald's, which I don't know how they're related, 
do seem to be, uh, you know, panning back out to normal status. So we'll see. We'll, we'll see if that maintains there. Uh, but uh, Joe, I'll let you jump in there. I just want to give that a question. No, I was just going to ask Justin because he's he he's the one that mentioned the site. Isn't Fox News up there for you as well? And people are it, it is Fox is it is, but I went to Fox News' website myself, and everything seemed to be working fine. Um, they they said on Frontier on Frontier, which I think is like near Florida, is Frontier, and one other network as well. The way the way people are yeah, I'm I'm down in Miami and it's fine. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah. That, okay. the, the way that broadcasting in those situations works uh, generally relies on like private peered connections that doesn't go over the public internet. Um, for stability reasons usually that's a dedicated like dark fiber connection or it goes over satellites so um i would assume that any kind of broadcast issues would be kind of unrelated to what's happening at twitter could amazon web services be a common denominator here to my knowledge um twitter doesn't use aws um but i I have been checking i'm checking aws and status page right now they do use google though so that could be yeah i was i was pulling up gcp as well um Uh, so, Justin, let me ask you this as well. I, I know a lot of people are going to be wondering the same thing. There was a, if you remember, there was a Facebook outage. It was a widespread outage of Facebook where pretty much nobody could they could get on Facebook, but nobody could post, nobody could message. Uh, and that happened for, uh, that was probably eight hours that day. Is this something that could potentially be similar? Do we know what the issues were with Facebook at that yeah, point? Yeah, I'm very well versed in that. Um, so essentially, the way that the internet works is when you type in like Facebook.com, that that URL that you're typing in resolves to like IP addresses, which are think of like a home address, right? Um, and essentially, what happened was you Facebook operates their own networks, and so they they have to announce to all the internet providers around the world, hey, this is where you can find me at. Well, what happened at Facebook was um, their core engineering for networking team stopped announcing all of their addresses globally, which was an absolute, pardon my language, shit show for them because – Facebook eats their own dog food in the sense that everything that is used to run Facebook from their from their telecommunication systems for communicating with one another to Facebook Workplace, which is like their internal version of like Slack, all of those systems went down. It was so bad that engineers couldn't even get access to the data center because their key cards that they used to swipe on the data center doors couldn't communicate over the Facebook network. They were u- having to use axes to break into their own data centers to try to fix the mess that was caused. And um, that was probably one of the largest blunders that I've ever seen a Fortune 500 company make. Um, And there was a lot of speculation around whether or not that was intentional, because if all of their communication systems go down, then that that removes a lot of the auditing process, too. And this was right around the time that that whistleblower stuff was happening. So there were a bunch of conspiracy theories going around whether or not Facebook did that intentionally to delete some files uh you know uh, to to say the least and that like i said that was a conspiracy theory but at the same time at the level i would guarantee you that only probably like five max 10 people have the ability at facebook to do what happened to facebook and they're senior level folks these are these are going to be executive level employees that have access to those type of controls yeah so so i i want to bring in the mad scientist on this i don't know if you heard that uh that that synopsis that Justin just gave over the past few minutes. 
Um, if you did, I definitely want your response to that. See if you agree with Justin. And then I also want to ask you, uh, Twitter did come out and say that they were going to change their, their algorithm this week in a, in a pretty substantial way, especially after last week where we saw the, the issue where people would go private and their tweets would be, uh, they would have a bigger reach and higher engagement. Could they, could they be playing with the algorithm and actually messing things up that would cause an outage, something like this? I was actually just going to say that. Uh, so the Twitter algos, um, at least as best as we can tell, because they obviously won't release any of that information. Um, they work off of like, who do you like? Who likes you? Yada, yada, yada. And then there's bot engagement farms. The term bot is very loosely used here because some of them are like humans over on other sides. And then they get on and just start clawing at this stuff to, to make these engagements happen. And that's how, like, when you see something really odd that shows up on your timeline, it's because these guys have figured out how to game this all. And so if they're messing with this in a way that's causing this algo to show you weird things, show you different things, or it's messing with these bots, then they could be trying to follow, retweet, and move around at such a rate that it's outside of Twitter's technical capability to handle it. Um, or it's, and this is probably the most closer answer, it's an API problem because they changed the API and everybody that's using things like TweetDeck and all that other stuff are all having their problems. But we're seeing now that you can schedule tweets ahead and those are going through most likely working on a different system. What's up, Justin? Sorry. Uh, I just, Hey, scientists, just quick question to you, man. And, and brother, I brought you up. Been a while, man. How are you? Oh man, uh, I'm doing, I, I'm doing well. Uh, you know, we released our platform a couple of weeks ago, so I've been doing lots of tweaks on that. So, um, yeah, yeah, real good. just man, just quickly, you're talking about issues within Twitter, but again, uh, I, I don't know if you guys covered this, but uh, you know, we are seeing a lot of other websites down, including Facebook and someone mentioned Fox as well. Joe mentioned Fox and someone mentioned McDonald's app. So it, 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 we cannot look at just Twitter itself. Someone said that maybe one of their updates, the rolling out the long, long form tweets, could be the reason. But when there's other websites that are down, I think it's beyond Twitter. No. AWS. So that was my initial guess. That, that was my initial guess. But Justin, I think Justin said there's too many more. There's there's Cloudflare could be another well, one. Well, not for Twitter in particular. I was just giving a reference earlier. But I, I just checked AWS and Google Cloud. Both of them are reporting fully operational. Both of them are usually really good too. What else, Justin? What what else could it be? What else could it be? I'm actually curious. I about. to be quite honest with you, I think this is Twitter just making a mistake on a rollout, especially when they roll out a brand new feature, right? Like. What, what happens in these development environments is uh, developers, you know, work on certain features and then they stage those features to be rolled out. And I, I think that this may have just been something that was in the works that got put into production accidentally. Um, and so more than likely, you know, within the next 30 minutes, things will probably start working again because they'll just roll this update back and that'll automatically fix things. The, the response that we're getting on the front end and when you're trying to tweet is that, you know, user is at daily status update limit. So it's not like their systems aren't responding. They're, they're responding properly and just saying, hey, you're at your daily limit. And so that leads me to believe that they rolled out a feature that ended up breaking the platform in terms of. Oh, okay, so but you're, you're, you think that you think Facebook being down at the same time is just pure coincidence? I, I, I do. Come on, man. We don't have any evidence that Facebook is down right now. Let me let me be. Clear I just checked. No, hold on, man. I'm checking down detector. Yeah, it yeah. did it did improve, but it did spike up. 
I would like to identify. I would like Instagram and Facebook were down. And Fox. Let's also remember when we say something is down, everyone goes to check to see what's down. And that probably doesn't help anything. Well, Facebook is up. Yeah, but, but, I can post but, on Facebook just fine. No, no, it's back up. Yeah, but Ian, it's back. First, could be back up to you, but not others. But look at down detected. It was down, uh, and then it became better at about. Uh, yeah, it was down about an hour and a half ago. Um, I'm not saying it's related. I, don't, I have no idea. I, I it's it's unlikely to be related. It's. Uh, I, I don't. You know. I want to make these websites go down sometimes. You know, to the DNS uh, needs to propagate or something. It takes a few hours. I, or even well less than that, but with Twitter, it, it seems to be a different issue. I, I want to make users aware: too, yeah. down detector does not work off of like checking things itself. It relies solely yeah, on reports. user reports, right. and so you know, there's a lot of things that can impact that. If I ha- I haven't seen an issue personally with Facebook, I can still post there, and everything's working fine for me. Um, so. My my point though is that I I do truly believe that the issue at Twitter is completely unrelated. Uh, yeah, already Matt Couch uh, is already tweeted. Uh, just looking at Twitter. How did he tweet? Hold on, he tweeted thirty two seconds ago. Oh, he did the scheduled tweet, little tweet. Yeah, the scheduled. <laughs> Breaking. He used the website, the DC Patriot, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram all down. Is this a Chinese response to spy balloon being shut down? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's absurd, man. No. Um, Hold Instagram's on. working fine for me. Facebook's working fine. If if there is an outage, it's the U.S. But with Twitter, it appears to be all over the place. It's worldwide. It's like there's nobody on the planet who can. Tweet yeah, Instagram's a, a down. Detector rate. reports improved, like they're almost down to back to normal. But they were down. Instagram. I'm just looking at the, uh, uh, down. Detector. Instagram was down an hour ago. An hour and twenty minutes ago. At the same time as Facebook. Uh, I don't know. I haven't checked Fox yet. I did. Uh, check I just pinged a developer at Twitter that I'm friends with to see if I can get some inside baseball. He's not okay, so, a developer so that's... that's not fired? Correct. <laughs> that, that was a question I did want to bring up with you guys is that obviously this is a thing that a lot of people were talking about. Oh, Twitter is going to die. Twitter is going to crash. Everything like that because of the fact that Elon took over and cut a lot of the staff. Does this seem like – is this a possibility? I mean because we don't see this happening a lot, right, <laughs> where – where you have a total outage, for the most part, of, of pretty much all functionalities on Twitter. Does that seem like a likely scenario? That maybe that is. I think they were it? saying Twitter is going to die for political reasons, uh, not this kind of thing. Personally, I think it was more of an attack on Elon. Oh, if he's running the show and allowing right wingers back on the platform, the platform's going to die because we're all going to leave. Well, there was a lot of chatter about the fact that because they cut so many engineers that they, were, they weren't going to be able to maintain all the functionalities of a website, you know, day-to-day operations. So, Justin, does that, is, that a, is that something that could be in the realm of possibilities? So, and you're also saying, I'll, I'll add one more thing to that, because you said that they could have possibly pushed something live that wasn't supposed to go live yet. How long should that take to roll back? Because we're already going on like 45 minutes now. Uh, it just depends. Um, you know, generally, like a standard release rollout can happen with one tier team, but rollbacks could require a higher level elevation in order to approve that to happen, uh, especially if things are pre-scheduled. Um, you know, in in relation to what you were saying, Nick, about, you know, engineers being you know, let go, the thing about Twitter is that the underlying code base, the stuff that, like, gets written that makes Twitter, you know, tick – the programming language that it uses is called Scala, and you have to think about Scala as 
less than 1% of developers globally around the world know how to code in Scala. And so it, it's one of those things where it's going to be hard to find new engineers to come in and be interested to work on Twitter. Um, and I, I've always found that interesting because I would have thought that, you know, Elon – you know, being the type of person who kind of likes to build things from the ground up and make sure that they're running optimally, I, I feel as though at some point in time, we're going to see him want to rewrite this code base. But the reason why you didn't see him do it initially is because he had to get Twitter on a path to profitability, at least to break even, right? And so, um, and he, I think he's done a good job at doing that. And, you know, I, I think that he announced the other day that he basically saved it from bankruptcy, and that's only in three months' time. So I'm interested to see where it goes in the future. Long form tweets were supposed to drop today. Was anybody in here able to actually post a long form tweet yet, or did, did have you seen anybody able to do that? Well, I'm hitting F on my keyboard uh, four thousand times now, so I will. Uh, I'll let you know here very shortly. But wait, am I hearing something? I saw that option to do a long form tweet seem to become available, but I didn't know what exactly it was, so I just kind of ignored it. But it just seemed like hey, I just sent a tweet from the app and it's working. Sorry, app. not to cut you off, but Twitter is working now for me. I don't you know, know if it's working for anyone earlier, else. Um, We're again, Maybe he can't hear me. I'm curious what I don't, I don't know if he can hear me. Uh, hey, hey, so Michael, can you hear Terry? At least think about it to some degree. Recently, is this whole community notes feature now that's... Michael, can you hear anybody? Just getting more and more prominent and more and more widely used. Well, I'm fortunate. I have to... So I had a thread that I did a few days ago that basically just summarized with fairly accurate fidelity this interview that the oh wait we can DM now people are having trouble here in a podcast where oh, he for, no. for the first time publicly recounted his experience as a kind of central mediator who's speaking in Michael, the early stages of the okay. Ukraine That's so war uh, between let me message Ukraine and Russia when. Why is he talking about Ukraine and Russia? Let me negotiation Stop talking between the two countries. on the space. This is so weird. The Turkey, uh, but also so with Naftali Bennett for himself playing this personal this is so weird. diplomacy role. This is, this is oh my god, this is epic. I have the entire panel muted and I kicked yeah, Michael. I know. How <laughs> that Kick him out of the space, find him in the audience. Ultimately terminated. Let me call him. Hold on. Let me call him. Hold on. Just shut up. Headline. Hold on. Hold on. Remark being that. Why is he talking about Russia and Ukraine? U.S. <laughs> I'm calling him now. Okay, he stopped talking. I did. I did. Um, they meaning the. He uh, hung up. I hung up. Call him again. I am. He's gonna block me now. You might have to block him, or else it's, it's just going to keep going. Hold on. This is the, this is a first. We've experienced a lot of issues with Twitter Spaces. This, this is has never point. happened before. <laughs> Hold on. Good job. Stop. Okay, so, so let's see another panelist speak, but I'm worried who. Okay, so I'm going to unmute everyone. Let's just yeah, test one person speaking. I, I've, this is Grant. I've had trouble hearing speakers. Oh, you're good. Uh, I couldn't hear Ian earlier. You kept Can muting you guys hear me, me? But uh, Twitter's back, just so you know. 
Well, oh, it's working again? Be working. Yeah, yeah, it's working my, again. My oh, DMs aren't okay. working. I still so can't about... follow Grant. Can you guys hear me? No, it says my limit. They're please. fixing some I can't stuff. Follow. I mean, you still can't follow people and their DMs won't work, but you can... No, I just followed, I just followed someone now. Oh, no, it's not working yet. I right. just no, had this vision of Michael like just talking to himself about these sort of things about Ukraine yeah. in his home by himself. <laughs> if somebody doesn't remix the recording for this, I'm going to be so sad. Can All right, who's using me? a chop saw in the background? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. <laughs> what the hell is going uh, on today? So I think what happened, hold on, hold on. I'm Do we have the... Coffee. That's what uh, coffee it, sounds like. Um, Justin, could that be what happened now was Twitter rolling back while we're on the space? I'm, pr- Justin? I'm pretty confident that that's probably what it is. Um, and- that was so cool. We just went back in time now officially. It- that, that's teleporting does work well, now. So obviously, <laughs> the long form tweet option go away, then we'll know that they rolled it back right. Um, as if that was a feature that they rolled out and then it disappears, we'll know that that was a full rollback. But they could have just patched the issue and just removed it as well. So it, it it could either be a rollback or they could have just patched the throttling bug. What what makes sense to me though is that if Twitter was implementing throttling, that's them trying fight the bots, right? Because these these accounts that spam your DMs and, you know, spam links all over Twitter generally do that in mass, you know, throughout the entire day. So what we probably saw here was Twitter getting ready to implement anti-bot technology in order to try to, you know, throttle um, if, if it looks suspect, right? And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see more here shortly, I believe. All right, so I'm bringing up, uh, if you don't mind, Mario, I brought up Matt Wallace. Who is oh, is that Matt? What's up? <laughs> yeah, there he is. How you doing, Matt? Hey, Matt, Matt. We just, we just, we just went through. Matt, we just went through Twitter rolling back live on the space, and all hell broke loose. Oh, jeez. So there's not going to be any space. What do you mean rolling back? I mean, no, no one knows for sure what they did. You know, it's the Twitter don't apocalypse. Know if they back an update or anything. The end is nigh. Yeah. We've had phantom people on stage speaking, people making coffee in the background, and I don't know what's going on. But what have you seen? Pretty amazing. Oh wow, that's that's crazy. So I, I've been setting up my rental property. I've kind of missed a couple of those things. So what happened with the with the live and Elon Musk? So we have uh, in this sec. I'll tell you about this in a sec. So the space for the uh, um, the space for the um, the te- Andrew Tate could be going on. We'll, we'll just delay it by five minutes. So in five, ten minutes, we'll be doing the space for, the, for Andrew Tate after the BBC documentary. And it's pinned on my profile. I'll pin it above as well for anyone listening that wants to join that one. Just an update on the case and a recent documentary by BBC. So we might end up still doing it, um, considering that now Twitter's back to working. But Nick, I'll give you the mic. Let me just check with the team that everything's working. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll only take the mic for uh, just a few minutes here because uh, I honestly haven't tested this yet. I did try to follow, uh, let's see here, the mad scientist here, and I, I, I do get it. I get an error message that says, limit reach, you're unable to follow more people at this time. Um, granted, yeah, I follow a lot of people. So it seems like every error message that was coming back was basically a throttling error limit. And so, like I said, that leads me to believe that they're trying to get ready to deploy some more anti-bot fighting countermeasures. Mm-hmm. And then they accidentally, I guess, over-deployed or over, maybe overbuilt some of these features. That, I don't set know. the limit too low for all the, the, the Twitter holics on here, you know, that post, you know, 100 mm-hmm. tweets a day. 
kidding. But um, so can we tweet now, uh, Justin? Can we tweet now? It's working. Tweeting. Yeah, you can tweet. Tweeting is working. DMs and following are still having issues. Oh shit! Because we need the DMs to launch the space. Uh, that's, that's, that's yeah, you can. You, you probably yeah. should not launch the space because you won't be able to invite anyone into the space since DM functionality is not currently working. Yeah, that did seem. It's an interesting thing. Hold on, there's, this... there's just quickly, uh, Nick. Sorry, I'm just looking. Joa again just sent me a screenshot. Down detector of Fox. Uh, Fox uses down in Atlanta, down in 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 Nashville, Houston, etc. So I'm um, not sure if I, I, don't, I don't think it's related to everyone, but just thought I'd mention it because we were talking about it earlier. I'll try to bring it back up. But yeah, go ahead, man. But yeah, just very quickly, uh, this uh, I, I did notice this earlier when I was trying to bring people up and I was trying to you know respond to people that were requesting to come up by DM and I couldn't actually respond to their messages. And I actually confronted Name Redacted on stage. I'm like, I, you need to DM me, man. I can't talk to you. Uh, and so that was actually the first thing that seemed to go, and now it's the last thing that seems to be uh, the well, issue. Besides, TweetDeck is but... still down, Nick, as well. I don't know if anyone else here uses TweetDeck, but that's still down as well. Uh, so that uh, now, J- Justin, or actually, I go to the mad scientist on this one. Does that give you more reason to believe that this might be an API issue? Yeah, I was just going to say that 100. Um, percent And Justin can probably back this up as well, like. It's probably an API thing, rate, whatever the rate limits are. And I also kind of wonder if maybe they screwed up the how they measure the time uh, per day. Because, um, like, we've seen that happen in the past, even with, what was it, that thing with NASA where they accidentally measured it in standard and then in <laughs> metric oh, for another one, right? <laughs> be a pretty easy thing to yeah. accidentally do, maybe well, per minute or per second. Right. I think what they're doing is they're probably preparing for the imminent. Like once they roll out the paid API tier tomorrow, um, they're going to try to prevent people from scraping it. Um, you know, because if you don't know, most of the bots and most of the Twitter aggregators who don't actually pay for data from Twitter, they just scrape the website. They act like a person just browsing it and then they collect that data. And so implementing throttling like this helps prevent not only uh, spam bots, but also from people just scraping the website and grabbing data willy-nilly. Um, and what more than likely happened was they just had a bad configuration on that and it just, you know, blocked people from interacting with the site. Um, and, you know, I, we'll know more here shortly. Um, I feel like um, the person that said that they saw the long-form tweet button, was that in the mobile app or was that on desktop, laptop? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't. I don't remember exactly who said that, um, but I, I do think that it is worth addressing because I know because we've, we've been able to get a lot more replies here uh, because it does seem like people are able to tweet, although they're not allowed to do a, a lot of other things. <laughs> they wanted. Oh, bless you, Tom. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> For anyone else that is tweeting, does it seem like your tweets are taking forever to do the little circle and then actually post? Or is that just me? Probably. No, your phone just sucks. No, I, just I, I believe it. <laughs> but it was on the computer. <laughs> uh, all right. Time Mr. Scientist, I, I, I got to ask you because the audience wants to know. They're begging for the information. Is there any possibility this has to do with the FBI being attacked and, you know, the deep state and such? 
I'm obligated to, to ask you that. Mr. Scientist. <laughs> uh, of course. I mean, who else could do this? Nobody could mastermind an attack like this on an accidental pop API rollout that probably shouldn't be out yet. No, like the simplest answer is they screwed up a rollout, did it too early. Like stop trying to dig into this stuff and come up with reasons that something is terrible. Like, look, it's a tech rollout. There has never in the history of tech rollouts been a problem with a tech rollout. Wait, no. Every time there's a tech rollout, there's a problem. Justin, like, I zero I, I, like, I, I, look, you, you're the first person that I've ever heard on Twitter spaces whenever they're talking about tech actually talk like you actually know what you're talking about. So I commend you on that. Um, and, you know, it's one of the things people always complain about spaces being broken when in reality I've, I've played around under the hood. And Twitter spaces are just Periscope bolted and duct taped onto Twitter. Like, and this this was pre-Elon, right? And so the reason why you don't see spaces getting fixed because that's a whole separate team. And that honestly, spaces are probably going to be the last place to get some love from the development team, in my opinion. Well, and Justin, I think I saw somewhere that the whole Twitter Spaces team left. Like I saw, I think I saw them like looking for work or something. The the woman that's in charge of Twitter Spaces on uh, iOS uh, literally tweeted out that she was working on the bookmark button that shows when you view the detailed tweet, and that was not very reassuring to me when she's in charge. Wow. Of um, and so you know, here's the thing, right? This, I, I posted a whole thread um, on things that need to be worked on in spaces and how they could add value to Twitter. Um, like, for instance, double the audio quality for Twitter Blue subscribers would get people to want to subscribe to Twitter Blue because the spaces would be clearer and they it, it, it would function just like Discord Nitro. And, you know, Nitro is the only way that Discord pays their bills. And so if they're able to sustain model features like that, it would be great for Twitter. Another feature that I would love to see in spaces is the ability to raid a space once you're done, right? Keep people on Twitter, keep them engaged, and allow people to share their audience with others uh, to grow and make spaces more popular. That's something that's been a, a staple feature of Twitch forever, and it would be so valuable for that to get rolled out on spaces. To be quite honest with you, I would love to work at Twitter and build out these interactive technologies because I've done it for the past five years. And I have so many ideas to improve the platform as a whole. And I'm passionate about these things, right? Like you have to have people that are interested in improving the platform as a whole because at the end of the day, I don't look at the politics of anything. I look at how much do people enjoy using the things that I build, right? And that that's where Twitter should be aligned. Um, I and I think they have to completely rebuild spaces because, like you, I've kind of poked around under the hood, and I don't even know if there's a uh, like we can fix this. Like, leave it where it is. Go build something better and new that can handle a hundred thousand people on it at a time, and isn't going to crash your whole platform. I agree, and I I think that you know. The problem is, is that Periscope came from an acquisition, and then I'm assuming that majority of the Periscope devs are probably no longer there. And so Twitter probably doesn't have a whole lot of engineers that even know how that ecosystem works. And whenever you fully bring something in as a staple feature of your platform, you should bring it in fully and not rely on that legacy infrastructure. The, the thing that made me the saddest was when they took away the, the captioning on Spaces. I, I have friends who are hearing 
disabled and they rely on the captioning a lot. And, you know, it's one of those things where if, if Elon is trying to cut costs in terms of not having to pay for the licensing to do the captioning, he's an investor in OpenAI. And they have this wonderful thing called the Whisper model. And they could do all this stuff in-house. Like, don't pay third parties to do it. Build it yourself and make it a value add to the platform. They would have to remake Spaces up from scratch before anything well, else. And right now, the issue is with keeping Twitter itself alive. So we can make all these demands, and it's nice, you know, to have new features and to have uh, spaces rebuilt and all that. But um, the focus right now is to rebuild Twitter. It's to make sure that it's running, it's not dying, and that's what they're focused on. Sure. I think a um, super chat type feature where people can, you know, send a message that appears at the top of the space. Um, and then, you know, obviously maybe the host gets a percentage, but Twitter gets a percentage as well. I think that would be extremely helpful with revenue and generating revenue to keep spaces going and maintain, maintain them. Yeah. And that's, that's, so that, that, that's the reason why I brought up the higher fidelity audio for Twitter blue subscribers. Like these are things that they could do without having to rebuild anything like that. That feature in particular would take a weekend to roll out and it would add value for Twitter blue, which would make more people in turn send money to Twitter. So you, you want to know what like the best feature would be. And Mario will probably back me up on this one. How about being able to change who the main host is? Host. Yeah, man, you're about to. Yeah, yeah that would block. be beautiful. Let me block him. There we go. <laughs> 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 like when we were doing those really big ones, the whole FTX thing was happening and you were like 20 hours. Ah, oh, rotate them. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That would be right, epic. Yeah. So that, like you could just yeah. pass it to Kim <laughs> or pass it to whoever. And maybe go take a nap and then get back. But we, up. yeah, but we do that. We do that. Like a lot of times, the roundtable space, I'm there, and the crypto one, I'm not, I'm not speaking at all. I'm actually sleeping. My team all logs <laughs> in. And in those spaces here, when we do marathons, like Nick and others, Catherine, Jim, etc., when we did space before, they they take over. And I, I was, I was off the mic right now for the last hour trying to figure out technical <laughs> issues. Uh, but on that on that point, uh, I think we could uh, wrap it, Nick. Uh, let's just try to figure out what's happening with Twitter. But I think now at least people have an answer. So, uh, yeah, man, give you the mic. We are going to attempt to do the uh, space on Andrew Tate, the BBC documentary that came out, I believe, yesterday. No, we won't do it today. We're not doing it today, man. We're going to reschedule just because we can't DM people. We can't invite people. Well, that's fine, but I still want them to set a reminder. Oh, yeah, of course. (laughs) Man, of course. Sorry, you keep doing this. You jumped the gun, Mario. You jumped the gun. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he started attacking me. Maybe I do want to replace him as host. You're right, mad scientist. Um, just kidding, we love you, Mario. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, make sure you go to that top tweet, pin tweet, uh, and click on reminder, and uh, you'll get a notification when we start that space up. Uh, what do you have to add, Mario? What's your What's your closing? Argument? I don't know. It's good to see Kim by my side. He's gonna took a break from Twitter Spaces. Welcome back to the dark side, Kim. Uh, yeah, baby. The dark side. Are you at the? Are you with the dark side now? Yeah. And, and, uh, well, Twitter Spaces is the dark side, man. Look at us, <laughs> bunch of degenerates covering from from a balloon floating around the U.S. to earthquakes in Turkey to Twitter crashing to a hearing. I don't know what else can we call it, man. No, I tell you yeah. what, we are. we are. We are the light in the darkness. Okay, man. No, you're just getting uh, cheesy now. 
Mario, check your text before we do anything. Yeah, um, no, we can we can rename it after the ends. It's fine, man. Oh, you can? I didn't know that. Um, yeah. All right, well, I, I do want to thank Justin for coming in on such short notice, the mad scientist, kind of giving us a rundown on everything that could potentially be wrong with Twitter. It does seem like there are still some things broken because I still can't follow you, mad scientist, so I'm really sorry about that. Um, so we'll, we'll keep track of it. I would definitely follow our speakers, follow... You know Mario especially, and I'm sure he'll have. You, you can't, know, bro. You just, you just, you just ruined it. You can't follow, by the way. It's still glitching. <laughs> wow, that was stupid as hell. I'm not used to it. I'm sorry. <laughs> After you just said you can't follow. <laughs> so, so guys, since we cannot follow, please here. follow us all. Please follow. Look, today's a special day. I want you all just to follow Nick. Nobody else. Just Nick. He deserves it. He's worked hard for <laughs> it. Follow Nick. You know, he's been followers. <laughs> Like of all I'm following like everyone except Nick. <laughs> He's your been... iPhone and put a freaking reminder on to follow me later. Do that. So. Alright yeah, guys, this is great. That's your follow you reminder. Right now. Ian, do you wanna do you wanna give us your final thoughts on the hearing? Because I know you loved it, and then we'll wrap up the space. I loved it. No, no, I hated it. Uh, I, I felt it was terrible, especially the Democrats there. You know, can can they just do a hearing with just Republicans? You know, like that'd be really cool. I think. Okay, so. <laughs> Just going, you know, circling back uh, to quote Gensaki, circling back to the hearing itself, I think the, you know, Republicans had a lot of great points, but there was no cohesion in their messaging. I feel like they need to, uh, their staff members at the very least need to start coordinating these, uh, um, you know, these hearings better because um, you need to, to hit them on, you know, on singular issues, right? You can't you can't have this wide array of of many 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 different topics. It's hard for the public to follow, and it it just seems like they're you know throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. Whereas the Democrats had a single issue to talk about, which is that social media needs more censorship. That's all the Democrats were talking about. They said that without more social media censorship, there will be January six and more people will die. So you, you can't have have it like like that, you know. It's 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 really shitty when the Democrats, who are in the minority right now, are able to dominate the conversation. And if you look at uh, you know any sort of coverage from the, uh, uh, the press that is hostile to um, you know to Elon Musk and to the Republicans, that's all you're going to see. You're only going to see about uh, you know uh, how AOC called out lips of TikTok and how she took her to task for for endangering the lives of trans children. That's all you're going to see, right? That's going to be the news headline. You, you, you want you want to maintain control over the narrative, and in order to do that, you got to have a cohesive messaging strategy. So if they do this again, it needs to be done better, and they need to be well-versed on what's going on with Hamilton 68. I saw no pushback on Yul Roth or Jim Baker, you know, mostly Yul Roth, you know, citing um, debunked claims made by Hamilton 68's dashboard, right? It, it, it's just, you can't have this guy keep going on about Russian disinformation when it's literally been disproven in the Twitter files. Guys, you have the files, use them, you know, and I don't blame the congressman for this. I blame their staff. Their staff need to be better educated and they need to better prepare uh, the people that they're working for. That's my take. On this beautiful, positive note, uh, appreciate you all for joining. It was a great space. Uh, Kim, good to see you back. Tara as well, been a while. And Matt, uh, it's been a long, long, long time. Appreciate you all. Been a good, uh, good, uh, good show, and I'm glad we're not doing the Tate one so we can all rest. Thanks, everyone. See you tomorrow. I think, Aaron, hold on. Aaron, we're doing a space tomorrow together, aren't we? That you've, you've prepared. You there, Aaron? The other Aaron. Oh, well, I gave you the opportunity. Yeah, that's, no, that's right. 
Sorry, I was having a little trouble with my button. Yeah, what time is out? What time is it tomorrow? It's uh, well, 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, and we'll have several of the plaintiffs and a couple of the lawyers from our Hogue v. Newsom case. That's the case in California challenging the medical censorship bill, Assembly Bill 2098. Uh, the judge recently uh, granted our request for a preliminary injunction against that law. So that law is currently um, held in in abeyance, can't be applied, can't be implemented while our case is being heard. So we're going to talk about that case. We're going to talk about um, medical censorship, medical freedom, and we'll have some legal expertise. I keep reaching out to people from the other side, so hoping to get some people uh, that would uh, defend that law and um, and defend the reasons for its implementation. If not, I will try my best to articulate um, the arguments of its advocates and proponents. And uh, so, yeah, hope you all can make it. Should be fun. Cool. Thanks, Aaron. And I've just um, I've just tweeted as well. Thread summarizing my team wrote it, actually. Just summarizing, uh, you know, the, the the hearing. If you missed it or you, you missed the space, I've just pinned it above. Check it out for you in the audience. And uh, have a wonderful day. See you tomorrow, everyone. Thanks a lot. Bye.